Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Today is episode 297. We are Brian Weasler and Rob in the presentation. Show starts now. Hello, everybody. Some days I'm starting to feel like a one-arm paper hanger. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, let's see. Stop this over here. Is everything everything, uh, looking good so far? Yeah. Okay, Okay, good. I'm not saying anything on YouTube, but other than that, we're looking good. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Nothing on YouTube? That's a a major thing. I see. Facebook? I see YouTube. I see YouTube. Yeah, the link. Yeah, the link I took uh, is still not active for some reason. Maybe it's just me. So I see Hmm. chat. It's paused. Oh well. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Let's see who we got on the panel today. We have a full screen. I got to turn off that mic, or else it keeps echoing to myself. Um, Let's see. In chat, we've got Frank Linhards, David Croker, and Frank says we are on YouTube. No, that's good. David and Sharon Beery. Oh, can can make it. Tom Eric Gunderson. All right, let's see. On the panel, we have first up Rick Euland. How did I get here? I don't know. <laughs> Somehow you ended up in the first square. <laughs> Next over, own it, Rick. Own it. Ken Waters next over. Hello, everybody. And yours truly next. Hello. Last on the top row, we got L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. We made it. Uh, Next up, Sloopy Malibu and the cool glasses. Greetings. (laughs) Then we have the man in his garage, Ron Delvo. Hello. Enjoy. Next up, Mark Overhoser. Glad to be here. And we've got Brian Weasler. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Okay. Uh, next up, Jim Rye. Howdy, Coco Nation. And Rob Inman. Hey, everybody. Got my Red Bull. I'm digging in for the hours ahead of us. And I do have a question, though, that we should all be considering. Do you, EOU, and if you do, how do you EOU? Thank you very much. Thought <laughs> okay. for the day. Nice. Thought for the day. Hmm. Think about it. I haven't. Uh, <laughs> EOU. Hi. Next over, Terry Stiggy. Welcome, everyone. Good afternoon. And then we have TJB Chris. Nobody told me I had your name screwed up on the uh, intro last week. Oh, you muted, Chris. You muted. Still muted. 
What? Ben's <laughs> okay. Mike's muted. It's panic time. All right. It's not a Zoom uh, muted. Uh, let's see. Okay, so the panel shifted on me here. Uh, next up, uh, John Bodakar Schaller. Hello, everybody. I am also preparing for the hours of eating. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need bigger beer. <laughs> stouter than that. Don't worry. Only one? Oh, man, it's not even when... noon here for me. <laughs> Click on your mic when you burp. <laughs> uh, let's see. Here. Next up, uh, Red Provencia. Hello, everyone. Um, I've been having some video difficulties, so you might not see my face, or maybe you will. <laughs> I'll be going in and out. <laughs> it's there. So I go with it. Looks pretty Max good. Headroom imitation. At the moment. <laughs> yeah. We can wish that upon other people on the panel, so not so bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, folks, can you, can, uh, sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you yes. now. Yeah, oh. there you go. Hey, oh, sorry about you. that. I think I was probably sounded better muted. <laughs> That's what I get told all the time. <laughs> we were going to tell him that. All right, next up on the panel, and on the panel, we have Alan. Hello, everyone. It's time for Nation. and I see David Ladd has joined. So I didn't have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up, Nick Marentes. Good night, everyone. Bye. All right. And last but not least, the excitable David Ladd. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm glad everybody's here. I hope everybody's ready for the show because I am. I've got my 64-ounce cup filled with pure Diet Dr. Pepper, and I'm ready for things to rock. Wait, is this what? No water? <laughs> yeah, that's a pure diet opera. No, this has got to be fake David Ladd. Where's the real <laughs> David Ladd? I'm going for the full strong stuff today. We'll see who uh, <laughs> who gets drunk first. Uh, diet, diet Dr. Pepper David Ladd or John Bodekar Schaller with probably wishing he was having Guinness right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, in the chat, uh, a couple of people were mentioning the same kind of problem that Mark found. Uh, let's see. What are they saying here? Um, 60 saying, noticing a blaring silence, backed out and saw a stream had reappeared elsewhere. Yeah, uh, I have two different I have two different links now for YouTube. There was the initial one from the uh, uh, that it came up and it has the chat in it. And then the one that actually has the video stream in it. So there's something funky well, going on. Well, how did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> was it that five well, minute? intro video did that confuse yeah did that stop a stream and then start a new one and rather than segue in no because well it shouldn't have because uh should have just been the same same stream because it's just another scene on here okay yeah i uh, think it's that issue we saw and it's the event that's going through restream i'll blow that one away so i don't know it's it's, it's current on my it's current on my phone running fine huh weird um what else we got going on in here? Well, we'll figure it out, folks. It's, yeah. a, it's a whole new setup now. so We'll fix it in post. It's a oh, moving a target because uh, YouTube and Facebook all keep changing their rules. So Yeah, Tara's mentioning in the pre-show there's a couple of rules that change that are <laughs> causing some grief. 
Yeah, before Coco Nation, I had a freaking afro. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, they're, they're support desks. They just laid off a ton of people everywhere. So, of course, there's nobody left to ask questions about. So. Yeah, they, let, they let go all the expensive guys who knew what was going on. And- yeah, yeah keeping the cheap, you know, cheap labor. Yeah, the script readers. Okay, let's see. Uh, project updates. Turn on that one. Nope, not that one. How about we do that one? Updates and acquisitions. Uh, let's see. Who was going to be up first? I wasn't paying attention to when you guys were talking about it. I don't have any, so anybody else? <laughs> oh, between Brian or uh, Ron. Oh, those aren't, well, they're not really project updates. Well, I guess in Brian's case, it's probably an acquisition, an old acquisition, I'm guessing. Okay. Yeah, well, we could, Brian whatever could go. we call He's it, ready. you guys are up. They're separate yeah, Brian. Yeah, why don't you go? Hey, Brian. Okay. We're going to put you on the spot, Brian. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Hope you're ready because here we go. Oh, yeah. I'm always, I'm ready here. I'm ready and ready to go. So, okay. Let me switch um, some cameras here. So um, apparently the Zoom uh, setting didn't fix this little problem. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, you got it then. Um, yes. So recently, I was listening to the most uh, recent uh, podcast from um, uh, Randy uh, Kindig there with the um, uh, Floppy Days. Floppy Days. Um, some of you guys may have heard the episode there. Um, Carlos Camacho one. Yep. Yeah, the yep. Carlos one there. And um, before we got into the interview, uh, Randy was talking about some acquisitions that uh, he recently made, and one of them kind of perked my ears. So I went out and did a little searching, and I found uh, I found the same book that he was referring to. And let's see here. Is it coming in okay here? There we go. So it's a, it's a book here. It's called Personal Computer Basics. Basics as in plural. Uh, reference manual. And you can see here that it covers the uh, Atari, Apple, TRS-80 Color, and the Model 3, and the Commodore. And essentially, I, I just started thumbing through it a little bit, but basically it kind of shows you how to, um, if you're looking to um, port, let's say, a game from one model to the other, it uh, it points out the differences between from like one, one system to another as far as their basic languages go. So uh, it's laid out pretty good. It, uh, I mean, I won't thumb through exactly, though, but they have a lot of these charts uh, in the manual. So it talks about the system and then what you need to do, and it has this little grid. And in the beginning of the book, it kind of tells you what this, how this grid works and stuff. But that's uh, oh, a very good book. I, uh, I was kind of interested. I had never seen this one before. So does does I, it just cover basic, basic, or does it cover, like, graphics and sound and everything else, too? Um, it, I did see some reference to sound and some graphics. It also gets into... Um, uh, uh, if you use uh, disk systems, if it if you make calls to uh, uh, to a disk drive, um, how to you know make the changes there if if, uh, if a basic program that you're trying to convert um, wants to use the disk drive from system to system. So, I I can see how that book could be really handy. Um, does it say what does it say about the Cocos Basic uh, compared to others? Uh, does it make any comments about it? Um, I haven't read it fully yet, but mm-hmm. um, I can certainly. Uh, I'll get back to you a little bit on it. Okay. I, I only found one reference uh, out there on eBay, and not to say that there's not other sources out there, you know, um, for finding this book, but uh, um, I only stumbled across one. Um, and it looked like it had been, actually been a listing that had been out there for a while, and it uh, actually had a made an offer. So I shot an offer out to him, and he, and he 
uh, the, the seller jumped right on it. So I don't know if this is really a popular book or not, but, uh, well, um, I think one of the reasons it probably isn't po- as popular as it could be. And Alan just posted in the, in the general chat here is that uh, it's on archive.org. You can actually download it. Okay. Yep. I still, you know so, me, I like the, yeah, uh, yeah. You're, like you like the physical stuff. stuff. <laughs> so, so isn't it true? Like this would divide into Atari, Apple and Microsoft basic. I believe so. Like I said, I haven't really read too much about it. I was so just kind of all of the the last four are all Microsoft Basic, right? So this and isn't much- Apple isn't AppleSoft partly Microsoft too? I know Integer Basic was was, but isn't AppleSoft a little bit derivative? I can't remember. Don't yeah, know it's totally okay. AppleSoft is totally it's Microsoft Basic, and then they added their Basic commands to it, unlike the Commodore version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's got the same. It even has a little Microsoft, uh, the little Microsoft uh, tag that's in the back of the uh, the end of the SQ, uh, sign table. Hmm. Oh yeah, that little hidden message to check if it's yep. being pirated. So yep. is Atari yes. related to Microsoft in any way, or is that? I don't think so. But that would you, be. Would you know about you're the Atari eight bit guy? But I don't know how much programming no. you did in Basic. None. Yeah. I think Atari. Actually, you know. I, I, I'm pretty sure Atari Basic is not Microsoft Basic. I, I think I know enough to know that Atari Basic is not Microsoft Basic in any way, shape, or form. Well, yeah, they had, to, they had to shrink it down to fit it on the cartridge. So they made they just wrote their own. Yes, okay. it was actually written by Shepherds and Microsystems. Ah, same hmm. people who did. DOS. I keep forgetting yeah. you're you're also an Atari expert there, Sloopy. My apologies. Yeah, Sloopy the Atari guy. Uh, questions to Sloopy from now on, not me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Atari game playing questions we asked both. Atari programming there questions we asked Sloopy. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, the, uh, Sloopy the Atari guy before Sloopy the game on challenge live guy. Remember that? <laughs> well, at least I'm glad you're stepping up in the world. That's all I can say. <laughs> Who's the Sloopy we keep talking about? <laughs> no, no, he does the game on challenge. Uh, usually wears Hawaiian shirts. He's from Canada. Weird Al. No, oh, sorry. There you go. <laughs> uh, the the next thing I'd like to share with you guys. Here, let me move this over here. Um, I saw this out on eBay, and I it kind of struck me, kind of interesting. There was this. Uh, if it comes in here, home computers is actually a set of playing, not, not really playing cards, but more like. Uh, like just trading like cards, trading cards. There you go. That's what I was looking for. And I, know, I thought it was kind of interesting. And uh, I thought I saw some of the color computers in there, but uh, I don't know if these are going to come through. Uh, they're kind of yeah, shiny cards. Right. Um, so you can see here, it has all these different yeah, just computers. Hold them at an angle. Uh, that might show up a little better. Yeah, there you can see it. So here's an, That's uh, an acorn. A- Acorn, there's a, a Adam here. Um, here's an Atari um, 8800 or Eltair, yeah. sorry. Um, Amstrad. Oh, they're covering a lot of the British ones then. Yeah, look, yeah. I, I wonder if this was a British product. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering. It might be as well because uh, the uh, you'll see here in a moment here's like the Apple II, the Macintosh. There's uh, got to be a Dragon a in there, right? Yep. <laughs> so there's a 400 in here, uh, a 520, Atari 800. Uh, here's the BBC. Um, let's see. Here's uh, some of the Commodores. Uh, here's a pet. And here's our Dragon 32. Oh, there it goes. Trying to flip the cards and look at my camera at the same time here. So, um, But as I scrolled through here, that was the only... Uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the, the Dragon there is the... Uh, 
But it's kind of uh, was the only one that uh, close to the Coco here. Is the Alice in there? Set of curiosity. No, there was no Alice in here. So it must uh, be UK. Sinclair, yeah. And here's the only one that's in here. What was the red one? Oh wait, no, that's a that's the lead model Coco One, right? This was a the, the red one was a Sony HP, an and then oh, this no, is a, that Sony one there. Boy. Yep, and this is the TRS eighty color computer or one. That's the only yeah, one that's in Yeah, it's a late here. model one. Yep. Uh, after the they switched case. the case. Yep, and then um, there is a model one in here, and then um, uh, TI ninety nine, and then uh, then they have the, the Raspberry Pi in here. But but it's kind of interesting. They have little tidbits of information about the. the I, I noticed they even have a flag of the origin originating country in the upper right corner too. So yeah. Let's go back to our. Do they, have, uh, do they have hit points and defense and stuff? Can we play against each other like Magic the <laughs> Gathering and settle settle the '80s computer wars once and for all? Yeah, we, we have a plus five on uh, graphics commands on the Coco. One, so. <laughs> Mix them in with my Magic the Gathering cards. So <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wasn't yeah, wasn't that, that made so these illegal? Are just a deck um, of cards. There's no game on the 13th of January. Right. Sorry, we got two people talking at once. Uh, oh, Boat first, then Sloopy. So uh, this is just a. This is just a deck of cards, but there's no game or anything that's attached to it. It's just like a, a bunch of little portraits, right? Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. Hey, Slippy. Oh, I was just asking if they were if they were made uh, uh, illegal on the uh, January thirteenth. No, the wizards walked that back. Oh, good. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's the old uh, OGL D and D. Controversy. Yeah, it's oh. a different Discord. <laughs> different Discord. <laughs> need all the money. <laughs> and then uh, something else here. Just this will take just a moment here. But um, you might have seen on the fa Facebook there that um, uh, Mike Rojas um, had a few boards that he was offering up for free, and uh, it was this one right here. It's uh, he built it for the uh, the Coco DV, and what it is is an, it's an offset board. Oh, yeah, I mentioned that on the news. It basically moves the position so it works on other Cocos where it didn't quite fit. Right. Yep. So like your Coco 1, your Silver 1, there's a there's a post that's in the in way. The way. And uh, so this kind of offsets a little bit there. So you can uh, – um, he was just giving away the boards. You're going to have to solder up your own socket for it. But uh, That's why I never bought one. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to make a promise to you guys right now. Before I get on the, the next show, I will have a better camera <laughs> so you guys can see stuff a little bit clearer here. So. Yeah, um, the wood grain's showing up nice and sharp, and nothing else is. <laughs> and then uh, I also asked him if he had any of his adapters to go from the old, the, the older uh, pin connector. For oh, the, like the for old the, uh, D board, knee board. Yep. Uh -huh. that, so it has the pins on one side, and then it has your edge on the other. So because I did buy a couple of his as well, um, uh, keyboard replacements, and uh, this will be uh, the little edge there that goes there, so you can convert it if you wanted to use it that, that way. That's excellent, actually, because that used to be a product they sold in Rainbow for a while because when you're buying, like, you know, Mark Data Products keyboards or uh, right. HGL or whatever, you, you needed those to put them in the older machines. So a lot of the mm -hmm. keyboard manufacturers sold those, but they haven't been manufactured in 30 years. Okay. Hey, Brian, put it yes. in the palm of your hand while you show it on the camera. Put your hand, your, your palm out, like, parallel with the uh, camera. There we go. That should focus it. There we go. Yep. So this uh, this one here is the actual Tandy one. I You'll have closer. to highlight yourself there, Mark, because nobody can see it besides us. There we go. Whoops. Get closer to it here. So they have a resistor pack in it. Now I'm holding it like this because uh, 
my uh, this part is unsoldered. There's also a fly lead that comes off of here that you connect to five volts. And oh, okay. that was the official, uh, you know, to power the uh, resistor pack. So that's the official Tandy one. I don't know if you can read it. So what is the purpose of the resistor pack for that then? Out of curiosity. On the earlier machines, like the, the Cocoa ones, they used the, uh, what, 6821 PIAs. Mm -hmm. uh, the later ones used 6822s, which needed the pull-up resistors. Um, not that it wouldn't work uh, in the reverse, but, uh, you know, Tandy felt the need of it and put the money into it. Couldn't they have used that so, on a sound chip? So uh, <laughs> while on the F boards, they added the resistors on the board. So that's why we have two different PIAs now, one for the keyboard and a almost exactly the same, but slightly different one for everything else. Is that what? Yeah. The, and what so the, uh, the later one needed to pull up resistors because I think they were open collector or something. And then uh, on the F board and later, they added their, those, that resistor pack uh, on, you know, into the design of the main board. Oh, by the way, uh, Brian, uh, uh, Steve Rasmussen, uh, alias Buck Owens, in our chat is saying uh, Center Computing for Computing History did those cards, and they also have a set of cards for game consoles as opposed to home computers. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Um, the next thing here I want to show here, um, Nick, are you awake? I know you usually like to sleep uh, for this first hour. Yeah, yeah, I haven't fallen asleep yet. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> I might need a little input here from you on you this wait one. Wait till here. I start talking, then he's falling asleep. <laughs> it's the second hour. So I received this box here from Australia. All right. And uh, in here was this thing. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, it, it, yep. it's, a, it's a serial parallel, but it's this company called uh, MK1. And I have not been able to find anything. Was that a, an Australian company, maybe? Does this uh, look I don't know. No. Um, I'm okay. going to say... I don't, I don't think the MK1 is the uh, the company name, though. No. Um, is there a, a, a sticker on the, on the back? Nope, it's, it's blank on the back. I haven't popped the cover off of it yet, but... Uh, what would you need to know? Just, just, just wondering what the company is, because the Mark 1, which is what the MK1, I'm assuming, stands for, is probably just right. the name of the product. A, that was a purple I'm not aware of it, no. No, okay. I've never seen anything like that, yeah. Okay. What was that boat? Like you're, you're a little bit you faint compared to us here. So you're the one of the Dick Smith systems. Um, yeah, I don't think they had uh, anything for the Coco. Mm. Yeah, because the four well, pin serial port that was unique to the Coco, wasn't it? Yeah, that wasn't that's it? right. Yeah, yeah. Because what I thought was kind of interesting with this one is that it has this longer cable with the four pin male den on it, and then it had this shorter pigtail which has a female connector on it, and so it would allow you to plug in a device and basically put this in series because it, it has this mode switch here which I'm not sure if the writing's coming through or not where you yeah, can go between modem. printer and modem so you can flip between the printer. two yeah and somebody had some money because that's an expensive front panel that's on that box <laughs> so yeah, silk screen and everything it wasn't made by Joe in his garage it was a company that built that who yeah have you had so, a chance to open it up and see if there's anything on the circuit board or anything? Uh, no, but I mean, I can certainly, if you guys want, uh, I can entertain you here for a second. We'll uh, <laughs> pop some screwdrivers. <laughs> these were quite there. common, though. I mean, because this is what, like, the, the Cocoa by default only had this serial I.O., and there wasn't a ton of serial printers besides Tandy. I mean, yeah, a I, few of them, like Epson made a few of them, but most people had parallel printers. A, they ran faster, took less CPU overhead. And, and B, there was just a lot more printers made for that. So PBH and a whole bunch of other companies sold 
serial to parallel converters. Yeah, like I have some this. of the I have some of the more common ones that you know you'd you would have seen like in the Rainbow and Hot Cocoa like a magazine. Blue Streak Ultima or the PBH uh, or exactly. Yeah. I just have I just haven't been able to find any reference to this one at all, and so. Um, MK printer interface Rev A2. Um, so they weren't proud enough to put their name on it, huh? No, that's on the other side. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna and I'm gonna switch into the circuit board. That's kind of sophisticated. Yeah, the switch. switch. Yeah, it was. Uh, yep, it was soldered directly on there. So, and without without taking apart Hmm. these uh taking apart the nuts here off of these things here. I'm not going to be able to flip over to the other side. Cool. Fine. And of course, Sixie is absolutely right with his comments saying, see, we just had a parallel port built in for printing. Seems like the thing to do. That's what the one of the big advantages of the Dragon besides the keyboard was. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, so I thought this was kind of a, it was interesting, so. Cool. I haven't had a chance to test it out yet, though, but I, I will. So. Let me I just had a, print, a printer with both serial and parallel ports on it. There yeah, you go. some of the Epsons, some of the Geminis, some of the big management tallies that at work had both. Yeah, but most yeah. small ones for home were parallel, just because it was faster. And yeah, well, luckily for us, a lot of the the Tandy ones had, well, the later ones had both the four pin and the parallel. Uh, so. The DMP one ten didn't, but the uh, the DMP one hundred six I had had both. Which yeah, my CGP two twenty had both. And the nice thing about the DMP one hundred six is once I got the Jan M controller that had the parallel in it. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> easy, easy, breathe. Yeah. God, we're not talking about floppy drives. Yeah, I had so both I, serial and parallel on mine, but I wasn't allowed to use it because the printer made too much noise. <laughs> I was lucky. The CGP was an inkjet, so it uh, it was actually not too bad for noise. Yeah, those are really cool. Those uh, the CGP. That's the like like everybody oh. said though. This is a very well made one. This looks more sophisticated, I think, than any of the ones I ever had. I bet this would be a store brand interface. So. Someone made these, and you would stick your store label on somewhere. Right. There you go. <laughs> was, was this marketed in Rainbow? Um, <clears throat> looks familiar to me. Oh, I, I I just did a quick initial search there, and I didn't find anything, but uh, maybe I was uh, too quick for the search. Yeah, I, I don't re- recognize this one from Rainbow uh, at maybe, all, maybe unless it's, it's a, an Australian Rainbow. Maybe it's a different one than I'm thinking of, probably. Yeah, the Switch is pretty well identical to the PBH one. Uh, okay, that's probably what I'm thinking of is PBH. The rest so, of it is not. There's I, no I, LED. I, and... Yeah, I think the Rainbow Care uh, had the listing for what was it, the Blue Streak or whatever it was called? Yeah, Blue Streak Blue Box one. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't. I just did. I didn't look closely, but would that one stop at ninety six hundred? About to go all the way to nineteen two. Uh, ninety six hundred. Okay, yeah, because the first generation Coco ones did that too. The Blue Streak Ultima is, I think, one of the first ones that went to nineteen two, which basically just meant double speed poke, and then a print number negative two would go at double speed. So, oh, let's see here. Then uh, another item here that I thought was kind of a this one kind of struck me here. So I'll just kind of show you the box, so you can see here Cocoa it's a two. Yeah. it's a Coco two here, melty keyboard, but it looks of it on the box anyway. Yep. Let's see if I can get this thing open up and smack in the camera. And so. 
one of the things I'm trying to do is I, I do have a couple different Cocos ones that I'm going to be using, but I'm slowly trying to get, get to, uh, having a collection that is just the, uh, they're, they're in the box as well. So this one had everything. It still had your, your little switch switcher here. It doesn't Oops. look like a melted keyboard though. Yeah. No. Is it in new condition? This one is in good condition. Yeah. So the, and the serial number is, does match on it. So it's the one that was in the box, but, oh. um, but the, yeah, the picture looks like it's a melty keyboard, but the, like I'm throwing stuff around here so I can make room. But it's an old box. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, keyboard. And I don't it's know, did they, keyboard. did Radio Shack ever use like uh, surplus boxes up? Like, okay, we got still got some boxes left over. Let's just use them up. Were they well, ever, of course they did. They're going to yeah. throw away boxes because I changed the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. And, and the only reason I say that is because <laughs> the box does show the melty, but you can see here. It's, it's not like somebody cracked into this thing and swapped the keyboard out. Right. So that's what I was kind of curious about. That or they well. did the hairdryer trick, one of the two. <laughs> they may have done that. So, they so th probably just used up the boxes until you know, the next right. printing probably had the different picture on it. No, but right. It's not like that's a display box. That was just something to put it in until you got it home. That's a Korean-made one. Uh, so this is the, uh, the, it's the 263136 Color Computer 2. And this one is the uh, the Korean product of Korea. Yes. So, yep. But what kind of intrigued me about this one, as far as when I saw it, is some of the things that were in it. Um, <laughs> there was this power adapter, which I don't know. It must have been just something laying around with it. Just a simple little six volts. I don't know if this maybe went to a cassette recorder. might have been one of those uh, smaller cassettes, maybe. But uh, not too worried about that. But uh, here's what caught my eye initially. And I think Terry, you had the same experience with a, with a, with a, uh, was it a multi pack or a color computer? You, you saw it and you started scrolling through the pictures, and then all of a sudden, there was a real talker, real talker cartridge <laughs> with it. Didn't, didn't awesome, you have a, yep. a similar experience? I did. That is yes. awesome. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> now, if I remember, the real talker is the one that actually had the more advanced speech chip, so you can actually make it sing. Right? Is that the right one I, I'm thinking of? I, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. It. Uh, it uh, the. What's kind of nice about this one is, I mean, the manual's out there on, on the archive office, actually, but uh, this one actually had the original manual with it, too, which was nice. Oh, cool. I wonder if I wonder if the power adapter plugs into that cartridge. There's a little plug on the on the, on the uh, side. Yeah, you're right. It might. It, yep. it may require power. Yep, that's a good point. I didn't even put two and two together yet because I really haven't done much with this thing at all as far as that in the past, so. Yeah, I assume the actual sound is channeled through the uh, through the bus and into the co into the coco, so that yep. may be power. Yep. Nope. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what it was. Good point. Thank you. Yep. And if I remember correctly, there was software called it called Super Voice that used this. That actually you could yes. control it and tell it like what pitch you wanted it to speak at. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't Super Voice its own? Voice cartridge. Um, That's what I'm trying to remember. I can't remember if Real Talker yeah. was the hardware and Super Voice was the software of those two I'm, separate products. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have Super Voice somewhere. Um, okay. But I think I think Super Voice had yeah it had software that came with it. But I think it was it was it was, a, it was its own it was a, you know its own cartridge. Um, yeah, I'll have to check. I could probably look and find out in like five minutes. Yeah, it'll be in Rainbow because so. Uh, the company that made it colorware used to have multi-page ads, sometimes up to like six or eight in a row. And oh, you've got the dust cover. Yeah, the nice uh, color computer two dust uh, dust cover, which, which was nice to get. Did Coco Twos ever have a mm. Tandy branding rather than Radio Shack? Yes. 
All the ones that have the T1 VDG are branded Tandy. Yeah, the later ones. So even though that that Coco 2 has a pretty well the newest of the keyboards, it's probably an older Coco 2 then, which is strange. Well, no, it's in that intermediate. They dropped the Melty. It's still Radio Shack, but it's got the full travel keyboard and the old box. So that kind of makes sense, I think. And then uh, <laughs> these are always kind of fun when people include these things here. And uh, they uh, they must have really had the one picked out that they wanted because they cut out the ad from the... Uh, and it's on sale (laughs) and it's on sale so i thought that was pretty good and uh uh i'll try to cover the person's name up here but uh uh it was a ronald shoemaker that bought this thing here so and he there's there in relation to paul yeah that's what i wonder (laughs) uh and uh, he paid the the 99.95 as the ad says there so and then uh here's the here's the cover that he bought so anyway so paul shoemaker if you're listening uh, let us know is that your dad or a relative of some sort or (laughs) you have this computer (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) and then the other thing that was in it that i i I wish the cassette would have been in there but it's not but it's the uh you guys ever seen this game shoot it the okay galaxy that's an avalon hill game yeah so that was uh this was also in there I see that it's out on the archive, so I mean, I, you can certainly go play the game, but uh, the, the original manual was with it. So and it looks like this one might have been, was this a, this was a multi-system one, it looked like. Uh, it came on one cassette where it had... Uh, um, did, Brian, did you say the manual is scanned on the archive or not? I know the game. Yes, yes, it is. Yep, yep, the manual is scanned out there on the archive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty common for Avalon Hill. They would have four or five different systems it would run on. Yeah, the was one manual where you cover the specifics that are different between each. It's a low risk graphics, if I remember. Like, I think semi graphics four or something. Four, right? I, I'm trying to remember. I don't even know if I have that one on my site yet. It's on the list. If it's not, um, let's see here. I thought it said something here. Where did I see it out here? I was reading something. Let's see. Because Adventure National did that too, where they cover multiple systems in the same manual, just like Epics did, even the ones in Tandy. For yeah, they tell you to turn the computer on and then type in P Clear One, and then type in Clear Twenty uh, at H Two Thousand, and then uh, put in the cassette, and then do a C load. Make a cup of coffee. <laughs> and then but it's a two part though i thought it was kind of interesting because you uh you load the first part which is basic they talk about and then the second part of the game or that it comes in two pieces and then the second part is loaded as assembly language so you had to load two pieces in order to get it to work yeah there's quite a few games that uh did that yeah. back in the early 80s which is when this one came out so I think yeah. voyager did that too if i remember right yeah i think these Oh, BC, I think it was pure ML, I remember. Okay. Uh, Fred, you uh, had a uh, real talk or uh, um, you were trying to show us there. Yeah, so I found my Super Voice cartridge. Okay. Um, let me see if I can bring you up there here. There it is. Yeah, let me bring you, bring oh, you cool. up. There it is. It's you know, all speech okay. systems instead of colorware. Okay, so they're different. Well, I... Yes, well, yeah, speech systems, yeah, they made color, they, they made uh Super voice. So, um, and yeah, it's mirror image. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> it's not here. It's fine. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, so this, even though it doesn't say Super Voice on it. Um, that's what it is. That's what it is. Uh, if you look at the documentation, that's this is what it's referring to. If you look, find the documentation for Super Voice, it refers to this. So, okay, so I was remembering that completely wrong. Thanks now, for correcting me. Yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> it's it's not Coco 3 compatible. It only works on a Coco 2. Hmm. And so I haven't used it in years and years. <laughs> is that due to some ROM on it, or is that the hardware itself doesn't work? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, yeah, um, I haven't really looked into why. It might be uh, each sound pack where it's clocked based on the E and Q clock. Oh, right. So it wouldn't run at double speed, yeah. just like the speech sound pack. Could be, could be. Yeah, and I think the real talker is based on the Votrax SCO1, and the Super Voice was based on the 262 or SCO2 version of the chip from Votrax. Oh, you know about those chips? So what, what's the main difference between the two besides the number? <laughs> well, um, there was a much larger uh, phoneme library. The allophone generation was completely different. Oh, so okay. So they're quite different chips then. The next generation of the chip was the uh, 262 or the – it's also called the SCO2 in some places. Okay. Yeah, because if I remember now that I'm kind of remembering the what what Fred found there, I think the speech system one came out first, probably in around '82, and then the the real talker came out in like '83, '84 from Colorado. Well, there's a bunch of the ones that were based on the Votrax SCO one. There's like three that I can think of. There was the Voice Real Talker, and there's I think there's another one out there, and then there was only one that was based on the later chip, which was the Super Voice one. And this, okay. that was the one that had the ad that said it could sing. Yeah. Cool. Still it's going, best. Brian? Yep. yep I just got just one last thing to share, and it'll be done here. This one would take very long, though. But so uh, out on eBay, uh, there was a guy that was selling some things. And uh, I'm not a big fan of this when people do this, but um, I didn't want to let this uh, let this slide. Um, cause I, I kind of have a, an idea for a project that I'd like to do, but anyway, what the guy was doing and he's not a cocoa person. He's, if you look at his other items that he's selling, what he does is he takes a system and then he chops it into pieces and sells it individually. So he took a perfectly good, probably working cocoa and he was selling the, the board and the power supply and the case and the keyboard all separately. And so, like I said, I'm not a big fan of when people do that, but. Um, yeah, if something's busted on it, maybe, but not if it's perfectly working. It's just, yeah. So I did grab up the board and uh, this is an e-board. And uh, I also grabbed the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the transformer that went with it. That's kind of out of camera, I guess, but. Uh, looks like just color basic or is there an extended basic chip? It looks like an empty socket. Uh, there is an empty socket, so I'm guessing this might have the. Uh, it says Tandy Rev 1.1 on it. Yeah, that's the color basic ROM. The empty socket would be for extended basic. Yep. So you probably and got 16k of RAM on there. Yeah. The jumper should tell you. There should be a yep. 4k, uh, 4 16 32k jumper somewhere. Yep. It's uh, it's off the 32, so it just has a 16 on there. It's not jumpered across for the 32. So. Yep. Oh, you're all set to repack. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> well, and the other thing I really like about these boards too is that everything is socketed. Yep. And so that's that was always kind of nice. So, but I have an idea for a project I might do with this thing here. And um, I just, uh, like I said, I went ahead and kind of grabbed it up. The keyboard was already sold from, from it, from what I could tell from his site, unless maybe the keyboard was the part that was the problem. That's why maybe he did it. I couldn't find the keyboard out there. Um, he did still had the key. What's that? Did you, did you plug it in? I haven't plugged it in yet. No, I want to, I want to get something so I can kind of hold it in place here to, to plug it in and, and get it, uh, uh, to get it fired up there. But, uh, uh, but the case was still out there, but the case was common, you know, where it's the, the silver paint is completely wore off where the keyboard is at and stuff. So, uh, the, the case would have needed some work. Um, but, uh, everything else looks good though. Look at that. I'm going to take a look at that transistor. It's almost, the legs are almost touching right there. That's kind of bent over a little bit, but, uh, anyway, no, I just, uh, kind of a, kind of a fun little, fun little project there. It might be kind of, Kind of neat with these uh, to be able to maybe test some things with it or something, you know. So, is there a resource out there somewhere that documents all the different revisions of the motherboards? Hmm. There is a website, Techno's uh, site, which covers uh, the Coco Two specifically and on different variations. I don't know about the uh, Coco One hmm. or Three. Oh, okay. Um, the yeah, the Coco One is basically just the C, D, E, and F, isn't it? Yeah. And the C is incredibly rare. In fact, the only one I've it, ever seen is Richard Lorbieski's. Yep. Not and a Bodgewire reference, because Tandy wasn't wasn't afraid to put Bodgewires on commercial products, and I have a few things where the wire has broken off, and I'm kind of trying to guess where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> this, might be, this might be a project. Is if you have some Tandy thing with Bodgewires on it, take a picture of it. You have so Bodgewires on the underside of that there, Brian, or have you looked? What's that? Well, it's it still it has the um, it, it still has the, uh, the the RF shield on it. Oh, okay. So you can't so see it. Uh, yeah, you pop all those stupid little pins. <laughs> yep. I think I have a one with a resistor fix on it that goes across the board. I'll open it up, take a look, Rick. Yeah, the flying lead. There's a actual yeah. tech bulletin for that that yeah. describes how that is done. Um, did the uh, white cocoa ones? Did those use an F board in them? think so yes the tdp did as well if i remember yeah i think you're right and for those who are looking uh the c d and e actually have the letter c d and e it's down by the cartridge port at the bottom there uh the f board actually doesn't have a letter it just says i think it ends with 285 if i remember correctly yeah there you can see the dash that's, sheet, so that's, that's the right spot yep so no easy 64k upgrade for you and you can see here. It's this not bad on an E board. D boards and C boards was a yeah. real pain. Yeah. And you can see here. Here's that pin connector. That's why I, one of the reasons I was wanting to get that, so I could use a regular keyboard if I wanted to. I didn't have one of yeah. the uh, the chiclet keyboards. I could uh, use uh, that that adapter. Or you can get a key fix from a certain Rick Euland on the call. Exactly. Yep. I think I have one. I think I, I think I do have one of his kits. So. Oh, by the way, concerning to... uh, motherboards, uh, Franklin Harris says uh, our support wiki does. Okay. Oh, cool. I'll have to take a look at that. Well, that's all I have to share with you guys today. Cool. Haven't been on, haven't been on for a couple of weeks, so I had some things kind of kind of piling up. <laughs> and these are just new stuff. We haven't even gone through all the rest of your old stuff yet. We got from that big hole. <laughs> right. Right. Actually, I was going to ask before we let you go. Um, 
have you started like you were you were waiting to do some videos on some of that sort of presentation videos to do like pre pre can stuff have you had a chance to start on that or you just been too busy no that's still in the works there i uh that's one of the reasons why i want to get a better camera um that i speak of so um i want to get the camera and start doing uh start doing some videos and little show and tell um i want to pick up a few uh projects i i really want the I might do a little bit of show and tell to start, but what I really want to lean into is um, showing um, uh, to be able to show an item, but then also kind of learn learn as I go. Because a lot of the stuff, I, I don't exactly always know all the information. So I, it's something I'd like to be able to, uh, as I show it and people comment on it, uh, be kind of, you know, I learn something, they learn something or see something they hadn't seen before. So I kind of really want it to try to be a shared experience if I can. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Brian. Um, Mark, yep. did you want to do an ad before we get into Rob Inman, or do you or do you want to go straight yep. to Rob? Yeah, we hey, can go uh, into. I, I do have one thank acquisition, you. if I could share. Oh, you got a little quick one to update? Go ahead, just, Terry. Just a quick one. Um, so <clears throat> I was talking to this gentleman on, uh, actually, he was overseas. He was looking for a boxed um, CCR82, the little mini. Is that right? Cassette recorder, yeah. So we got to talking. I had a couple um, in the box with everything. So we made a trade. He sent me an Alice. An oh, Alice. Sweet. The official Alice, Alice cassette Red. Very, cassette very nice. Man. That's cool. Yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. It's. Uh, do you have a Alice to go with it? I do. I have a couple. I I, I had a tape cassette already. It came with the. You know the Alice version that has has the um, case and everything. It was like a all packed together thing, but that drive didn't work. So this one does work. I did test it, but came with their special cord and and they even had the book with it. So in yeah. French, in French, yes. Yeah, so yeah, and then it also came with. Sorry. I should have had these all out. Sorry. Dang it. I will mention that Sixy says in the chat, uh, oh, man, you won that trade. I'm guessing he was bidding against you on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> we, the guy and I, we've just been chatting back and forth. But he's got, uh, I really don't even know what the heck all this is. But Keezy's mentioning there. So he's. Yeah, it looks like he was trying to work on. Some project for that. So anyway, right. I, I just Hand, wanted to share that. Handwritten French. Yeah, we'll figure that. Yeah, out. I'm not going back. To <laughs> I think Mr. Dave speaks French, so we can ask him in the chat. You can scan him; he can translate. I might have to do that because I'm not going to learn French. <laughs> um, I I also can speak French. All right, then I'm going to send you that. <laughs> but you can can you read badly handwritten French? <laughs> oh, um, well. I don't know. I could try. Try reading. I think Fred was going to request that, you know, you have to send the cassette recorder. There might be some French on there that you might need to read. Uh. (laughs) That's all I got. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Very cool, Terry. I know Rob's got a fair bit to present here. Does anybody else have any quick updates or acquisitions they want to do before we do an ad break? Because Rob's will be a bit longer like Brian's. If it doesn't crash. All right. Here we go.
The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. The Cocoa Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Bateson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. And we missed something. Hang on. Where is it? There we go. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Mr. Evil Dead says, Greetings, everyone. My name is Matthew. Since the mid to late 80s I have been in some way attached to many of the Tandy Radio Shack offerings including Model 1, 2, and 3, Dragon, Color Computer 1, 2, and 3, and even the MC-10, I tend to lurk, and am fairly quiet until I am not, so I hope that I can contribute something useful to the group, and thank you for the ad. Cheers. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boys in Tech, Glenside Computer Club, Nightbeard, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. Because cocoing is better together. And we're back. There's always something I have to fix in each show. <laughs> Well, it, it's gradually getting smoothed out. <laughs> okay. Oh, really? Well, we, we're going to pretend it is. And up next, I think we've got Rob Inman. So this is something Rob was going to try to do last week, but we had a couple other guests that were taking some time. We didn't make it a six-hour show. Um, <laughs> so instead, he saved it up, and now it's going to be seven. Um so Rob, you were you. I, I don't know if you want how much of explanation you want to do, but you've been working on some stuff with EOU since the official version one got released. But you've been managing to test some of the programs to see what worked. Uh, yeah, Curtis, yeah. So uh, yeah. I had, <laughs> I boo booed and muted you by mistake. So please unmute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not muted. No, uh, uh, Curtis was. I'm sure that was a Freudian slip, if anything. <laughs> it's right next to the other button I was really trying to push <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know where I got cut off but basically what, what Rob's been doing here because EOU is is basically me and Bill for the most part doing it and there's some special projects done by a bunch of others whom I've thanked before um, but basically there's a lot of software that I haven't had a chance to test and I only want to put software on here that's kind of ready to go and I know works and uh, I've had to patch quite a bit, so I know there's quite a bit of stuff that got broken. I'm in the midst of patching about six or seven right now. Um, but Rob's actually kind of taken the the uh, 
bull by the horns, as it were, and he's actually been going through and testing it on his own and even fixing some on his own. So I wanted to talk to him about some of his experience of what what kind of issues he's hitting, what it takes to fix them, uh, which ones he's actually got working, because this will actually mean there'll be even more software ready on the next release than I was originally thinking there was going to be. So take it away, Rob. Yeah, well, thanks, Curtis. This is actually kind of a project I started way at the beginning of EOU, um, and I'm just kind of picking it back up because now we're out of beta. So I figured the gloves are off, things are stable. You know, I've identified probably 75 to 80 programs that can potentially be, you know, put on EOU in a, in a multi-view kind of format where you can click on it and stuff. And some of it I'm organizing in like, I'll show you in a second, like a communications pack, you know, and that could be something that is released separately, or it could be part of a future, you know, distribution release of EOU. And um, one of the amazing things about the Color Computer Archive is there's archives within the archive. So I'm getting into the the bowels <laughs> of uh, OS9 and Delphi archives and CompuServe. Um, and there's even more than you think there is when you just go through the, the archive and you search under OS9. Uh, I'll show you some things I've uncovered. Some of the things I've seen are could be considered scandalous. For example, did you know, and I think I can reveal here on the show, uh, that uh, Nick Morentes was a was a member of, no, not the Communist Party. Uh, he was a <laughs> member of the Australian OS9 users group in 1988. Yep. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busted. Yeah, that means that means he, it's out. Dude, you've been outed. You've been outed. <laughs> He's been designing that, means, that trash can for 20 years, folks. <laughs> and that means to me that Nick, because I he is listed in the in the directory, including his old address, if you if you care. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but that means he paid money to be part of an OS9 group. So I thought that was yeah. pretty cool. Honestly, I do you think he did it, it for the reviews. Free. Because he did reviews for Australian Rainbow and stuff like that too, and like he shot down rogues being old trash. And I think you did like what was the Cronus Rift. I think you liked. So you you did yeah, do some that stuff. Review. Yeah, yeah, he's got an excuse. He, he definitely does. And it sounds like it was free, so no money out of his pocket. Uh, <laughs> and I so, said, I still pay too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should pay you for this segment. But let me turn over and. <laughs> And kind of kind of stop talking and show you a few things, and you just tell me where to go, Curtis. And if, uh, if I don't even know what all you got in here, you just wing it. Whatever you okay, think is interesting. Me, somebody say asparagus. And so, Boat doesn't get... spend all of his time drinking. Maybe show a couple of games if you have any. That's okay. I... That's okay. It just makes me. We drink could. Better. All right. Well, I'm at. I'm. Uh, let's go. Let's go. So. First, I'm gonna I'm gonna build up, right? So one of the things I've been looking at is all the terminal programs, and so I've started to kind of go through which ones work, which ones don't, which ones are level one, and they're only 32 columns, so they don't they don't look right. Um, I won't show all of them unless there's something that catches somebody's interest. But um, for and ignore the the, the icon icons. that I'm using to test with. But um, these are some of the BBS programs that I've been um, working on just to make sure they work. 
I'll I'll show you a super supercon for the moment. That one was done by I'm trying to remember the original author, Randy Wilson, and then uh, Dave Phillipson, who's active Dave in our. Yeah. Yep. Oh, sorry, I have it backwards. Rand, Dave wrote the original, and Randy did the updates. But uh, Randy worked with Rick on the 16550 drivers for really high speeds. There's a special version is, of Supercom for that. This is specifically the Supercom for the high speeds. That was Randy's updates to this program. So interesting. And of course, Dave is still active, very active in our Discord. So if you have any questions about Supercom, the original author is there. Yep. I almost asked Dave a, a question and then I ended up uh, answering myself, but uh, uh, that is very helpful to have him. As as you can see, it's working quite nicely. I did have to install the T2, the you know, device driver and descriptor for uh, for my RS-232 pack, uh, but it is connecting to the uh, Wi-Fi, Cocoa Wi-Fi from Mr. Uh, Alan Huffman. And if you'd had the old Connect Pass 232, if you'd had the Fast 232 pack, you could set this to 115K, baud. Yeah. That's the patches in this program that Randy did, so it would do the alternate baud rates for the for the uh, Fast yeah. 232. So it, it goes further if you have, well, you don't have the. I don't have the, the right version, yeah. But but yeah, it would it would do weird things. Yeah, it also it supported really, auto uh, Z modem downloads and stuff too. It was one of the few programs on the Cocoa that yeah, did he, that. He did, did Z modem and all kinds of tweaks to get Y and K to do the right thing at faster speeds. So and Bill and I actually we did our own ver, uh, revisions to Supercom to speed up the existing RS two thirty two pack once with updated screens faster and did some other things. But unfortunately, that was part of the hard drive crash at work that we lost that code. We never released well, so, it to anybody else either, so it's not floating around, unfortunately. Yep, I'll keep it moving here with, uh, let's see here. Just show you, Telstar has a nice intro screen here. There's Telstar. There's a name I recognize. We're on camera, Lee, third. And I think I have them all set to 1200, yep. Yeah, I think that's the standard baud rate for Zy modem anyway. Mm, yes, but but I can change it. I've tested it up to 19.2. Um, quit is all day. Yeah, a of all things. Because that okay. that's that's intuitive. <laughs> <laughs> OS term is the one I used the most back in the day from home. Because uh, it actually could do it, it could actually host a mini BBS on its own. One of the few that, that did that. That's by Von Cato. Yeah, it's got some setup stuff I had to do. I think this one had some hard coding, if I remember, though. It had hard coded for the RS232 pack at the regular address. It wouldn't work with anything else. Yeah, there's a couple of files it, it expects that it complains about. But... I might have some of those kicking around still, so I'll okay. for you. It's not currently giving me a signal, but uh, you get the drift. Oh, there it is. Now it's working. Yeah. But this one you can actually set up, like if you wanted to give files to a friend, only legal ones, of course, um, you could actually set up in a host mode and set up a password, and they could log in and then actually download the stuff and add a little login screen and everything else they, they would see on their end. So you actually could host not quite a BBS, but it would be hosting, uh, you know, just for file transfers and stuff. 
Yep. And I do plan on testing the BBS software. The, the, that is a lot more, you know, time intensive. Yeah. And there's a bunch <laughs> of them. There's AP BBS, there's ribs, which was the FidoNet compatible one. Yeah. Uh, AlphaSoft sold one too. I'm trying to remember that. I even had built in multiplayer games. Any other questions about any of the other terminal programs? Um, got Bobby Term. I don't, I can't remember. XCOM 9 is one of the oldest ones that actually ran on level one. And that's the one Barry Nelson said he wrote some of it. I don't remember if yeah, that's the version I have. It was oh, primitive otherwise, but. Yep. Yep. It's working. Because that was the first uh, terminal program in OS9 I ever used. And you're an older version than this, though. Yep. None of them support ANSI color. Supercom is supposed to support ANSI, but. Um, OS, OS and, term and uh, Supercom should just support the color. It won't do the character set right because obviously the color character no. set's quite different. But. Okay. The color codes, they did both of those definitely to support if you set the terminal emulation to the right mm -hmm. setting. Because they usually had OS9, TTY, ANSI, and maybe one or two others. I can't remember. This is bringing back so, memories. <laughs> so one thing I'd like to do is is have every single application, at least for me, I don't know if it'll, you know, if it'll make it to, you know, to Curtis's concept, but to have every application have its folder and inside we'll have a documentation folder, source code, if the source code is available, um, and perhaps even a, like a reference card that you could load for graphically, graphically to see if, um, you know, how to quit and, and some of the commands. Well, that uh, actually, I'm going to be doing the help system for that because if you just click single one and then you hit question mark either with the mouse or just hit the question mark of the mm -hmm. keyboard, it's going to automatically fire up the help. And as long as you have help entered in for that particular one, uh, right. obviously, I, we haven't typed any for these ones here, but on, on mm -hmm. a lot of the other programs, I'm, I'm totally caught up. There's obviously some programs, even on version one, I didn't get help files made, but that'll be where I'll be putting the critical stuff like needs left joystick port. Needs two button joystick, Alt Q to quit or Control C to quit or whatever. That's all going to be in there. It's kind of like the WDH load or whatever the heck it's called in Amiga. WHD load. Okay. Um, but instead of bringing it up every time, because I figure if you play the same games or you're running the same programs and over, you really don't want to see that every freaking dime. So I'm just going to have it so you just do a question mark after you single click on it. It'll bring that up if you want it. But if once you're used to it, you don't need it, it'll just go straight in the program. Just double click. That's the plan. All right, let me let me uh, reboot to a different um, EOU that I have. Uh, oops. Some yeah, of the more double. graphical programs. Uh, so how big is your EOU disk image going to be after you get done with all this? <laughs> well, there's actually a fair bit of room. I mean, it's looking like it's about two-thirds full, but we've got a lot of assembly language source listings that were generated by the assembler, so I could check labels and stuff like that, which I've been keeping on just because it's a nice quick reference for me if I'm looking for a bug between two versions. But those don't have to be there. I can have those on a separate development one here. And they're huge. Some of those are like half a meg or something each. So yeah, I'll you can also off. put them on a different volume. That was uh, optional. So you don't have to load that if you don't need it. Yeah. It was just convenient for me because if I booted up the one hard drive, I had all that stuff sitting there. When we had lots of room, that wasn't a problem. But now that we're starting to fill it up, I'll probably be moving those off. Okay. So you're running through DriveWire here, it looks like? Yeah, my, my particular build that I'm working with is DriveWire because, as I was telling you on Discord, we have no real-time clock, so I've become addicted to DriveWire. 
we will never have a real we'll get a gimme x before we'll get a real-time clock um so you know that's just how i start to move things over download it from the archive you know add it to my drive wire and it's good to go right i can just start to test things i've got my ram disk now uh configured so you know i'm ready to start moving things into the ram disk if i want to tweak stuff in there um Wait, so let me okay. see how much memory do you have on that machine? Well, I have two megabytes. As we know, that doesn't mean a whole lot when you have a 64K total system memory space. So, you know, I am having some challenges with let the other uh, EOU that we were just showing with the terminal programs because I had to add, you know, I had to add the communication port and yeah, and a lot of those are buffers, larger buffers to be able to handle high speed. So you might be blowing like half a K or a K just on a serial port buffer, which comes out of that 64K system now. Yeah, I think we're pretty picky. Yeah. So have you yeah, thought I, about more memory? That's Curtis thought about more memory because that's where you would go for Yeah, it's 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 because we're running on an eight bit CPU. In, in the old days, you would have a separate boot like for communications that ripped out some yeah, of yeah. the cutesy things so that you had more room and you can't just do that with one release like EOU or everything. I was thinking well, you more. can with swap boot sort of swap boot. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking yeah, that, more of a Ram disc. Oh, yep. you can absolutely, if you, have, uh, if you have more memory, you can, you have a bigger yeah, Ram disc. You can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that still doesn't help with the system Ram space though. No. Yeah. But I, I would say for, for telecommunications, like, uh, probably none of us are using tele, you know, terminal programs on a regular basis. So that's not one anymore. where I, <laughs> yeah, not, not anymore. So that's one where I could see, you know, okay, I, I'm going to do some fun stuff with terminals. Let me swap boot over to an EOU approved, you know, driver pack boot pack. Um, so hopefully Curtis and Bill and, you know, we get something that's stable that people can easily you know, well, if you get a stable one that works, uh, I mean, just uh, make it and just send it to me, and I'll just, you know, just make a set. Yeah, I'll tell just you. Basically, just I start just, a file environment file in the OS9 boot, and you just swap through. So, I just took a guess and put the T2 and the other one, and it worked. So, uh, you know, I can let you know what I did. But, um, but anyway, um, let's let's. Uh, I have a surprise for Rick Euland. So, <laughs> so Rick, um, I was making a joke. I think of the chat last week that the best game on EOU is Thexter and the worst game is, is Dynacalc on EOU. And of course, by any objective measure, Dynacalc is a terrible game, but it is a great application. And uh, in my adventures, I found a very advanced um, uh, Dynacalc sheet, a couple of them, and I think it's much better than the sample one that we have on EOU. And maybe if Curtis likes it and wants to include it, because I think you can see how powerful Dynacalc could be. And I know you said that you ran your business um, on it at one point. Yeah, I've still got to resolve the uh, extension, common extensions. There's a few programs that interfere with each other. Uh, the G Calendar and Dynacalc is one. Yeah, so... Here's um here's Dynacalc um and Dynastar. Uh and I can those those launched fine. What I'm gonna do though is I wanna show this form uh 
It's an exciting, it's the 1040 tax form. Some poor soul put in like the IRS form into DynaCalc. And I don't know, like if we could find that person today and buy them a beer because- Is it is yours like Canadian tax forms where it changes slightly every year, so it gets yes. further and further oh, of course, off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me just change uh, here. Wait. Just use the keyboard. What do I do? Oh. So, question for Curtis: In the old days, when you went through the disk tree. The first time you hit .cal, that was the one that stuck. Yeah. Is that still the case? So if yes. you cleverly set up your, your organization, if you go one way, .cal is calculator, and if you go the other way, .cal is... Exactly. Okay. So is it just... If the that that system enough. has to change, but I'm trying to figure out a, a nice, clean way to do it without busting everything that's been done. Before. Well, it actually worked good for me because I could... For my root, if I went into my writing directory, then forevermore, I had the writing group of icons. And if I went yeah. into my reading directory forevermore, I had the reading group of icons. And so if you did different things and, you know. The, the problem is, is there's some some common extensions. Like when you do an AI file meant to be a file type as opposed to a program, that's one problem with Tandy Micro, the way they designed it. They've got the same thing being shared for both purposes, which causes problems. So like .cal is a G calendar default file for saving your calendar. Oh, so you can't overwrite it. And .cal for DynaCalc happens to be, you know, the DynaCalc spreadsheet. So whichever icon you loaded first, it thinks it needs that to launch it. So you might try to load a, a calendar file into DynaCalc, or you might try to load a spreadsheet into the calendar, which doesn't work. So I got to go through and either patch programs to change extensions or change the system itself to maybe override your current one with whatever the new one is you just loaded. So it, at least dynamically adapts to whatever folder you're in. Do we have magic numbers on files? Like what do you mean by stars? magic numbers? So a magic number so you don't need to know the extension to know the file type. Do we have anything? There's like nothing that? like that in there now. No. no. It's totally based on a three-character file type. I would go in there and change the line seven. Mary <laughs> smoking a joint. <laughs> so... Uh, I bet you didn't expect at the beginning of the show we'd be looking at tax forms, but no. it is the it is tax it's season. Tax season, yeah, yeah. So make sure you you do your taxes. Do I do not recommend uh, using uh, this one from 1986? I would unless you're filing with. back for 1986 because you're really well, that's, late. <laughs> that's true, and I still probably wouldn't recommend it. Um, but if you want to see kind of okay, DynaCal, it's there's no graphics at all other than the cursor. Uh, so it's totally made for like terminal, you know, 100%. It actually will run on a terminal. It actually yeah, has a terminal cap file. Yeah. So it's not sexy when you first launch it. And and we had a sample in there that like has, oh, I'm going to buy eggs and milk. And it's not very. But if you want to see what it's capable capable of, the um, tax form, you know, is very impressive. It's got, you know, you can look at the different formulas that it's doing, um, you know, we don't need to go through it, but if it's something that, um, you know, Curtis, you want to perhaps include in a future release uh, in that folder so people can kind of look at what a. Um, so where you know, would you possibly find a file like this? So it'll just be where 
it, you know, if it, if it gets put in the, the release and nice directory or something, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it'll be right in the same directory. No, I mean, how did you find it? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, going he was trying through... to use taxes and he did a search. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I Googled DynaCalc, <laughs> IRS. No, I'm going through a uh, archived. I don't know which archive it was. So it's an archive within the archive um, on the color computer archive. Right. So it's it's just like D and you don't know what's under D and you got to search for D and it's like something.ar so then i go okay well i'm curious let's move it over to in drivewire and put it in my ram disk and unarchive it oh the somebody you know and there somebody it made irs tax forms and put them in dynacalc this is very interesting well in fun fact if, if you want to play with old computers dynacalc is visicalc so you can get old visicalc stuff and play with it on your coco if you oh, okay to. i didn't know that so that's another um, I did, but anyway, and to be honest, I Glenn, Glenn's side, I think, still uses Dynacalc. Like some of their sign-ins for your memberships and stuff is, was done in Dynacalc for decades, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if they've completely switched off that now, but I think it's probably still in use. Is Visicalc for uh, Model Three Four? It was for all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it, it started in the Apple II, but uh, it got ported to just about everything. Yep. So yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that you could sort of mash into this to play with. So anyway, it's it's just something interesting. Um, and let's see if I can just quit this. Let's see what you want the manual for this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, trust me on that one. Um, Dynastar. Now I don't know why Dynacalc and Dynastar, and they seem like they're different companies. And then Dyna Dynacalc was sold by Tandy, but then it was sold by another company. So I don't know if they're related, but I put them. I re renamed. Yeah, I renamed the folder Dyna, and uh, here's Dyna Star, which has been ported to the Cocoa 3. And that's a word processor, right? My word Correct. processor of choice for my entire life until... That's a word star clone. Yep. yep, if I remember correctly. Same as uh, Screen Star by com uh, Computer. Yeah. It also works great over terminals and every other thing yeah. you can imagine... Yeah, the Dynacalc Dynastar stuff actually came up before the Coco, if I remember. That was like yeah, was not at the beginning, maybe Flex, if I remember correctly. Like that was on 6809 systems way before the Coco came out. Yeah, Dynastar was like a gimmicks, a big gimmicks app that uh, I played I tried it. playing around with Dynastore Dynastar a few years ago, and maybe my memory is failing me, but wasn't it originally for OS nine level one? Um Yes, I believe yeah, it worked yeah, on the so. word pack. 80 column card. Yeah. And well, so I had trouble just, running it under OS 9 level 2 for some reason. I just couldn't get it. Well, it was originally for not Coco. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, like you could buy it from Frank Hogg for 300 bucks or something. And you get it for gimmicks or smoke signal cheap then or, you know, all these yeah. other. So, so I never could get it working right under level 2, but apparently, obviously, you have. So that's. Yeah. There's a, there's a term like these, a lot of these programs use a term cap or term set or these different things. They basically define terminals and you'd have multiple ones. So you could define like Coco 1, 32 by 16, what screen codes move the cursor. Oh, clear okay. screen. Then you make so another one for level two with Windows, and then you make another one for 132 column VTE, whatever terminal. So there's some settings TV. file somewhere that I need to edit in order yeah. to make it work essentially. Yeah, yeah. term term set is what you need to change. But uh, yeah, I'll get with you. 
<laughs> so yeah, if we could get this program available on EOU, that would be great. Yeah, it's already yeah, it's already it almost is it already there? Is it already? There, there's oh, it's not on. It's, it's not, not iconized, but I, is it on there? I can't remember. If I put it on there. It's There's not a, on there. There is a problem with the way EOU does term set and the way Diana Calc wants term set to be done. I'll, I'll, yeah, there's, I'll term to cap, there's term set. There's a few of these different standards. Yeah, no, it's, it's you. You want to combine all EOU wants to combine all the terms together, and Dynastar wants them to be spelled out specifically. So I made a term set that works, but it's not the one that you've got. So I'll um, talk. All right. But anyway, sorry. Okay, Rob, let's go. Yeah. So uh, anyway, just to answer the question, um, it's just me digging through the archive. I found the, the dinosaur that's been patched for the Cocoa 3. So yeah, there should be I a dinosaur spell somewhere around there too, a spelling checker. Right. Yeah. So I can um, let you know where, where that is, uh, Fred. Okay, cool. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I'll send you that. Okay, here. let's go to something. Uh, Sexier. Let's see. Um, I guess we can go right to my favorite app. Well, let's see. Yeah, let's go to to the pointer editor. This is the the one uh, from Sean Driscoll, Driscoll with the Gwib. Um, and this one I did have to remerge. Basic 09 modules, and of course, I put the new ones in. Uh, it wasn't a big deal, but uh, it. Um, I really wanted to show this one off because it fully embraces the vision of multi-view. Like it, it just adheres to the whole, you know, every multi-view rule. And I've never seen an app that's done this before. So one thing, uh, it's currently in the system colors, so the colors aren't aren't correct. But one thing I discovered as I was, and I think it's this particular app, uh, when I launched Fred's control program, it ended up kind of correcting all the colors back to the G shell colors. So if I do this, there we are. And by the way, Fred's program works wonderful in uh, within this program. Uh, but let me get back to the the main screen. Um, let's see. Just open new. Here we go. So, how is that coming across? Pretty good. Cool. Like um, it's a little dark, hands. but that's just because of the pose. Is this an icon editor? Yeah, it looks like an icon editor. Um, yeah, this one's for pointers. Um, oh, okay. Oh, nice. Yep. So, I'm, I'm not a big <clears throat> pointer guy. Like when I see it on the you know, there's a pointer editor on Windows, and I'm I'm pretty happy with an arrow. Um, but there's other reasons to have pointer editors. Like if you're having programs, you know, you want the, the the mouse pointer to do different things when you're clicking on various parts of the application. So this is definitely something that I would think you know would get some use. Um, trash can is the I think the original multi. Yep, that's the stock multi view one. <laughs> <laughs> Looks lame. But if you ignore that. It, <laughs> that it's not the improved Nick Morente's trash can. Um, <laughs> you know, you go, you launch this from, from G shell multi-view and all of a sudden you're in a very familiar environment. The trash cans in the same place. Um, the, the menus are in the same place. You've got your Tandy menu with, you know, you could, you could open the calculator. Uh, the only thing that that breaks is the calendar because that's been changed for 
for um, EOU, but but basically everything works the way it's supposed to. And the idea of multi-viewing, correct me if I'm if I say this wrong, Curtis, was you know you would you would have your Tandy menu with all your your you know quick launch you know applications that you'd be able to launch from wherever you are in the operating system. Yes. And so uh, Mike forgot his last name starts with an H. Holland. From Hypertech. Yeah, Holland. I think that's how it's pronounced. I've met him a few times, but I haven't seen him in quite a few years. Guy who did MB yeah. Canvas. Oh. oh yeah, that's right. So um, so this might be fun once we can figure out the uh, how to tweak the um, you know the color uh, setting. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Um, well, there's two things. One, I noticed there's a thing called hit point, and this is something Rick Adams was asking me at the last Cocoa Fest. And I remember reading that there is you can set the hit point. Like, what is the active point? of your pointer because it could be upper left corner and arrow, but it might be in the center of an hourglass or something like that. And I couldn't remember if there was a way to do that or not. And I forgot to get back to him on that. So I feel stupid, but uh, it looks like there is because he's actually got it set up here. Um, yeah. But the other thing is, is, is this written in C or assembly? Do you know? Uh, I don't remember. And if you don't know, I know how to tell if you want to go back to the GUI to G shell. Uh, okay, sure. And if you've got it still selected, uh, mm -hmm. Go to files and do dump. Excuse me. <laughs> Not do a dump, but to dump. oh wait, that's the actual icon. <laughs> I got to look at the actual. Uh... Oh, the executable. Yeah, if you go to another window, just type dump slash dd slash command slash endpoint. Uh, dump slash dd slash cms. Isn't this riveting TV, guys? <laughs> Believe if you see not, the word actually, stack overflow go by fairly quickly here, then it's a C program. I'm actually and fascinated by this. This is this is good. I'm liking this. It's space. Just keep hitting space. I just got to do about the first two sectors worth. Yeah, stack overflow. That's a C program. Okay, okay. you can control it and get out of that. He didn't happen to upload the source for that, did he? Possibly. I can't remember, but I'm keeping track of that on my spreadsheet. So okay. I'll let you know. Um, let's go to something for Rondo Lowe. Let's go. Oh. So I think Ron, you're a big fan of that, um, cartography mapping program that, um, we have now. Well, I found a pro astronomy yeah, program, yeah. Astronomy program. Yeah. And I found another program on the web. Now it's not very impressive. It has a very good icon. It's not particularly, um, impressive, I guess. That's supposed to, to be the world. Yet. Yeah, it's supposed to be the globe. Um, but you know, maybe this is something that um, mm. you, you can play around with, Ron. To, to I've entered some of these. Um, I don't even know what know. half of these mean. I don't know what half of it means. <laughs> They're projections of uh, maps, different projection types. I recognize Mercator and orthographic, and the rest. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> so I'm not going to do it. But basically, you provide the input it wants, and then it says, you know, okay, I'm going to draw something, and it will it will draw it, um, and it says, you know, this might take a while, but this is a multitasking OS. Go do something else, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure that it's doing what it says it's doing because what it draws is not very interesting. It's very small, but it could be because I'm not understanding what it's asking me. So that might be something that Ron could look at in the future okay. um and if it was more visual i would i would continue it but it's not very visual 
Another thing that seems to be popular with the community uh, is the Mandel. What do you call it? The Mandel. Mandel Mandelbrot. The, the next release of EOU is going to have Fred's hyper Mandelbrot program in it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, uses a, a multi-view style environment. It, uh, and it also generates Julia picks, which. Yeah, he does two features. different sets, not just Mandelbrot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I found this one called Mandel 09 for basic 09. I think there's. Um, that sounds like mine. <laughs> could be one of my test ones, too. I don't know. Nope. Okay, that's pre-generated. And um, this, this is, is not mine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So this it sounds like, like a preview, right? Yeah, it's that's pre-rendered. Splash screen. Yeah, that's pre-rendered. And then I ask you, you know, you want to dive in deeper? Um, you're going to change the color palette. All this good stuff. And if I select zoom in deeper, it gives me a, um, I, you know, a mouse icon. I can click on a section and it will start to, um, well, we didn't do this before. You ran out of memory. <laughs> <laughs> right, clicked on too many things. You have to probably close that other program first. Yeah, I won't do it because it's obviously uh, takes, you know, hours and hours, but um, but also, you know, you can do, go do other things on EOU while it's, while it's drawing. So um, it's cool, about, it's mouse. What about viewing the previously saved screens? Are those hard? They take no. a lot of memory. Um, but the problem is, I don't have. Oh, no, you don't memory. have any. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But you would just, <laughs> you would just, uh, you know, enter the file name, and that's right. something maybe we could have a uh, sample. You know. Well, Fred, Fred's lets you save samples like that, if I remember correctly. Right, uh, yeah. What uh, what file format does this program save images on? Any I idea? think just VEF, the standard. Uh, VEF. Yeah, mine uses VEF. But um, I found a bug in the save routine that I got to fix. So, yeah. <laughs> so EOU 1.1 is going to be packed with Mandelbrot. Yeah, yeah some of the stuff I did back then for saving images was PCX because it was RLE. So it was nice compression. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, Basic 9 Mandelbrot programs I did. Some even run in the text mode so they don't take four days to run. Because they're pretty low res, but they're they're in there. I was using it for basic nine speed tests. Looks like Ed Point is not exiting cleanly. So <clears> another reason that. to have more than one Coco set up. Right? Let one crank away. Yep. On the other. Yeah. Or you let it run in another window and you go play Thexter, one or two. Or in my case, you put one on fire in the shop and then you have the one left in the front room to live on. Yep. Yeah, I usually am editing source code in the other window, so I have lots to do while it's running. Well, and since we're on the, the subject of taxes and finance, uh, I know I know the audience is clamoring for more. But uh, I did. <laughs> what audience did are you watching? <laughs> there's there's six people here that are interested. But I did find another checkbook app because you know that's a. A need that we have, but you know the whole the whole point of all this is that some of these things are completely out of date. We don't have any use for them, but it will inspire you to know, hey, they existed, they were out there, and maybe I could write a program that's that does something that you know in a modern way. But so we do have a uh, Curtis has a, a checkbook app from Alan Huffman on 
EOU. I did find another one uh, here called Ledger. And that's something we could potentially add in the future. Um, and, you know, um, it is what you would think it is. And you can start to budget your trip to uh, Cocoa Fest. Oh, there you go. Now we get a real application. Yes. Mm. I'm already in the hole. So uh, here it you goes. Know, you need, I, need more than a thousand. <laughs> I'm going to start, you know, you know, uh, Ron, I'm on a budget of a thousand dollars for Cocoa Fest. So well, you'll um, get halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can hitchhike and save some money that way. You might well, be dead by the time you get there, but you might find a couch halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and as you know, every year I write a whole lot of personal checks uh, on my way, especially to pay for airfare. They love it when I bring out my personal checkbook. But um, oh. When you're at the supermarket, that's a great place to do it, right? When yeah, there's a long line, line of people at the Yeah, cashier. it's either that or, or dig out exact change. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that actually happened to be this morning. With a check this morning. Lots of pennies. <laughs> yep, but I think that I think we have the basic 09 code for this, and it's just, you know, it's you know, you can you can play around with it, see how it worked, and then look at the code. Um, and maybe there's something that, you know, might interest you with that. But uh, but anyway, it, it all seems to work. Um, we don't probably need to go into that anymore. And I don't think I have Stylograph working. Uh, I did want to, I have a couple of utilities I want to show. Um, Edcon does not work. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to click on that. Let me see here. Let's go to. Let's go to data windows. Uh, database programs. I was, you know, yeah, the sculptor. There's. Uh, I was trying to windows. find. I was trying to do this myself a few months ago, like trying to find alternative database programs that run under OS nine. Um, I've got D windows uh, that I see you have there, yep. and sculptor. But I was kind of looking for something else too, and uh, so yeah, I'm really interested to see what you found here. The the light and the light light sculptor has SQL. Unlike the early sculptor, and you can get sculptor with SQL for the cocoa. So SQL on the cocoa is a thing. I've got sculptor, but I haven't really ever used it because I looked through the manual and I just had a hard time wrapping my brain around everything in there. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a major major program. There's also a DBase three file exporter. You can actually read DBase three uh, databases and have an export as I think it's called common delimiter or tab delimiter camera. But you can you can read from it, but you can't write back to it, unfortunately. I haven't tackled Sculptor yet. There is uh, OS9 Profile. There's a bunch of others that would be part of like a database pack. Um, you got to tell Brian thing. there's an inventory program there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thumbs up from Brian. <laughs> uh, so since Data Windows was, was mentioned, I will launch that. That is going to open in the system colors, so it looks a little bit. Yeah, off, I've got to change. That's one change I want to do to G Shell is add an option in the F5 where you can tell it to use the G Shell palette. Now it appears to be fully working. It's a little bit quirky, and of course, it doesn't. Uh, you know, this is thirty-five years ago. Thing things don't always work exactly like a modern application would would 
you'd expect. But I think the idea was you could have many different databases and open multiple windows on the screen. Um, let's see if I can get a, you know, in some of the way that they, they love the word window. So in this program, so let's say like open window and you're like, well, what, what is that? Well, that, that just means open a, a database, open a program that it's, you know, that you've created, you've created a database and it, the window is just a layout of your, of your database. Let's see if I can load something here. Okay. Um, magazine. I think we want to open. So a little bit hard to see in these colors, but, um, you know, basically you can go in on a different screen, you know, set up that you want to keep track of your rainbow magazines and, uh, and then you can start to enter them and, uh, you know, put your issues in and save them. And, uh, there's other ways to, you know, merge different databases of different sizes, uh, to import and export databases and then, uh, flip through all the different records, um, when it's in a little bit better color and easier to see and you can play around with it a little bit more, um, you know, that might be something we could, we could revisit, uh, if there's interest around some of these database programs, but it's a little bit, uh, probably dry for the show. So any other questions about data windows? I'll, uh, Nope. I remember, uh, we got it from Keith for work. I don't think we used it too much. We used more of his, uh, alpha soft, BBS stuff. We used to have a ton of that stuff at work. I'm, I'm really interested in this. So, um, you know, uh, I encourage you to keep going with this. Um, I, I did find a database program, which name, the name of it escapes me right now, but which, uh, looked like it was pretty fully featured. It, it didn't run under a multi-view style environment, but it did have mm -hmm. like, it was like in a text environment and, sure. and it had pull down menus and stuff. Um, but I, couldn't find any documentation for it. So I've been kind of like through trial and error trying to figure out how to use it. And uh, um, I'll, I don't know, maybe I'll send you a message on Discord once I fi figure out what program it is. And maybe you already have it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe maybe I have. I'll, I'll tag you to the marketing channel where I'm kind of keep track of that stuff. And maybe okay. we can put our heads together and find some of that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Neat. I mean, and as mentioned in the chat, Mike Miller said there's, um, he says, I have Sculptor, but it's definitely pre-SQL, but I know there was multiple versions of Sculptor for the Coco. Um, and he said there's also RMS and CSG's IMS. That's true. The Clear, Clearbook Group did the IMS one. And both of those, if I remember correctly, were actually pre-Coco ones, too, that got ported to Coco 3 afterwards. And uh, so one of the things you can do with Data Windows is it lets you launch parts of the program as its own module. So I guess... Um, you know, it's not it's not that interesting to show you, except that if you just want to run a report and, and you can just launch the reporting module, which isn't a big deal now. But I but back then when, you know, you're using a disk drive and things are slower and you, you might be using stock OS 9, you know, being able to kind of um, have a shortcut to, to be able to just do what you want to do. That's kind of cool that they they set it up that way. Is DM, this, yeah. oh. Go ahead. is DM disk mate? Is DM disk mate? 
It is not. It is called Data Manager. And I, so, yeah. I don't have it fully. Well, I don't. I don't want to say I don't have it fully working. It's not fully working. Um, okay, so DM3 so and all of that. It's not. It's not affiliated with the um, DeskMate three. So, but DM Tree is something I do want to show you. I'm just gonna. I think DM is Disk Manager. Yeah, DM is Disk Manager. That's what that stands for. And if I, uh, that's gonna crash if I launch that. So I'm not, not, not gonna do that. Uh, DM Tree is for disk, and and I think HGM Tree is for uh, hard drive. If I can jump in really quick, mm -hmm. the commands directory in EOU is so big that it kills all of these disk management things. You're right. So it, it, do, it does. There there are multiple ones that EOU kills because there's just too much crap in the command directory. So yes, you cannot use one of these to um, organize the commands directory. It will sell tell you there's too many files as you've. Pointed out, Rick. Well, anything that goes by it, if it drives past it, it crashes. It's something that needs to be addressed. But it's yeah. all because. Go to be yeah. honest, the the file system was designed from day one to handle a directory that size. The program should have been written to handle that. Right, but they weren't. So yeah, you got to budget. Something. Even level one allowed that. So yeah. that's just sloppy writing. But yeah, so we'll I mean, see. one example is Home Publisher has all of its graphics files hard coded to be in the commands directory. They're graphics files. What the hell are they doing in the commands directory? That's so like that's one I have to publish because there's hundreds of those. Maybe that's what we should do: is uh, somebody can take on a project of writing a new disk manager tree well, style program that can handle large directories. Well, um, or if you could just put icons in a subdirectory of commands, you know, that kind of thing, that would make life so much easier for all of these old programs. But I don't know how you do yeah, that. Yeah, the, the system the system would have to be changed in order to know how to access those subdirectories, though. Well, right, but we have guys here that change the system all the time. Certainly, <laughs> <laughs> like you're volunteering, Rick. <laughs> they're looking for things to do, so well, yeah, you might have to teach me a few things. But okay, <laughs> put hours in. This is why I've not put everything on that I've tried, because if I find any glitches and weird things, I try not to put them on. There are some stuff on there, like LS, for example, bombs on big directories, too. In in the author's defense of this program, it will say, I found too many files. I can't do this. It will not crash. It will let you, you know. Exit gracefully. Exit grace gracefully. But I've been using it because, you know, as I'm testing out these programs, I got to go back and forth to DriveWire. Here, I just asked it to search this um, archive uh, disk that I have in DriveWire. So I told it X0. And now I've got, uh, you know, all of the stuff I want to go through. You can see this is the A's. And some of the, some of the programs you recognize and some you don't. So you got to move them over and... and um, um, the, the one thing that makes this not a killer app for me is that for some reason it doesn't want to copy to the RAM disk, which is the number one reason I need it to do that. But, but it has been useful, you know, off and on, I've been able to kind of save some time and be able to, uh, go through some stuff quicker than I would have. Yeah. I think Alan's, Alan Huffman's towel does some of this type of stuff too, if I remember. Maybe not quite as extensive. Yeah, I've got a beef with Towel just because, and I don't know if it's maybe it's not you know running the way it's supposed to, but it it just doesn't use much of the screen. So 
I, I don't know why it's just kind of, it doesn't like the whole rest of the screen is totally blank. And with this one, I feel like, you know, I, it's kind of more efficient in terms of screen real estate, but um, that's my particular bugaboo. Um, hey, Rob, I found the name of that, uh, that database program I was talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, Data Master. That's okay. I have that installed. Mm. Have you found any instructions or doc, uh, you know, docs for it? That's the one by CERCOMP, isn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, let's see. Uh, uh, no, it's by Computerware. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, sorry. So DM, sorry. DM stands for Data Master. Right, and I could I can launch it for you, and if it crashes things, I just might have to right. re uh, reboot. And, and I have it; I can run it. I just don't know how to use it because it didn't come with any uh, documentation. Let me know. Oh, if there this it is. is it. Yeah, DM. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I didn't see that before. I, I didn't. Well, I didn't put two and two together because I couldn't remember the name of the program. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so, so that's it. But there's no documentation. That's the problem. I don't know if you ever found any. Uh, I don't remember. If yeah. I did, but I'll go ahead and take another uh, look. I think um, my big problem here is I think if I press a key, it just uh, locks up. Yeah, it just locks up and says waiting for response. Yeah, so it, try pressing a key like D or F or something. See if anything happens. Nothing. Or, oh, oh, wait. It's doing something. Oh, yeah. Try hitting the slash key. Try hitting the slash key. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I figured out that much. <laughs> Well, there you go. It's it is working. Yeah. Because of course, whenever you launch an application, you should have to know know to do that. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like I, you know, how I found out the slash key trick is just I was just hitting random keys until something did something, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, but it doesn't. I don't. There's no documentation, so I had to figure that out by trial and error. And there's probably a lot of functionality I haven't figured out yet. Because I don't have docs for it. Yeah. Okay. I'll but loop it, back. You know, back. Yeah. It seems that. like a pretty fully featured program. It seems pretty nice, but um, I I don't know all that it can do. Yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, I can. I don't want to uh, make people wait too open. Can I open something? Uh, no, I can't see what I'm supposed to open here. Hmm. So I don't know. But uh, that might be something for a future demo if we get that working. Um, and then I can go ahead and quit this. All right. Uh, let's see. I only have one or two left here. Uh, let's anything in utilities um yeah so one of the things that i've been looking at or thinking about doing is kind of menuing applications where if you have a lot of stuff in the pro in the anyway i'll launch, launch i found a few menuing programs that have already existed and let me show you them. Uh, and I have some sample icons, so ignore the icon. But this is PT. And basically, um, 
can't I don't think it works with the commands directory, but it, I think uh it's not it's not really a directory. You can use it that way, but it's um really you can set up um a list of programs that you want to launch. Um well this one's a file man actually PT is a file management um is is file management and then the other one I'll show you in a second. Uh, let me see if I can go into command, see what happened. How about that? Change slash vd slash commands. Oh, it worked. Okay. So who was saying you can't do this on uh, here, Rick Uland? Here's This is your application. <laughs> uh, anyway, this as long as it didn't cut directory. it short. <laughs> yeah. This is the whole commands directory right here. Mm. Nope. No, there's more. There's more than that. <laughs> oh man, there's pages and pages and pages and pages of commands. Oh, I got so excited. All right, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, it's it's all. Like, like I said, the, these types of utilities should have been designed within the OS limitations because the OS was designed in 1980 with those limitations built in. Right. And, they were all thinking uh, floppy disks. How big yeah, is the, that's the problem of the floppy disk going to be? That's what I need to handle. Like the gimmicks people when they wrote stuff didn't do this stupid mistake because <laughs> right. they were expecting hard drives with large directories. The thing is, you, could, you, you can't just tell the user after the fact, well, by the way, move all your commands around and put them in separate directories and set up all your scripts to do that. Right. Because that's just a real pain in the butt and they shouldn't have had to because if the operating system lets you do stuff, the programs running under it should be able to let you do that too. Have you played around with a multi-menu? I think that one's coming up. Ah, okay. All right. Sorry. Oh, cool. Stay tuned. <laughs> didn't mean oh, something to, else. Didn't yeah. mean to. Well, let's get off this one because it's buggy. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, so that is a bug. But other than other than the commands directory, which we know is an outlier, it works. It works great and provides you a lot of options to do with files and directories. So this this one's the file management system. Um, and let's honestly go for back. this kind of thing, I would probably use M shell because it actually does handle huge directories and it also handles uh drive wire. It even does its own updates over the net. Yeah, it, it is slow, as but you it, know, it, it so. takes a lot of RAM. Yeah, that's the only thing. I do love M shell and I do go in there for certain things, but it is, um, you know, if you want something quicker, uh, PT might be your thing. This is another short program by the same company called M. Uh, and this is like a menuing program. So you could have, um, I mean, this could, this could appear when you started EOU, if you're not a G shell person, or even if you are kind of, cause my, my concept was as a multi-view, as it keeps growing and we get, we get, you know, dozens of more applications, you might go into like the communications folder and there's so many in there and you want to know, oh, I just want, I kind of want to just flip through them all without having to kind of, you know, click and go into each, and you might want to see them all on one page. So basically this is a menuing program where you can do kind of anything you want. It, it'll do directory stuff. It'll launch programs. It'll like, if I, if I go down to this games menu, uh, I think it will, sh well, okay. It's not, it's not really set up, but you know, it will send me to uh, sub menus so I can launch different utilities it's really it's totally uh, configurable with a text uh, text you know file, and um, you know anyway it's just something cool and like 
like kind of most ideas, right? Most ideas have been thought of before. And as I was thinking of kind of cool launcher utilities or things that I might want to do, it turns out, you know, it has been done before and it was kind of a kind of a cool little quick and dirty way of, you know, being able to launch stuff really quick. And when you launch it and you quit, it'll go back to this menu. Um, and so you can kind of go through perhaps your, you know, if you only play a couple of games, you don't care about the rest, you know, you could just put them in here and you don't have to navigate through uh, G shell if you didn't want to. And then maybe you could, you could actually have a, a menu item here that says launch G shell. So you could be like, okay, I want to go into G shell. Um, but when I open ELU, I just want like a couple of things that I usually do. And I want those to be immediate as a menu. So any questions? Hey, Rob. The natives are getting restless. They're starting to throw vegetables. Are they? We're getting asparagus? Asparagus? Yep. Okay. Broccoli, Broccoli, asparagus is a bunch of them. Another right. clear form. And you vegetables. want to see multi-edit and then one more? Here. Who was asking about multi-edit? Fred? Uh, I mentioned multi-menu. Uh, uh, okay. This is um, something different. Because multi-edit, I'm trying to remember, is this the one that edits the icons and the AF file simultaneously? So I think you're thinking? right. That would be cool. Okay. Yep. You're right. Yeah. So, this one, I think I tried and there's something I have to patch for it. Uh, yeah. I believe this is the one where the hit point is not lined up with the mouse a pointer. So if I think. Yeah. There's a scaling problem, if I remember. Yeah. Like I'm clicking. Like Probably a thin color other than white. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would help. Yeah. There we go. But it's not well, it's not quite right. Yeah, I had to fix it in super right too. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yep. Some of these programs were left scaling on, but they considered it only be a 192 pixel high screen. And now the, a lot of the windows default to 200. The scaling gets off, and the further down you get, the further off it gets. So you start clicking, and it's like lighting up the pixel above where you're supposed to be going. But Floyd Resso, the author of this, the same guy did Gem Quest and some of the games we've got on there, that space app that just came out in EOU1. Is his too. Most of his stuff is written in Basic 09, which means I can decompile with Wayne Campbell's uh, decompiler. So this is one of the ones on my list to decompile and fix the scaling problem. Okay, we'll move on. Keep things uh, ending. We'll wrap things up here with. And maybe I don't have multi-menu, but I'll take a look at that uh, offline, Fred. And then let's go into just uh, the graphic apps. And. Uh, just pick when I'll show you what's going on with that, Curtis. It's going to launch with the system colors again. Okay, it's it sometimes launches, sometimes doesn't. Let's see. Yeah, I guess I should figure what's doing that. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, a different error. That. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here. Try one thing and then okay, close the window. Yeah, if it's a memory thing. Yeah, let's see. Might be something else, though. All right. Well, anyway, um, that launches, but it says it's a, first of all, it says it's the demo program. and um, But it's a cool little uh, Basic 09. Uh, looks like it was written in Basic 09, and it's a, another graphic program. So 
just uh, a lot of like stuff. A graphic editor, or what do you mean, like a demo? It's like a MV Canvas. Oh, okay. Yep. So, live demo. The the natives are restless. I will turn it back over to you guys. And looking forward to connecting with uh, Fred and Rick and everybody who were commenting on more testing. Yeah, I, I I applaud what you're doing here. This is great. Um, this is kind of the sort of thing I was doing for years before I got involved in EOU, and uh, but you found a ton more stuff in a sh lot shorter amount of time than I did. So this is great. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, and I know some people have been complaining, like, why isn't this program on there? I remember playing this back in the day or whatever, and this this is the reason why, because with different screen resolutions and. A lot of stuff was written, too, before people knew how to write for a multitasking operating system. So they would just take a basic program and convert it over. But then they would, like, forget put buffers as a big example. Some people would just hard code the group. I'm going to group use group three. And then other people did what you're supposed to do, which is to use your user ID number to identify the group or your process ID number, I should say, so that you can keep it unique to your own app. But the hard-coded ones, you'd run a second app that also was hard-coded, and all of a sudden, all your get put buffers are the wrong size and the wrong colors and... You know, programs would corrupt each other and screw each other up just because they didn't know you're in a multitasking operating system. You have to be aware of how not to stomp all over each other as you're running. And uh, there's some programs that just need to be written to take that into consideration, which I've gradually been doing as I've been finding them. Some others, I mean, you know, Mike Holland obviously knew what he's doing because a lot of his stuff does do exactly what it's supposed to and it doesn't interfere with each other. But not everybody knew that back then. It was all new. Do I need Wait. to show Thexter for uh, for Boat or to wake him up? Or well, I didn't know if you had any new games that you'd found that uh, no, aren't on there. No, I didn't. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I know there's a few I'd like to put on there that I'm missing files for, like Wild West Poker is actually quite a good poker game. But I'm missing a couple critical files for because I only got a partial recovery from my drive. Hold on. I don't think I have anything too exciting, but there might have been something I put in. Strategy. Oh, Tasman. That's the one. See if it's working. I heard the Coronas Rift has a good review. <laughs> <laughs> Rogue didn't, though, to you, though? No, no. So, so here's Tasman, which is a very graphical... Uh, I would say it's a version of one of those BBS games where you've got to manage all of your spacecraft and stuff you know an um, economics game buying and selling and establishing new markets but it's exactly. unlikely it's like out in the galaxy in, in space um i've played it a, a bit and i it, it i found it really hard to find new planets to uh, uh okay. to explore and to trade with and and gave up after a while <laughs> So there are some issues, but if you if you say continue, I want to continue a game. It does appear to work, and it's uh, this is one of those where I had to merge like the newer modules in and do some stuff to to get it to work. But it's um, it runs really fast, probably a lot faster than it did when it was new, and you know, it I remember be, it being old and kind of slow and clunky back in the day when I first started playing it. I'm sure yeah, he speeds it up a lot. Absolutely. So just something that's written in basic, it looks like. Yeah, it is. It is basic 09. And um, it's, it's pretty. It's fast, thanks to what Curtis has been doing. And uh, more to come.
Back to you, Curtis. Whoops. Sorry, I was muted. White um, cop. <laughs> exactly. Asparagus, come on. Um, yeah, Tasman, if I remember that, actually, if I remember the original company that did it actually made a disc basic version and an Ostein version. So that's actually when you can play either way if you're into that type of game. It's like Zone Runner type thing. Uh, and I can already tell from there, from the way it was kind of painting, trying to do your selections, and it was missing in chunks. <clears throat> Probably another scaling issue where it's scaled from 192 is what the program author did it for, and, and now we're running in 200s. So the scale's mm -hmm. a bit off. So that's uh, probably why I know I had to fix the Qbert 09. Actually, that wasn't due to scaling. That was due Robert Galt did a change to the line command to make it more accurate. But some of the programs that were written when it was less accurate tried to do like paints and stuff based on the inaccurate one. And now it was missing. So instead of painting a little square when the Qbert hopped on, I would paint the whole friggin' screen in the background instead. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's just stuff like that I got to go through and patch. And that's what I've been doing. That's my life these days. But if you, as long as you guys are enjoying like the EOU releases and having fun with it, then it's it's I guess it's worth it. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely <laughs> worth it. <laughs> some days it doesn't feel like it to me, but yeah. Break Hopefully, time. we can take some some of the burden off of, off your shoulders when it comes to testing and things like that. Yeah, at least it narrows it down. Like I've had a chance to try half that stuff, so at least I know which ones need to be fixed and which ones actually we just need to get organized where they're going to go. Get the help files made so when you do that question mark thing you can quickly learn how to get out of the darn thing and or what you need to plug in to get it to run do you want a commercial break there uh mark several i think cleanse <laughs> <laughs> the palate a little bit yes Hello, this is Mark Siegel, product manager for the Color Computer product line and designer of the Tandy Color Computer 3. And I'm proud to be a citizen of the Coco Nation. Shall we play a game? Making games for the Coco for over 35 years. 
go to my Coco Games website at www.nickmarentes.com for information and pricing of my later games as well as downloads of many of my older games. Coco 2's got personality, lots of practicality, fun, it's sensational, learn, it's educational. Coco 2's expandable, so easily commandable. It's programmable, so term exam grammable. Just you and Coco 2 do what you want to do. Coco 2, the color computer with personality from Radio Shack. Sale price for Christmas giving from $149.95. Radio Shack's Coco 2 do what you want to do. Just you and Coco 2. Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Slay the Nearises, Neeries, or however you say it. We had a total of 23 participants. We had Exile in Paradise with 1151, David Craker with 1480, Coconut Bob 1505, Pedro Pena, 2992. Sloopy Malibu, 3816. Nine Finger Tom, 4242. Mark B, 4393. Terry Steggy, 5722. Choked on mine. Share Squid's <laughs> son, Michael, 6465. David Ladd, 7319. L. Curtis Boyle, 7789. Canadian Retro Things, 8440. Fred Provencha, 8960. Ed Rhodes, 9919. Share Squid, 9998. Kieran, 10329. Jim Rye, 12414. Sabhead, 12709. Mr. Dave, 6309-13339. Boat of Car, 16977. Tasman, 23166. Rich N, 23365. And the number one score this week was... Is... Buck Owens with a score of 53,691. He's more than doubled everybody else. Holy cow. And we will see you again next week. Wait till you see the high score in the... Uh... Yeah, so Buck Owens uh, definitely beat everybody there. Holy cow. <laughs> Just by a little bit. But let's see here. I can um, get some uh, pride back for Canada when I show the... Uh, Number one score in Rainbow from, I believe this was September 1984. Um, anyways, 344,115 by somebody from Vancouver, British Columbia. And second place is PEI. And second place so is Prince Edward Island. So the wow. Canadians really dominated in this game back then. 
So I don't know. I think that if uh, with practice, that would be a possible score. 344,000. Holy cow. <laughs> wow. Especially since there was a good, there was a pause feature. So you could pause the game and go away and come back later. So I managed to find one, um, one review of this. Uh, okay. Where did it go? I know I have it here somewhere. Oh, well, just a second here. I got to share the screen again. Right. Okay, there we go. Uh, one review from June of 84, I believe this was. And uh, this reviewer um, was very impressed with how fluid the um, the graphics were. I'm sure there was no pun intended there, since this takes place underwater. Um, and uh, the DAC says the documentation that came with the game was adequate, but you can probably play the game immediately without ever looking at it. And it's a challenging game that can be enjoyed by the whole family. The sounds and graphics are both very well done. So. Yes. Um, so that was the only review in Rainbow I could find. So. What did other people think of this game? I found it uh, quite a hard game, but it was a pretty good port of uh, Centipede, I thought. It, it had a couple things a little bit different than Centipede, which actually was yeah. refreshing in some ways. Um, I, I, I'm still a purist because I really love the original arcade game, so I'm, I'm, I'll just stick with Color Pete as my favorite. But it, it it's a good one. It's It's got enough differences to it that it doesn't feel like a complete bite by bite clone it's actually got some yeah. originality well, as, as was uh, mentioned in the uh, chat of the in the um uh the discord channel uh they had to change enough stuff so that they didn't get sued <laughs> but uh yeah i i kind of like the fact that you had to actually shoot everything twice it extended the levels each level a little bit further so you would shoot once and it would go back to the top of the screen and come down again then when you shoot it the second time, it would uh, kill it. Yeah, yeah I, I liked the game. I thought it was really challenging. Uh, it is kind of hard, uh, but not like horribly hard. You know, I I, I found it uh, a lot of fun. Um, uh, and I would say of all the centipede clones on the Coco, this and Colorpede, I think, are the best. Colorpede might be slightly better. Um, I've played both games a lot, and mm -hmm. uh, I know we tried yeah, the others like Kingpede and Megapede and Caterpillar Attack, Caterpillar Attack Two, Color Caterpillar, etc. I, et I haven't <laughs> tried all of them, but you on your games website, Curtis, you uh, you have screenshots of all of them, and uh, I'm I don't know if I have all of them yet. I think I'm well, maybe not all, but well, you have a lot of them <laughs> anyway, and a lot of them look terrible. I think <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, at least visually, this one and, and Color Peter are the closest, and and I think probably the best. And the fact that this game gives you, like Curtis said, a few differences from the original Centipede, it uh, makes it a little more interesting because Centipede is one of those games that is remade on every system a million times. So yeah, and this one speeds up as you get towards the end of a level, right? Yeah, it kind of does the Space Invaders thing, where uh, the less 
bad guys. The sprites it has to move around, more time it has to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> it goes faster and faster and faster as you get to the end of the level. So and, and all of the sound effects are are uh completely the same as the game microbes. Yeah. Um that, that was the spectral associate sound that I think Tom Rosenbaum originally did because he yeah. used it as so Lancer it and have, Pegasus and <laughs> Yeah, it probably doesn't have the best sound effects of of the various mm. clones, but uh, you know, because I could, uh, you know, because it's to me, it's like just a rip off of the sound it's, effects. It's got very <laughs> familiar sound effects. Yeah. Yeah. It's comforting, yeah. like a warm blanket. Yes. <laughs> Sixty in the chat says, "I grew up only knowing Caterpillar Tech. That was the Tom Mix early '82, so one of the earliest cat- centipede clones we had, and that was the one that Microdeal, I believe, sold for the Dragon. They didn't have too many options." Unfortunately, I like a lot of the ones what, that we liked are the ones that were designed for artifact colors, which, of course, they didn't have. So they kind of stuck with the ones that were done in P-Mode 3, like Caterpillar Attack, the original. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't know. It's in, I didn't uh, score all that high in the game, so I didn't have any tips and tricks. But um, did anybody else? I know Buck Owens had posted something in the... Uh, in the uh, Discord channel that I forgot to queue up, but uh, basically he's got a section where he uh, just traps the fish, I guess they are, that's not really a caterpillar, where they just keep going up and down in one little spot, and then he just picks off uh, a bunch of spiders, or whatever they are under the water there, octopus. Octopuses or, or something, yeah. Yeah. They still look like spiders. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, there'll always be spiders in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to say, with practice, I got a lot better at uh, hunting the spiders. Uh, at yeah. first, it was really hard. But after a while, I got the hang of them and got familiar with their patterns of movement. And and uh, and you get you get better at hitting them after a while. So that well, that, that and helps I f- boost up your score. I did find that if you uh, didn't shoot any of the uh, caterpillar, we'll just call it a caterpillar because it's easier. And uh, picked off a bunch of the spiders until the caterpillar was about three quarters of the way down the screen. Of course, the spiders are going slower, so they're easier to shoot. Yeah, Alan, is that coming? Right. Daddy says an, octop- an octopus is just a wet spider. <laughs> <laughs> a spider of the sea. And for what it's worth, I pronounce the game Nereus, but uh, you know, I, I understand there's differing opinion on that. I'd like to, like this. This is from when around Mark Siegel was actually in charge of a lot of this stuff. I'd like to ask him. I forgot to ask him on the interview. Like, how yeah. do you pronounce that damn thing? I believe it was Mark Siegel also that said that they changed it just enough so that he didn't get sued. So, yeah, yeah. So he probably knows how it's supposed to be pronounced. So, well, I'm pronouncing yeah. it the Canadian way. Nearest. Oh, it's nearest. A. <clears throat> That's what we call. <laughs> Now, due to the new format, for those who have not watched the show in a while, um, there's actually two games on simultaneously. Yes, so that ended this week. And Ken, what's the other game that was on for this okay, week? Okay, well, um, I guess I will jump into the uh, Thursday night show. Um, I don't know, is Sloopy here to talk? Or? I don't see him. Oh, yeah. Well, he's just got a flag up, so... Um. Okay, so on Thursday night, we were playing both these games, which were uh, Slay the Nearest and Buzzworm. Let's 
So Buzzworm is, um, <clears throat> I guess, uh, what's the name of the game that it? Nibbler from the Nibbler. arcade. Yeah, Nibbler. Or as many people found on their old cell phones, the old flip phones usually had a game of Snake on it, which was similar. So I see a theme here uh, with this week's games. Uh, both games uh, feature creepy, crawly things. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I intended. <laughs> <laughs> totally intentional. <laughs> but we will be playing um, Buzzworm for one more week. So um, it's also a very good game as uh, you um, go through and eat the dots in the uh, maze, but you have to avoid uh, biting yourself as your tail grows and grows and grows the more dots you eat. So. Yeah, I'm sure there's also like bonus familiar. rounds yeah. and timers. And there's also every fifth round is a bonus round, and there's uh, three different bonus rounds that you have, and I won't talk about them this week. You have to play the game to find them for now. Yeah, this is one of the ones, like, uh, there was already an RGB patch for it, because this is one of the ones that uses a pure P-Mode 3 equivalent for the color. So if you twitch the screen and then you change the palettes on a Kogo 3, you can actually duplicate the artifact colors perfectly. This is one where I preferred the original artifact colors to Mr. Dave's patch version of it. One of the very few where that's happened because he just the green and the yellow to me just doesn't doesn't work for it. Sorry. No offense, Mr. Dave, but and I'd be interested to see how uh his patched version looks um when you play two players. What color does the snake come become as the second player? Because as yeah. it is right now, if you play two players, the first snake is red, this and player two snake I think is blue. It's a, it's a fun little game. I mean, it, it was sold by Novasoft, which is Tomic's cheap subsidiary, so the prices were like mm-hmm. 5 to $10 cheaper. And this one, I think, came out, it was only like 18 bucks or something like that. So it was, it was a bargain game, but actually, it's a pretty fun one. It's pretty close to the arcades. Like, the mazes are the same. Uh, some of the bonus round stuff's the same. Um, if you've ever played Nibbler from the arcade, you'll, you'll be right at home on this one. And I do think that this actually would be a good game for Tim and AJ to play on Sibling Rivalry. Yeah. Since it does have that two player mode. Hint, hint. <laughs> yep. Hint, hint, hint. Um, so uh, on Thursday night, we, I don't know if Sloopy's back to actually talk about the actual broadcast. Uh, nope, he's not. So I will talk about it. Yeah. Also, uh, if anybody has any tips or tricks in playing Slay the Ninja. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess um, we'll talk about that for right now. So, anybody have any tips or tricks for Slay the <laughs> Near eye. Stay away from the edges of the screen because you'll you'll eat an octopus. The corners trap you badly. Or the octopus will eat you. Yeah, yeah you can get trapped. I noticed that too. It's kind of, yeah, stay away from the edges. In the chat, Mark says, Near E us. Nereus. Well, that sounds like what I was saying. Nereus. Yeah. Nereus. Okay, cool. cool. My, my only recommendation or, or tip on this one is uh, don't try to pronounce, pronounce the name out loud because otherwise you might get called into the hospital thinking you're having a stroke. And what is the <laughs> plural? Nereus? Nereus. 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 Did anybody try playing this with a trackball? 
I did not. I did not bring my trackball out for that one. I don't own a trackball, so no. I will try it out if anybody wants to send me a trackball. <laughs> oh. Well, this one doesn't track the uh, analog joystick, right? Yeah. If if uh-huh. um, if you're going to Boat Fest, mm-hmm. uh, when you come here and we go down to Cocoa Fest in April, how about if I lend you my trackball so you can try it out and then you bring it back to me in Boat Fest? Or I could just drop it off when I drive through Saskatoon again. Either or. This tracks the stick, right? So the trackball would be perfect for this thing. No, I don't think it does. No, this it, one does not track the stick, though. It uh, oh, it, it just has directions? Yeah, it's just directions. So It probably wouldn't work as well then as a trackball. Yeah, because the trackball does the wrong thing for a trackball, and then this does the wrong thing for a stick, so they wouldn't match up. But you can I play this track- one with a digital joystick, so it made it easier for people running emulators to play. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Oh, Buck Owens himself has a tip. He said, I did best just shooting the lowest thing on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I know with some of them, you do get more points the closer they are to you. So if you don't know what to do, just shoot in front of you. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently Samuel Gines has some thoughts. I don't know if we want to know what they are. (laughs) Run for the hills. Give it a whirl. (laughs) <laughs> so quick Ken, i have a question for you um just in general on, on now that we're doing these two games staggered a week apart mm-hmm. do we allow tips and tricks for the game that's still going for a week or does that kind of like hold cards to your chest and uh, i don't see why not i mean the whole idea is for people to have fun playing the game and some ticks and tricks yeah those things could help people to play better so i guess does anybody have or if they're getting frustrated might help them like oh if i do that i can play much better yeah okay yeah exactly so for buzzworm um i don't know what any tips or tricks could be other than uh don't die (laughs) i I guess the only tip and trick i I noticed when i played it briefly because i wasn't able to join for too long is steer a little bit ahead when you're trying to go around because if you let it go a little bit too long you'll skip past where you're trying to turn and then you'll like chomp your own tail or something um one thing about it too actually when you're coming up on an intersection that has a choice you don't actually have to turn right away because it will stop and then you can decide which way you want to go oh i didn't even realize that (laughs) yeah so actually that's a better way to do it it will automatically turn you if there's only one way to go and that one way isn't to kill you. But, uh, yeah, so if you come to one of the corner areas, it'll automatically turn you. But if you come to a T-intersection, it will stop you unless one direction will turn you to kill yourself. It'll turn you the other way automatically. Okay, I did not know that. <clears throat> it's when you hit a section where there's only one turn and it kills you that it will still it'll stop. And let you just sit there and go, yeah, I'm going to die. <laughs> okay, that's actually a really good tip then. I might have to try that one again if I get time. And um, another tri- another uh, tip is that if the dot is really close to your snake body, don't try and eat it because the hit detection's a little bit off. And you'll actually, I guess maybe you'll bite the body before you chomp down on the dot and it will kill you. So if the dot is a couple of pixels away from the body, don't try to get it. Oh, I know another tip. Don't eat the egg. 
Yeah, don't eat the egg. <laughs> yeah. That's your free man. I, did that <laughs> I thought you had to earn your free man by eating it. So that's what I did. Nope. You get a thousand points, but you're still eating your young Hardly and not getting a free man. <laughs> I got corrected on that on the live stream because I didn't know that. <laughs> I haven't played this game since I did the original web page entry, which is years ago. So I co totally forgot a lot of stuff. Although sometimes it will put the egg in a position where you can do nothing but eat it to get both dot to get the dot. Like it'll hide the egg halfway between two dots that. So no matter which way you go at getting one of the dots, you'll eat the egg. So that happened to Sloopy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a fun little game. It's it's not supremely complicated or anything. And yeah. like I said, it was a budget title, um, but actually a lot of fun and really close to the arcade. And uh, yeah, so on the live stream, we had, I think, up to five people playing at once. We had a couple of uh, lurkers in the background talking to us as well. So that's always appreciated as well. So um, yeah, mostly we played uh, Buzzworm, but a few people also played Slay the Near Us. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think everybody was having a lot of fun at it. So just a reminder that the uh, live stream starts Thursday nights at 4 um, p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is you figure out what time that is for you. Where <laughs> mm -hmm. is it? Five. Pacific it's, Standard Time. It's 8 Eastern, so it must be five. Yeah, it's five Pacific Standard Time. Sorry. But if you want to show up early. Yeah, if you want to show up early, go right ahead. <laughs> you can start playing the games whenever you want. And to join that, you just join the, the Coco Discord. Yeah, you it's just free, go to the Coco Discord anything. and uh, join the uh, live voice channel and share your screen. And uh, it's on any mode you want to play it on. A real, real hardware emulation. You can even just go to the archive and hit the play now button and stream that. So yeah, it's not on Zoom then. It's not on Zoom then. It's just it's through. not on Zoom. It's just no, in the so uh, Discord. We have oh, one okay. person streaming it, but it's in the Discord channel that everybody's playing. Okay. So yeah, I guess now, uh, uh, Mark. I'm I'm getting some hints here that uh, Samuel Gimes has something to say about the game too. Mark Bosley, I should say. Um, Did you receive that, that? Not that made it before showtime. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, well let, let me uh, let me have a look. Well, we'll oh, have to maybe play gee. some thoughts on the game after the segment. Okay. Uh, so, if you don't mind a little bit of, uh... well, hey, let me uh, let me see if I can let me see what happens if I just do this. Oh boy. <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, and Mark's going to do look. this. So, good night, everybody. Coco Thought. <laughs> Hold my beer. By Samuel <laughs> Guy. Slay the nope. okay. It's on your private S world. Stand by. I couldn't hear it either. No, okay, so it's in uploads. Um, okay, hang on a second. I'll Actually, Mark, while, while we're doing this, yeah. one thing we should ask you what is the deadline for submitting stuff that should be? What, what time should they get stuff in for the, you to accept in the show easily? Uh, a couple hours ahead. Um, 
also depends <clears> if I catch it or not uh, and whether or not uh, OneDrive behaves properly and I get it. So also um, send Mark a message if you're sending it at the last so minute. So to be completely safe, if they upload it the night before, because we yeah, I'll find do it, it in the morning. That then morning, I got, I got time to do it. But yeah, if it's last second, definitely send me a private message or something. Let me know it's there. I'll go looking for it. Um, but let me uh, uh, go over here. Okay, now, this is an old one. Don't Coco worry about Thought it. By Samuel um, And as soon as I select the correct file, we if will a color computer fell in the woods. And and now. Oh, Amiga's regular game here in, in the chat says it was working, Samuel so I guess the stream Guy. heard it, but we didn't. Slay the Nuri, you have to fight it undersea. Slay the Nuri, the Manta Ray wants to kill thee. Slay the Nuri, Death Charge fall <laughs> to the sand. Slay the Nuri, there's no one to give a hand. Slay the Nuri, <laughs> why didn't you just stay on land? Slay the Nuri, sit on the <laughs> beach and get a tan. Slay the Nuri. No, you had to make a stand. Slay the Nuris. Slay the Nuris. They hold you. They hold you. <laughs> they hold you in greatest repute. <laughs> so, of course, we got to ask for the honest review here from Mr. Ron Delvaux himself. What did you think of the return of Samuel Gimes? It's the Sam rap. <laughs> I love them. I can't get enough of them. Please play more. <laughs> now. Okay, now I think Ron's had a stroke. So uh, please no, it's the new do a follow-up, check in on him. It's the new year. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. And uh And you're wearing earplugs right now, aren't you? <laughs> yes. I am. No, those headphones are a decoy. Yeah. The man tries. Give him, you know, some credit, right? <laughs> I mean, he's got to actually watch us react to it. So, <laughs> unless he doesn't. <laughs> anyway, that was awesome. I, I'm, I'm glad that he reminded us. Uh, but yes. yeah, try to get your stuff in the night before if you can. Just because Mark's, I mean, especially, I, I don't want to get into too much personal stuff, but he's got some personal stuff going on that he might be yanked away at a moment's notice. So he needs some lead time to be able to, to try to handle this kind of stuff for the next while. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I, I didn't uh, see it in time, uh, to add it. So. Hmm. And somebody wants to know if there will be a Samuel Grimes concert at Coco Fest. <laughs> By all that's holy. I hope not. <laughs> we will just have a Samuel have a Grimes corner. Where there is Samuel Gimes twenty four seven going on for the entire Coco Fest, you're Samuel Gimes karaoke. You're giving me ideas. <laughs> every one of these, so be nice. Now I know some people have complained that the jam session this last year was too loud. That's because Samuel Gimes was about to come on and sing, so we tried to drown him out. We were helping you all. That's what oh. we were trying to do. <laughs> all right. Well, Put Samuel in in his own room and have a concert in there. I think the lavatory's free. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good echo. Yeah. yeah. Samuel says he actually has to wash his hair that weekend, so it sounds like he won't be able to attend. <laughs> Much to our dismay. Oh, I'm just surprised he has hair. <laughs> All right. Shall we see what the new game is for the next two weeks? 
No. No, yes, please. <laughs> okay. Whoops, hang on. I got to fix uh, fix this, this damn Zoom again. Uh, Sixty go said, Sixty said he heard Samuel Gimes' coroner, which sounds like a better idea. <laughs> okay, as I said before, okay, um, we've got Buzzworm, which is going for um, another week. So this one will be ending <laughs> this coming Friday. And the newest game that we will be doing is Tetra. And the reason that we are doing that is in two weeks, the author of Tetra, Brian O'Neill, is going to be one of two guests. Uh, the other guest will be uh, Chris Spry, who wrote the music for Brian O'Neill's third game, um, Pack Dude Monster Maze. Yeah. And that one we've that already covered. Yes, we've already done Pack Dude Monster Maze, so... Um, so oh, yeah. Brian, Brian and, and uh, Chris will be on in two weeks, like not this next Saturday, but the week after that. Um, Brian has done three Coco three games specifically. Um, the first two he did were Tetra and Pack Dude. Those were both freeware. You could just download them on CompuServe or Delphi. So he was actually releasing machine language games for free, which was a bit more rare back then. And he was, you know, kind of doing stuff within the first couple of years of the Coco coming out. And then, of course, Pack Dude Monster Maze is, is a great game. 512K vertical and horizontal hardware scrolling, multi voice music that Chris Spry wrote. Um, Mark, the uh, screen is a little screwed up. Uh, oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> you can see the top of our heads. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Zoom. So that should be a really interesting interview. I know. Uh, We've been trying to set this up a couple of years ago, and then we couldn't get a hold of Brian at the time. Chris is actually in our Discord, and he's actually working on some hardware projects, which he'll also be talking about uh, during that. And we'll also catch up with Brian to see you know, where, he's, where he's at, what he's doing. And I want to mention Brian, uh, Pack Dude Monster Maze, uh, came out late enough in the Coco's life. I think it was only 1992 or 93 it came out. So it didn't have much advertising in Rainbow because Rainbow shut down in 93. Um, so he eventually decided with with chris to release the source code and you can get that on the archive or on my site so if you want to see how to do a game with you know multi-voice music in the background with full hardware scrolling vertically and horizontally uh for a maze that's much bigger than the screen you can actually download take a look at the actual comment source code from from brian himself so we might even discuss some of that and then uh we're i haven't got official <clears throat> Uh, confirmation from the other person that we're going to have on, but uh, Ron Delvo helped line up an interview with a guy named Joe Sig Sigler. Uh, he was a um, a Radio Shack manager, but he was a Radio Shack manager in the San Francisco area in the mid-70s. I think he said he started with uh, Radio Shack in 73, but he was right in Silicon Valley, so he was attending some of these early meetings that you know Wozniak and Jobs and Steve Bjork and others were at at the time. And uh, he's done an interview with the uh, Trash Talk, the TRS-80 show, uh, several years ago, I think three years ago, maybe, uh, where he talked about some of the history of that. But uh, we're going to try to get a bit more in the Coca specific if we can. But he was one of the ones that when Tandy, before the TRS-80 Model 1 started to take off, they actually sold computers made by other people very briefly, and then they got shut down. And then he helped upset the actual computer centers that Radio Shack had. So any of you have ever been to a computer center, he was one of the people integral in getting that going. So we'll probably talk a bit about that too. Um, 
but it sounds like he's got a lot of interesting stuff to talk to. He stayed with Bayshack until about 84, 85 when the Tandy 1000 came out. So he definitely was there for the first few years of the Coco. So we'll see if he has any interesting Coco stories or setting up exhibits in the computer centers for the Cocos, et cetera. So uh, we're hopefully going to get that confirmed this weekend uh, for sure. But it's planned to be that's the interview next weekend. And then the following weekend after that is Brian and Chris. And uh, Mark, I've only got a few stories for the Game On News, so I think I'll just go straight into that. Don't even bother playing an intro if you don't want to. Um, oh yes, we got to do. We have to do this intro. Here we go. One we must do the intros. Aha, uh-huh, we must. Mark B has a whole mess of it. When you want the latest in TRS eighty, Tandy, Dragon, MC ten and all of their hardware cousins no matter what it takes or where news breaks from around the world to your nation the coco nation news with l curtis boyle I that disagree. Re- we really didn't have to play that at all. <laughs> well, well, that was re- revision 2.1, so that's a premiere. <laughs> that was epic. <laughs> None of your hair burned on that one. Yeah. It, it used uh, to flow. <laughs> it used to be much next. longer, I'll say that. Obviously <laughs> photoshopped. <laughs> yeah. Bring back the mullet. Yeah, if you could dig through Alan Huffman's old pics, I definitely have some of those kicking around. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me grab the window I need here for the Game On News. There's not a ton, but uh, enough to cover a little bit. And then I've got a bit more on the news news side, but not not as much as last week. So you guys seeing that? Yep. <laughs> nice graphic. Yeah, so this is the channel, Chronologically Gaming, um, that I've talked about before. And he's basically going through every video game made on every platform, every console arcade games the only thing he's not covering is like minis and mainframes and he's not covering anything that's extremely adult uh let's say so he's in the late part of 1981 this week and he does this five times a week he's at uh 8 p.m central time i believe he starts live on twitch and then he posts on youtube the next day so if you don't watch it live but he has he's actually interactive in the chat so I've been helping him with some of the Cocoa history. In fact, I am working on an update. If you look at my game's webpage, I have one of the clickable links there is to what I was planning originally of having a chronological listing of Cocoa games. And actually, because I've been helping him with some of this stuff there, I'm actually going to finally update for that first time in probably 10 years. And I'm actually going to try to go from 80 to through 81 complete of every game I can find advertised at 6 to 8 micro, 80 micro, rainbow, color computer news, etc., so hopefully I'll have a, a more complete list. Some of the games we do not have anymore. I will mention them on the page. Uh, but some have been missing in the sands of time. I'm actually going to start compiling a list of those and see if we can have anybody digs through some old disc and can find some of these missing ones, especially these really early ones. So the one he did here is Pac-Tech by Computerware, which was our very first Pac-Man clone, predating Ghost Gobbler by, I think, almost a full year, if not more. Um I have, I have everybody on the panel, I'm assuming, has seen this at some point and heard the great sound effects when you die. It's like oh, yeah. fingernails on a chalkboard combined with a blender. Um, so I'll just play a little clip there. But 
I think he did an Apple II one for the other one. We're not getting any audio here. What's that? I'm not, he I'm not hearing any audio. Can't hear him. Oh, okay. Let me stop sharing and try resharing it. I thought I had clicked that. Nope. Apparently I did not. Thanks for catching that. Sure. Let me know if you can hear it now. City Coco. Let's yep. pop it and see, which means it's September 15th, 1981. And this is PacTac. No, I, I, I did a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of research going through old magazines looking for release dates. And most of the time you have to go by an ad and, you know, it appeared in the October 1981 issue of Rainbow or whatever. And then you kind of guess it came out, you know, the month before. So magazine lead in times. But there were a few that they actually had specific release dates, even on the Coco release stuff, which kind of surprised me. So that actually was an accurate one. Anyway, I won't play the review there because I'm sure you guys have, have played back. And you should go watch his channel anyway. Um, but he did it. He hit a couple one because now we're getting into late 81. And he's going to be doing a kind of wrap up 81 that they didn't have specific dates for. There's a ton of Cocoa games that qualify for that. So there's more coming. Um, but the next one he did, this is a, a, a bit of a different one. So Starbase Attack from Illustrated Memory Banks. Do you anybody on the panel here remember? Illustrate Memory Banks, IMB, um, with Fred Skirbo. He used to publish yep. a lot of the games in Rainbow later on. In fact, he took some yeah. of his old commercial stuff and published it. The, the Rainbow listings are the ones I remember. Yeah. Um, if you go back to the earliest days of Cocoa in 81 and early 82, he is, his uh, software firm was actually fairly successful, and they were rather unique in that all their games were written in extended basic. There was no machine language to be had at all. And he was one of the early ones to actually figure out the artifacting, so he was actually using artifact graphics on these early games. So Starbase Attack is kind of loosely based on Missile Command. I'll actually play a little bit of this one because I'm sure a lot of you probably have never seen it before. Uh, but you can see what you can do with Extended Basic there back in 1980. And this game is something I can't even find any information on as far as uh, box art or anything like that. We're just going to pop it in and play on the Coco. So here we go. This is October 1981. And we're playing... What's on the disc? Let's find out. This is Starbase. So we're going to do run. And you can barely hear it. They're trying to give us some disc sound effects in the background. That's meme. The, the favorite option meme is screenshot for this game, but it's still very rare. So uh, we got two choices, regular or speed up. Let's do regular first. Give that one a shot. And IMB game there you go starbase attack for your trs-80 coco all right you got two different options warhead attack or asteroid attack let's start with warhead attack if i remember right he did that font and like the other games uh, in the coco, and released this one uses that as analog a controls yeah i think he did so i am not firing anything right now i'm just moving the joystick around it's automatically selecting a position oh interesting so I'm moving the, the, the joystick around, and I'm not firing. It's automatically sh uh, shooting a shot, kind of like, I guess, in the same vein as Missile Command. But it's uh, the cursor is moving where I can't see it, and it's automatically shooting a, uh, a shot out for me in the direction. So it's almost like I have to anticipate where it's going to be on the screen. Oh, they got me on one, one of them over there. Uh, they blew up. Now, one thing you figured out later is you actually have shields for your center city there that you can actually turn on. You can see the counter on the bottom there, uh, shields, and that you have five times you can set it up to actually block shots. And then the other one just has different shapes coming down, just asteroids. But I mean, 
for an extended basic game, and especially considering this came out in you know late '81, you know a year and a couple months after the Coco was first released, and extended basic actually was a bit delayed, so it's less than a year after extended basic came out. I was just wondering for you that I'd never seen it before. What, what did you guys think of it? And I also want to mention that Phantom Eight Bit in the chat here mentioned he had several of the IMB games, and he said he doesn't remember any packaging other than the cassette case, and that this is one of the games he had. So what what is your guys' opinion? Because I mean, most of the time we're used to the Coco games being you know machine language or at least a hybrid of machine language and basic. And these were commercial. These were sold for like fifteen to twenty bucks at the earliest you know couple of years of the Coco. But it's masterful. I couldn't have done this in basic at the very end. You know, eighty seven, eighty eight. This yeah. is great. This is. And he's he's living within the limitations, like rather than having to you know move crosshairs and stuff that would take extra CPU time and, and basic and slow it down. He no, just he has it, it so again. that you're invisible wherever you're holding the joystick. That's where it's firing. It auto fires every time, so it keeps a consistent speed too. Which it made it a gameplay element, not a short shortcoming of the computer, which is yeah one of the things they did back then. Yeah, I like it. This is I would have liked to bought this back in the day. It would have. Yeah, especially at the earliest time. Because, go ahead, Dave. I was just saying it would have saved a lot of money I spent on other games. <laughs> well, the thing is, too, I mean, because these were selling for like eighteen to twenty bucks on average, oh, fifteen to twenty, I should say. Um, there wasn't a lot of third-party software out there at this point. This is very, very early. Um, so you would go to Radio Shack and you see a cartridge for like forty bucks, <laughs> and then you can get like two or three of these for the same price. Yeah, it was kind of like the uh, the type-in book games where they were a little bit more than what you would find in the magazine most times. Not quite the same as, uh, you know, a commercial cartridge or something. But, you know, the book games, um, especially the ones from up in the in Canada, those book games tended to be a little bit more on the, the high-res graphics side. And they tended to be a little more out there with trying stuff. That's definitely what this reminds me of. It's like the color space adventures all those where you know it's always high-res graphics there wasn't anything semi-graphics about it even though it was all still in basic yeah and and, and for doing early experiments with with artifact colors i mean this one he didn't super design the artifacts some of it's just kind of accidental but definitely the cities he he had figured out odd and even pixels you know the cities are blue the rockets are generally red type things. So he had kind of figured that out. So this is one of the earliest ones. I think Color Berserk was the other one I remember that early on. Because most of the time, you know, people treated it as a two-color mode like the manual set. You know, you just get fringing because that's just TVs, right? But well, you know, the Apple II people problem, have been working on this. Because if you just pick random pixels and set them white, you can't read it. He yeah. did some effort to make it. It's fringy, but it's nice. It's readable even though the colors change, which yep. doesn't just happen. You have to, <laughs> you have to do that. Oh, yeah, I found him to say, sorry, go ahead. I like the city rendering down at the bottom. He did, a, he put some real care into the graphics. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Phantom 8-bit, I think that's James Diffendaffer, if I remember correctly. I uh, said he ran a deal with a 2 one price. I do remember those. Um, and he got this one in a space board game. And one of his magazines was Star Trench Warfare, and then he had advanced Star Trench Warfare. So there was one he sold commercially that was more advanced than the freebie version he gave in Rainbow. And I know he did some others like Alpine Aliens, another artifact color game that he did. And that, that was the first one of his that I ever saw. Um, Sixty said, the blind joystick positioning aiming reminds me of a Dragon user game type in game called Laser Bike. I've not seen that one. Yeah, 
Hmm. But yeah, it just goes to show, I mean, we've, we've talked about it before that the Coco had one of the best basics around and one of the best basic manuals ever. Um, and this this kind of shows you could actually write an arcade game. I mean, it's not going to be smooth or, you know, for voice music or anything in the background like a machine language game, but you could make a playable game that's actually fun. And you still can. So I know some people like Richard Kelly are still doing that to this day. He keeps posting new stuff up on Facebook. So it's it's cool to see, you know, even back in 81, which is now 41 years ago. We're doing that already. Next up is uh, he did another stream where he did Polaris. And this one's done by Device Oriented Games, which is basically Robert Arnstein, the game same guy that did like Project Nebula and a bunch of others too. He also did uh, Rakitu, Bedlam, and Pyramid 2000 for both the Tier City Model 1 3 and the Kogo. Um, it's one of the ones where he didn't sign his name to it, but Device Oriented Games was his company, so I'm pretty sure it's him. Um, but they, he, he's pretty impressed with this one because not too long before this, he'd played the arcade version, which is a classic. And then he played the Atari 2600 version, which, of course, has it's like defense, like the one Ron likes. You have the one shooting spot in the middle and everything comes from there, just reloads missiles. This plays with three separate keys like the arcade. So I'll just play a little bit of his reaction here. We're now playing on the TRS-80 Coco, and this is Polaris. Polaris? Polaris? Let's see what Polaris is all about. Take a look at the box first. And right off the it, bat, this, I find it funny because it never had a box. Somebody faked the box here. <laughs> every other cartridge game on the TRS-80 color computer. Let's see if the back of the box is anything exciting. And no, no, it does not. Uh, Radio Shack just has uh, liability, responsibility. It's pretty much looks like a contract on every, <laughs> every Cocoa box. TRS-80 Cocoa box. All right, so for the manual, no, let's see what Polaris part. is. seen that one for a manual on the TRS-80 Coco. All right, here we go. It is November 1981, and this is Polaris for the TRS-80 Color Computer. All right, so right off the bat, let's choose one or two players. I'm here solo this evening, so we're doing one player. And, oh, that's so cool. So this is, I'm putting my fingers on the Z, X, and C on the keyboard, and Z is the left sub. Yep. It's just like we're playing missile command and keep in mind when we played this on the atari 2600 and the atari home computer there was only one base in the center and you didn't have the choice of, of of having three different places to shoot and now we got it plus we have the analog controls of the trs 80 coco so control wise this is the best home port of uh missile command that i've played no it ain't so far actually i would agree with him on that one i, 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 I can test you on that one wrong but that's personal reference three different places to shoot and you it also depends if you're used to the atari 2600 version of the arcade way actually than the joystick uh for the atari 2600 it's a good review i mean he gives reviews at the end too where he has a half star rating system from one to five and this one he he almost gave it a five and then he backed it off a little bit to a four and a half because he, he thought the sound on the original and the Atari versions were better. I like the sound on this one, actually, myself. I, I like the explosions and the zzz, you know, when the when the missiles fire. So, But yeah, Ron, he'll be reviewing Defense when he gets into 1982, so we'll have to see what he thinks of that one. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, five days a week, 8 p.m. Central each, each, each weekday evening, and he covers for about an hour each show. 
He covers, you know, like I said, home consoles, home computers, um, including ones overseas, our, our actual arcade games. So sometimes you can watch the evolution, like the arcade game, and then three months later, the first clone showed up on the Apple, and four months later, the Coco one did or something. So it's kind of fun going through. I've actually seen some games I've never seen before on on you know arcade or other platforms. Next up, uh, Nick can talk about this here, but he did a revamp of his web page, and some of you have probably already seen it, but for those of you who are not, you know, Nick worshippers and, you know, keep track of everything he does, <laughs> um, he's revamped his sales page. Originally, he had it set up so that every page for each of his games was a separate one, and you had to order from each separate page. Well, if you're new to the Coco, or you just got back into the Coco for the first time in 10 years, and Nick's got a lot of cool stuff you want to get. You'd have to go click on buy Joey on this one, go back and then find the next one and do that. Well, he's revamped it now so that you actually got them all. You can click on any one. You, can, you update your whole collection in one big shot here. So uh, well, and you can still, still click for details. You're still buying them one at a time, but it's just that they're all in the one place now. Yeah. And you've got your digital downloads in the left column. You've got your physical CD packages on the right if you want the collector's version of it. Yep. Yeah, it's just, just a little bit more organized. I got sick of looking at my old web page, so I thought I'd redo it. Yeah, and then you've got your freebies here for those who want to, you know, a, a taste yeah, of Randy's. That sounds perverted, I know, but uh, you know, if you want a taste of his games from you know the, when he first started, both his Coco One and Two games and his earlier Coco Three games, you can get all those for free if you want to try those out. Again, you, you can find these sort of things on the uh, on the archive and or wherever. But I thought one central place. Nick, don't you have inflation going on down there? We always have inflation. The right. <laughs> games are twice as much as they used to cost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you still got your bundles too. Um, like Jumping Joey, you actually, if you get the physical CD package, you get a couple games with that. Oh, I just bundled all my semi graphic games uh, on the one CD for the one price. Hmm. Yeah. So if you if you want to get caught up for Coco One and Two games or Dragon for that matter, the uh, the semi graphics pack or whatever you want to call it here is actually a really good deal. That's this one right here that my cursor's waving around. Nick, which of these games do you like the best? Uh, I like Gunstar and Zero Hour. They're they're my biggest games, I guess. They're also some of the most complex ones you've built. Yeah, yeah, they're. Um... Yeah, I like Gunstar because it uses a six or nine, and I always encourage that. So, <laughs> yeah, you of probably, course you, probably, you do. You, you probably the rest of them put, suck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you probably put that on there somewhere. That's sixty three oh nine. Uh when you click, if you click on the banners, it takes you directly to the website, and it t oh, yeah, it says time. it straight away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here it says it requires five twelve k RAM and a six three oh nine, or an emulator. Yeah. So. So from that other um, menu page, if you click on any of the pictures, it takes you to the main website if you want to read more about it. Because it doesn't actually tell you anything about the game from here. This is just yep. meant to be a central site. This, this basically, you, you, you find this this root page here, and if you, you've just got back into the Coco or you just got a Coco for the first time ever, you can go through and click and look what games you like, and then you can come back and do all your ordering in one shot. It's yeah, I just set it up for yeah. Sales and downloads are all in the one location, and you can just jump to the relevant page to read more about it. Hey, Nick, be a bit you, easier. Do you do all of your artwork yourself? Uh, yes and no. 
Uh, yes, I do compiler myself. The actual drawing, though, is just pictures from from the web. You know, right, just boy, on you Google do, search. You do a, a nice job. It, all of your titles look nice. You know, they look. It's all perfect. yeah. I, I've just cobbled them all together. So, so yeah, it's a yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> now, another thing you did, because uh, we've talked about on the show before, uh, there is a rather infamous game tester and, and purchaser of your games that uh, ah. found a bug. Um, oh, in my Jumping Joey, I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. There is a bug in Jumping Joey uh, with the update. The copy that's on the CD, for those who bought the CD, is okay. That one had a bug in that it didn't work correctly on on uh, what was it on uh, certain gimmies. I think created, I think the eighty-seven gimme had some problems. So yeah. I released an update to fix that, but I had incorporated, I fixed one bug and I added another one. So that that other bug is uh, when you try to when you get to level six. It would crash when you tried to. Uh, well, when it's about to enter level six, and it was a it was a stupid bug. I it crept in while I was trying to fix the last bug, and th these pokes, which you can anyone can do, just adding those lines in the uh, loader program, will fix that bug. But you've got to get to level six, and as far as I know, the only person who ever has gotten to level six is. No surprises, um, Buck Owens. So, <laughs> so he's the one who alerted me to that bug. So that's been fixed, and you can easily do it. And for most people, it wouldn't even worry about it. But, yeah, if you're getting to be as good as Buck Owens and you can get to level six, yeah, you'll need to do these pokes. How many Once levels you do, are there? It keeps on going. Um, <clears throat> sorry. From level... Level six onwards just keeps repeating. It it is pretty hard at level six, um, Even and it for keeps Buck. repeating. Yeah, yeah. You know, Buck you know, hasn't gotten past six because basically the game keeps speeding up, or that adds extra you know things or whatever on on different it, levels. Level six by that point, you do have to be pretty good, and I figured well rather than just constantly make it even harder, I figured it's hard enough. Let's just see how far they can go at that point. And, um, yeah, so Buck can get to six, but he hasn't gotten past it yet. And what's your so personal best? You went up to four or five oh, or I, I, I get to four. I think I've gotten to five, uh, but not not through it. And, uh, yeah, that's where Buck, Buck found the uh, bug in level six. <laughs> so anyway, for the... I, could, I could have found it if I had. Uh, if I had a, you know, having the code, I could just cheat my way there. But I didn't think anyone would get that far. I thought it was so hard. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I, I, for, I forgot all about Buck. So, <laughs> so anyway, for the audio oh. listeners here, basically, if, if you've already paid for it and gotten the game, um, if you go to Nick's new revamped website, click on the Jumping Joey uh, icon to get into the Jumping Joey page, scroll to the bottom. And there's basically one yeah. line of basic code with two pokes. You basically load the joey.bass. You add this line 46 with the two pokes in it. And that just corrects save the bug, it out again. And then save it back, and then you've got a corrected version. So it's and that's easy. it. It, it fixes the bug. It's, it's, yeah, it's no, no B, but 
Yeah, it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's why you do beta testing. Well, I did have a the best beta tester, which is Buck Owens, but yep. uh, he hadn't got to level six at that point, I don't think. Oh, there you go. Uh, but anyway, there it is. Yeah. Now, I don't think Bolt's still on the call here. Uh, Aaron, I think, is still in the chat. At least he was a few minutes ago. So they did their live recording yesterday of, of two of their shows. They did the Amigos first. That's Amiga stuff. And then they did the Coco Show. And it'll be put on YouTube in a week or two or something like that. I can't remember the exact release date on, on YouTube. But basically, they did a review of Cocobon, which we did recently as well. Of course, that's a game made by Paul Thayer. So they do their standard, um, you know, uh, humorous take on, on on doing a review of a game. But they did something special on this particular episode. They actually had Paul on as an audio guest, taking questions from the chat, taking questions from them, explaining, uh, you know, his writing of the game inspiration from the pico system that it you know the original pico bond that it's roughly based on before he started adding his own stuff even did some talk about some of the game he's working on now buff commando so we got a bit of a sneak preview um i'll play just a little bit here just so you can kind of check it out but if you want to check it out now you can get it it's one of the latest streams on their twitch channel or if you want you can wait until the youtube version comes out a little bit later Show me, show you, Coco Bon. It's the Coco Show, episode 40. Obviously, you've been listening to Samuel Gimes too much. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Show. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're talking about Coco Bon. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a candy to me. It does. Well, when you when you first heard the name Coco Bon, what is that? Does it do you think candy? Yeah. Or like a, some sort of racing thing, you know, like yeah. uh, like the Autobahn. You know, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. What if you combine both candy and racing? I'd be a professional racer. That's what you'd get. <laughs> that's how it'd go down. That'd be awesome. You know, listen, Coco, you know, Bond. At any rate, they, they do their, their normal shtick where they have a lot of humor in the in the review, and then they get into the game, and then they bring in Paul to talk about the game, too. I won't play any of that. You guys should go just check out their channel for that. But it's a really good interview, and it's a fairly long one, too. So I know we've talked to Paul on occasion with some of his games, too. They also went through the fact that uh, last year's Boat Fest, one of the they have these competitions of playing games with trophies you can get uh, for three different systems, and the Coco game chosen was Paul's Timberman. And then, then they had to have a tiebreaker because they had a, a dead heat tie and they had to bring in Ghost Rush. And then they tied on that, too. So then Boat had to just make a choice. But uh, they're planning on doing that type of stuff again this year for Boat Fest. And I know a few people are planning on going to that. And it is a fun time. If you're into retro gaming of any sort, uh, they bring in like, you know, video pinball games. They bring in all kinds of systems with you know custom hardware to hook up eight players at once and and competitions and all kinds of stuff. There's uh, seminars, uh, trivia contests, all kinds of stuff. It's a, it's a great time. So if you are into gaming at all, I would highly recommend attending Boatfest in beautiful Hurricane, West Virginia. I think is how you're supposed to say it. Where the Mothman was, basically. And that's it for the gaming news this week. A little bit of a short one. Do you want me to segue straight in the news? I think you yep. kind of played the I whole already news did the main, there. the main intro, so go for it. So let me switch over. Make sure the share sound is shared this time. Okay, you guys are seeing that? Black and white graphic? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
So Tier City Retro Programming, um, he's been figuring out how to use P-Copy uh, for certain effects there. I was kind of helping him in the, in the comment chats because he couldn't quite figure what the heck use this command was. So this is one where he's actually starting to use it. So he's got a P-Mode 4 screen up here, and this is his early attempt of doing a kind of a ghost saga game. And he's basically using P-Copy on the fifth page you can't see to copy the background on the bottom row. So the house and the trees. And then he's doing put for the animation of the character. So I'll play a little bit so you can kind of see what it's it's doing. And then I'll show you his, his sequel video where he did some changes. Okay. So that's where you actually can move So around. I have a little uh, going on here. It sounds a little bit out of sync with the video, unfortunately. This is my character right that here. That woke me up. <laughs> and uh, I have my sprites. I was trying to wake here. up Nick, sorry. Basically, uh, on page three, I'm using page four right now for the. So that's for a little bit here. I kind of give you, it I mean, just gave you an explanation, but. He's moving in increments of five. If I increase them, he would go faster, but I don't want him to go any faster. And then he takes a hit like this. And, you know, you can imagine this ghost. But, but it shows a nice technique where you're restoring the background, then you draw your put. Now, the put will still have the little block around it. So if you were trying to, like, you know, mask it on the background, it's obviously not going to do that. But for something like this, it actually is not too bad, especially for a base game, because you're keeping some pretty good speed of your character walking around. He's actually got little animated legs as he walks, and he swings his thing with the sound effect. But since you're restoring the background, it actually does not, you know, rip the background out and wipe it out as it's going across. So you can actually do some pretty cool effects. So he did this in P-Mode 4 as an experiment, but he's much more, he likes using the four-color modes. So his second video he did this week, he actually redid it, and he decided to fiddle with the uh, the Puyan palette, as we like to call it here. Um, and he shrunk it down to a P-Mode 1, so this is basically two pages that you're viewing at a time. And you'll notice some little oddities here. So when you did the shapes of his uh, person with the halberd there, uh, he's got an orange background, so of course the orange block will show up as you're walking across a purple house, or the cyan sky, etc., but he did notice some oddities here when he starts walking across the trees. Now, some of you that might know some of the basic uh, ROM code better than I might explain what's going on here. That's right. a little bit here. And I'm just going to talk about this a little bit. So what I have going on here is, uh, and the reason I changed to, to um, low res is because I zero. And um, oh, there was. I don't see him pause it right when he's because he talks about this a little bit later properly. on. He's not quite sure what's going on there. To be and honest, I'm not either. So I just switch back. I'm gonna try to catch it in the right spot here. And ah, just had it. And Darn it. There. So you notice. It's actually doing a purple stripe on the far right of the character here when it's going across the second tree. Now, I don't know if that's because he's just doing a straight put. Um, and maybe it's doing the equivalent of an or or an ot or something or something like that in the background. Just happens to be that where the colors mixed. Or is that a bug in the ROM where if you're you know putting a on a background with an odd size? Because like he did mention it's an odd number of pixels. It's not even byte. Um, is that causing this? purple stripe to suddenly show up like it's using the last background color picked or something like that and filling it in with that. Does anybody here who's fiddled with the basic ROM code or looked at it have any idea why that would be happening on a put? 
I was thinking maybe Nick or uh, Alan, you guys have probably fiddled a bit with basic more than I have lately. Mm. No, not up front. I mean, both ideas are are good ones. The um, you know odd numbered size of the buffer, and it's got nothing left to do. It's only doing that one one half of the row, and since all the other pixels were white next to it. You've got the orange on and then white and orange and white. And so you're getting the aliased purple there, but like the leftover yeah. purple from the house. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I know James Diffendaffer, uh, alias Phantom 8 bit, knows a lot about the basic ROMs, both the MC10 and the Coco. And I'm wondering if maybe he might have uh, something he can comment in the chat there that I can bring up a little bit later just to, to see if we can figure it out. I'm just kind of curious because that's. I'd never like I, I kind of knew the the fast put trick was based on even byte boundaries, so I always just made my shapes this even byte size, so I didn't have to worry about this kind of right. stuff. But so I'd is never the math, is the math not done on that break where the purple line shows up? Obviously. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it it does disappear once he's past the tree, so I think it has something to do with the background color that it's going over top. And uh, like there, you see, it's not there anymore. Now it's now it's orange. So it might be the bit pattern that's trying to mask a background color or something and merging that to try to merge it as a thing. Or, I'm or not sure. blending one half of that orange in that cyan. Well, or we can go with uh, Rocky Hills. Uh, you know, speculation is just a glitch in the matrix. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's cool to see them him using this, this technique because it basically lets you restore the backgrounds. We'll have to redraw the whole background. You just basically peak copy and it's quite quick. I haven't looked at the code. You could optimize it even faster yet, but uh, it, it does leave a little bit of flicker when you're doing this. But if you saw his old uh, Subur Tales of Suburbia game, where he literally used get put to get the original background and then he redrew the character, I think using draw statements or something like that, it's way slower. Um, and it doesn't look arcadey at all. Uh, but this actually runs at a pretty good clip. And it, you know, it's not perfect because it does have that rectangle around your character, but it does run at a fairly decent speed. So. I think you could do some pretty cool techniques using this. Um, I did a bit of experimenting with this back in the day, and then I got into OS 9 and never touched it again, but we kind of curious. And the same technique, honestly, would work in OS 9 too. So, Lacoco Strangiato, which I'll be talking about his video coming up fairly close to now too, says, pretty sure it's due to the odd H size combining with the existing background. Use even H size based on the mode you're in. Might need to be two-byte increments in some cases, I seem to recall. So, Cool. I, might, I just didn't have a chance to look through the Spectral Unraveled books to see if I could figure it out myself. But, but I'm glad to see that he's actually literally like learning some of these new techniques, and he's actually getting stuff running at speed. He wants to go and redo his Tales of Suburbia now using these techniques. Because then we had the guy walking in front of the house or down the street. Now he can actually restore it really quick and put the character walking really quick. Even with the box around it, the play would be so much faster. I, I think it would make a huge improvement. Now, we've talked about emulators and stuff before because we've got the Coco emulating some arcade games or transcoding, depending on how you want to you know, refer to it, like Donkey Kong and... Defender and Robotron by Glenn Hewlett and, and Sockmaster. And we've got the CPM emulator in OS 9, Nitrous 9. It's actually pre-installed in EOU. If you want to like you know, run Turbo Pascal for an 8080, you can do that. So Todd Wall decided he's going to work on an Apple II version of this. And this is running under Disk Basic. 
Um, so it's a machine language program. And he's been asking a lot of questions in the Cocoa Discord about uh, like condition code flags are differently done between a 65502 and a 6809. And so uh, 6309 or 6809. So he's been asking questions about how that works. And he's using some of the bit commands that are unique to 6309. So his current emulator requires a 6309. And he said that it at least needs at least 512k of RAM, but it works. And it's not the quickest thing in the world. And basically, he's got it running to the point where it's um, running, you know, basically the Apple II ROMs to boot up. Um, now, it's a three and a half minute video. Um, I think to have Todd explain like what he's doing and stuff here, I probably should play the whole thing. I just want to make sure because, you know, we're running a little bit longer, but I wanted to see if you guys are OK with me playing the whole three and a half minutes. Don't ever jump at once. <laughs> I'm good with it. Apple II, of course. <laughs> I, I should have known. <laughs> okay, so I'll enlarge it. What if I told you you could boot AppleSoft Basic on your Tandy Color computer? Hello, Internet. You're kidding. So all memes aside, um, I came up with an insane project idea that I actually got working. And here's a hint if anyone knows assembly language. Uh, yeah, I, I actually wrote an Apple II emulator for the Tandy Color Computer 3. Um, I shall demonstrate it now. The first step is to actually load the real Apple ROM because we need those 6502 instructions. So there you go. Some uh, retro keyboard ASMR for you. Um, and here's the actual emulator loading in. And uh, here we go. That looks scary, Just but that's that actually part of the plan. It does do this when and you turn Apple II on. It yeah, just it does, doesn't last yeah, as long. And the original Apple II was with the non-auto This ROM is design. the actual real font too I extracted from the Apple II video ROM. So it's trying to actually boot from a floppy disk, which is just not gonna happen. I haven't implemented that kind of crazy stuff, but um, pressing the clear key will simulate a control reset and we get a AppleSoft basic prompt. Uh, I'm gonna write a quick basic program just to show you that it works, so uh, stand by. All right, so here's my fancy program. And uh, I mean, the keyboard is a little sluggish. But uh, definitely useful, and uh, here we go. See, so actual proof that the cocoa power level is over nine thousand. But uh, anyways, yeah, it's it's pretty slow, guys. Um, it's not going to win any benchmark performance competitions, that's for sure. But it's you know doing a lot of math inside there. So this is actually the upgraded CPU, uh, the sixty three oh nine. Um, that's the only upgrade. Everything else is just a stock um, called the Computer 3. But I, I needed all the efficiency and um, stuff that this upgraded CPU offers. Um, it's technically possible to do the same thing uh, on a stock CPU, but it would be uh, even slower. But I can press break and... Uh, yeah? But I mean, you can see how long it even takes to recover from the break. <laughs> it's, it's uh, but I'm sure more clever people than me could improve on this and uh, turn it into like something um, more responsive. 
Uh, this is just kind of a proof of concept. I just wanted to show the kind of stuff the Coco 3 can do. I'm not quite sure if anyone has written an emulator like this before uh, on this platform, so. But uh, it's doing it's doing the things. So uh, yeah, anyway, I will also be releasing the source code to this. So if you guys want to check it out and uh, maybe improve on it or yeah, that'd be great. And uh, hope you found it interesting. Catch you later. Cool. Yeah, that's that's uh that's pretty pretty cool. The only other emulator we have like that is a CPM one, and that one, depending on the program you're running under it, can emulate faster because CPM has a bunch of API calls. And the way was it Louis that wrote that one? I can't remember who the author was, but basically he had it so that API calls for like writing to the screen or reading the keyboard, he actually simply remaps that to the equivalent OSI call. So basically, that runs at native speed, that little bit of code, and then it comes back, and then you emulate, you know, this the Z80 or the 8080 or whatever it is, and then you emulate the rest of it. But basically, if if the program is written to make a call to the CPM call to say write an entire line of text on the screen, it may take a fair bit of time to build the line of text, but once it gets sent, it gets printed instantly. So things like Turbo Pascal actually run, you know, they're not great, but they're they're much more usable than you saw here. But it's really cool that he's actually doing that with 6502 he's emulating in this case here. So that's a couple different CPUs we get emulated. And if you have a Gimme X, you can run uh, that faster. Yep, so, and make it faster than this. So, yeah, yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. I'm, I'm curious to see where else he goes with it. If he gets the disk stuff running there, you can actually start emulating maybe some of the old adventure games or something on the Apple that you actually run. I think right now he said he's only got the text modes working and the ROMs working and, and keyboard, obviously, and a few other things. But I don't think he's got the high res or the disk stuff. Um, that's still on. Work in progress. And character out. If he gets all that, if he gets all that done, then that'll be a, a good selling point for the Gimme X. You know, yeah. make your Coco into an Apple um, by buying a Gimme X, running it at uh, what two point eight? Is it two point eight six? Yeah, two right. Yeah, compared to one point seven eight, the standard Coco three. Yeah. So now, James Diffendaffer has an interesting uh, option here mentioned in the chat here. He said, emulating an Acorn Atom would be easier. It's a 6502, so you could still use the core that Todd's done here. But that computer from Britain uses a 6847 VDG chip, so you wouldn't have to emulate the ah, chip. That would all yeah. be done native. Because right now he has to remap and draw the fonts in a graphics mode to match the Apple II, so he's got a lot of overhead here. Doing the Acorn, you could actually run it natively on a 32 by 16 or run P-Mode 4 or P-Mode 3 or whatever. So you wouldn't have to translate That's the true. graphics chip at all. That would be pretty interesting. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Should have called yeah. it a crab apple. <laughs> <laughs> Are you crabby about it, Ron? <laughs> well, one one thing you could do is you could start patching the Apple ROM. So instead of running native routines, that it you know jumps out to the Cocoa ROM because, again, you know the the Cocoa Basic is based off Microsoft, just like AppleSoft. So there should be some commonality. Yeah, we had a few calls and, and like not too many documented ones, but there was a few calls that you could actually do. And, and Mark, you you probably know this better than I would because I haven't programmed Apple assembly language for years. Um, did people use a lot of ROM calls for doing certain things, or did they? Oh if yeah. You wrote a machine language game. Did you just basically say, "Screw it, I'm just talking to the hardware direct." Um, sometimes you did. Um, you could read the like the keyboard strobe directly. Uh, you know, uh, read the character directly and clear the strobe and stuff. But there was also a, a coot character in or a coot character out, and there was a 
in character also that were in the ROMs. So it'd be easy enough just to map those over to the lens that Coco has. Yeah, because then you gain that bit of speed back there where you're not emulating every instruction trying to do that. Right. You're just emulating the uh, the action of it. So. Yeah, and that's how the CPM emulator works. Yeah, and that would that would definitely be beneficial. So, yeah, I cool. think it's a big overhead is actually just the the Apple ROM set and you know basically doing a graphics mode for the forty character. Yeah, and the Apple ROM is what twelve K or something. I'm trying to remember what size it is. Uh, the mode. Apple Soft is twelve K, as I recall, and I don't remember. And that how includes the monitor too, right? The disassembler. Yes, there's the monitor and the and uh, the later versions have the uh, the the, the uh, micro assembler. I guess you call it the mini assembler. So. Yeah. yeah that, no, I, I, actually, that, that's pretty in. fascinating. I I didn't realize the Acorn actually used a 6502 and a 6847. That might be a perfect project for Todd's engineer. Because you definitely would speed it up if you don't have to translate all the screen drawing. Because right now, I'm sure he's running like a, at least a 320 by 200. Well, if he's going to be emulating the, the low-res graphics, he's going to have to do a 16-color screen. Anyway, yeah. That's 32K. You got to shift around to, to draw stuff, so... Sure, that's where a lot of his speed is being lost as a uh, doing all that in graphics mode, basically. Yeah. Uh, James also mentions here he said the eighty eighty was emulated back in the seventies on the six five hundred two and on the six eight hundred. By the way, I've, I've heard of them, never seen them in action, so I don't know how well they ran. And uh, Alan, you're saying the eighty eighty is emulated on the Coco as well, downloaded from the CMOX site, so that's separate from the CPM emulator that Louis Kemmer's last name did. Yeah, there was a uh, a retro competition, and someone did a uh, it's on the CMOC site. Someone did an eighty eighty emulator in CMOC. Cool. I, I I never thought I would see the Coco being a hot emulator host program right. platform. <laughs> I just never pictured that in the old days ever. So if you run this on VCC at uh, seventy eight megahertz or whatever it is. Yeah, it might yeah. run as fast as a real Apple II or even faster. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So it'd be emulating an emulator, emulating emulator. Well, I've done that. <laughs> I ran like the CPM emulator under OS 9 running on a Coco 3 emulated on VCC or MAME. So I've done that. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> it gets to be stupid. Right? <laughs> stupid but cool, I think, is yeah, what you meant to say, Ron. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, anyway, uh, next up, we have Alan Huffman. He did a quick five-minute video here that he describes as sometimes you just want to do some basic programming. I tried to remember the string art program I played with 40 years ago. And then he basically, you watch him live. He's running this under XROR. Trying to remember you know, how these programs worked. I won't play the whole thing because it's almost six minutes long. But I'll play just the beginning so you can kind of see when he's playing around. And I don't believe there's commentary on this one. So we just did a four next loop with using X in step two. He's doing some lines. Um, he makes mistakes now and then. So you yeah, like this is really live. It's it. not edited yeah. for clarity. <laughs> so good. And here you see some of the more AA patterns that you get when you when you do step twos going across like that. You get kind of this funky color artifacting stuff here. But he does some stuff with circles and other things too here. So it's 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 the kind of stuff that you can see in the uh, the the. Extended color basic manual, some of the sample programs, but he's just doing already, it from memory and fiddling with it. I would already be back to that manual seven times by now. <laughs> yeah. I, I know these, but no, I don't know these. Not yeah, now. try to remember the exact syntax. Do I need parentheses? Do I need the dash or is it the word two, especially if you switch between platforms? Because, Mark, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, if you want to draw a line in 
AppleSoft, I think it's H line, V line. Yeah, there's a command where well, you can. Well, this H line, V line is for low res, and then high res um, was H plot, X, Y, 2, T, O, X, yeah. Y, 2, or something. Yeah, that's right. H plot, yeah, it's a beginning point, ending point. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since I plugged in the code. Because that, yeah. that screwed me up when I first got my Cocoa, because I'd used the Apple II for about a year and a half at that point. And then I was trying to you know, put the word two instead of the dash. And yeah. <laughs> Why aren't all these basics exactly the same? Why the hell do I have to learn new syntax every time I switch machines? What the <laughs> hell? I can remember, I, I remember. that book up and uh, typing in uh, stuff like this and then changing certain values and then make it run and then you stand back and look and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, reading the Hot Cocoa, Hot Cocoa magazine. Remember there was an issue there that talked about millions of colors on your cocoa and the cover had a a, a picture of that that exact sort of a effect there with the uh, yeah that one there now, and it's uh, showing all these colours and I thought wow, and so I typed it in of course, <laughs> yeah, it pal. looked nothing like that because of course that doesn't work in PAL, but no. I didn't know oh, that back no. in the day. I thought that one, they're either lying or there's something wrong with my computer. <laughs> yeah, I, I blame your TV. Uh, <laughs> well, well, uh, well, it well. was that really, <laughs> but uh, back back then we're talking about mid eighties. <laughs> yeah. Now James actually also said here uh, we were talking about you know the, you know, it's a stupid thing to do this type of thing. Um, I think he's also talking about the emulator back you know running hustle to get here, and he says uh, his last comment was "Dare to be stupid," which is an awesome album by Weird Al Yankovic. I just wanted to point that out. So yeah, all right. You know, um, couldn't you do stuff like this and then put lettering over it for the beginning of a program? Yeah, some people actually did that. I mean, remember Rainbow used to publish some uh, games and some uh, graphic demos that actually did do exactly that. They did this little background graphic and then they throw text over top of it. That's easier on the Cocoa 3 because, I mean, on the Cocoa 1 and 2, you didn't have in graphic fonts built in. You'd have to literally draw every line of the letter M, for example. Whereas on the Cocoa 3, you can use HPrint. Anyways, it's kind of cool to see him going back through. Not not any commentary or anything. Just typing in, you know, Cocoa One and Two basic graphic programs. It's cool. Next up, we have Mikey. So, after EOU was released a month ago now, uh, some people have been hitting problems where the weather program by Todd Walsh, same guy who did this, the Apple II emulator, is not working. Okay. The IRC chat is working, but the uh, the weather uh, grabbing app is not. And it turns out that that is because he was using a beta, not released version of Pi DriveWire uh, by Mikey. And Mikey's been busy. Uh, he was doing DOS Ember, so he's doing a lot of DOS-related videos for a while. And then he was busy, I think, with work and stuff, too. So he hasn't been able well, to touch it much. He, he's in Hong Kong. Oh, is he in Hong Kong right now? In this video. You'll see it toward the end. Oh, okay. I, I didn't catch that. Yep. So anyway, he's been busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he gave this uh, basically six-minute video, just under six minutes, uh, explaining that he has basically got it running, and obviously he has because Todd's actually tested it. And uh, he's doing what he considers to be roughly the last week of testing to make sure he didn't break anything else. And then he'll be releasing it. So in about a week, hopefully by the next show, uh, if you do have EOU and you do run DriveWire and you want to run the weather app, it should be able to run fine once this new drive wire is up because there was a bug in it that is causing the problem. So I'm not going to play the whole thing here. Um, 
or the technical explanation. I'll just show it so that he can show it actually running. And also, since I'm demonstrating Coco WX, it has the virtual serial. And there it goes. So it's 1.0.0 release okay. view, which has so the driveway Coco WX program. Clock. So don't really need to type anything here. And just hit enter at the time prompt. Actually, I can remove it, but I didn't have time to do that for this demo. All right. Let's fix the colors a little bit. And just to prove that it's working, Coco WX. And let's see what the weather is for David Ladd right now. <laughs> really? <laughs> Apparently so. David get picks gets picked and on, David even Ladd has Kong. a chilly twenty-seven degrees Fahrenheit. Brr. First California people like Todd and me. That's darn cold. But Coco WX is working. Let's just try one more just for fun. Uh, Saskatoon. That's where I am. Warmer? Even the next colder. This. 10 degrees. <laughs> Feels like zero. Man, Curtis, how do you survive in that kind of weather? How do you keep your cocos from freezing? Especially if you have 6309. He never turns them and off. The computer runs cooler. No, you just overclock <laughs> the crap out of them. That's what you do. But anyway, Sup guys, this is what I wanted heat. to uh, demonstrate for you today. That uh, I do have a version of PyDriveWire which works on CocoWX. And I plan to start doing more, a lot more testing to make sure that that actually works. So once I finish the testing, which I should be working on over the next couple of days, then I should be able to release, hopefully, I think within about one week or so, I should be able to release it. All right. So that's kind of his update. I won't play the Hong Kong bit there at Wait. the end there. I'll Aww. just take your word for it. Okay. Um, but I did, I did want to mention <clears throat> that uh, the problem that uh, Rob Inman is mentioning in the chat here, and maybe you can, you can tell us on the stream here, that you're saying you can't get the IRC chat. Now, I know several people have gotten the IRC chat, so I'm kind of wondering what's going on there. Yeah, uh, I, I can't using the Java drive wire or the uh, Boise Mac drive wire. Uh, nothing happens. It times out. I can't connect to the server. So maybe it only works with the Pi drive wire. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because I know he's been adding some stuff there to specifically get it you know, a, a bit more advanced. So maybe that is something unique to it. Have you got Pi drive wire to try it with? Or? I don't have it set up because I got a new computer a while back. So I will, you know, test that. Okay. Cause I, I know several people have actually tested it. I, Rick, I think even you did, didn't you at one point? Coco IRC works great. Okay. And that the common thread here, I'm guessing <laughs> well, is Pi DriveWire then, right? <laughs> I'm on Pi DriveWire. Yeah. It works great for you. Yeah. And that's what matters. <laughs> that's all that matters. <laughs> So basically, Rob, this is a personal problem for you. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Great comeback. To, to me, it sounds like, though, it, it requires Pi DriveWire. It won't work with the, like DriveWire. What is the last version? Four or three or whatever four. Like it is. Four. Yeah. So, All right. 
I, I would guess if you want to report back to us next week and see if that solves the problem, I'm guessing it will. Of course, isn't the older drywire being stirred around right now and put on the new Java versions and stuff? So this yep. might be in flux. That's the Pedro Pena story. Yeah, he's been getting it because the, basically the problem with the older versions of drywire, they required a really old version of Java. And people didn't want to install two versions of Java to run the modern apps plus the old ones. And he's got it recompiling with the uh, newer version of Java. Um, but I don't know if it has the, whatever functionality is needed for Cocoa IRC and Cocoa WX. I don't know if that's even in DriveWire 4. I'm not but sure. But it might about. be less spectacular. So. Yeah, DriveWire 4 should have the should have the network support on it. Cool. Okay, so we'll have to see if actually if that ends up running so that you can run those two apps through that version as well as PyDropper. That'd be interesting. Cool. And then thanks, Mikey. I, I didn't realize you were away, so that's probably why you haven't got the uh, Cocoa 3 FPGA version of EOU ready yet either. <clears throat> the next one here is by ShareSquid, who's actually a member of our Discord as well. <coughs> Excuse me. And he's actually more of a Vectrix guy. Now, the Vectrix, of course, with the Cocoa share the 6809 CPU. So he's doing a, a demo development here. He's been working on a demo for the Vectrix for a while, for the 40th anniversary of the Vectrix, because it came out in 1982, if I remember correctly. And this is part one. <clears throat> now, it's a 17-minute video. <clears throat> I'm not going to like cover the whole thing, obviously. But he actually does some comparisons with the Coco, because the Coco was his first home computer machine he had, and why he's familiar with 6809. So he actually does a little bit of a comparison of how the graphics work between the two systems. Uh, so we can fast forward a little bit here. Roughly here. Is different than drawing lines on a standard computer raster TV type display. To highlight that difference, let me bring up this emulator of the color computer that I had as a kid, the TRS-80 color computer. Now, drawing on the color computer is fairly straightforward. The only thing to keep in mind is the Y-coordinate system is inverted or flipped. For example, here in line 25, you're drawing a dot at 0, 0. That's the top left corner of the screen, and you're setting the color to 0. And then in line 30, you are moving forward on the x-axis, 20, and you're going down the TV screen, 20, that's your xy, basically, 20, 20. And then you're drawing a line to another xy coordinate of 140 and down to 140. So that draws a diagonal line down. And then we want to just draw straight up from that line, starting at coordinate system 140, 140. This is typical, like, algebra you've had. You're starting at 140, 140 on an XY graph, and then you're staying at the 140X, and you're going all the way back up to 20, which is near the top of the screen. Okay, and that looks like this. There it is. There's the dot in the top 00, zero position, and then we went down to 20, 20, and we draw a diagonal line down to 140, 140, and then we go back up to 140, 20. Easy peasy. Easy to understand, right? What did not change through this whole thing was the coordinate system. And that's where the Vectrex is going to mess you up. <laughs> because the Vectrex coordinate system is going to change every time you draw a line. It's going to reset it. Let me demonstrate that. The Vectrex follows the Cartesian coordinate system, where going down the y-axis, you're going negative. Going up, the numbers go positive. If you go left, the numbers are negative. If you go right, the numbers go positive. So this is where the Y is basically inverted from what we're used to. Like ours, the zero, zero is the upper left corner. And if you increase the Y, it goes down. Whereas on normal math in class, it's negative goes down, positive goes up. 
Now, I will mention that the original GFX module for uh, BASECO 9, I guess they were planning it for classrooms doing math because they actually set the coordinate system there to be the same as you would take in a math class. The Y is the opposite direction we're used to. But so many programmers, I think, bitched and moaned about that because all other basics did, you know, the way we're used to nowadays, that when level two came out, they switched it back to the traditional way where increasing the Y value goes down, not up. But if you're doing any programming on basic 09 or actually in OS 9 level one period uh, in, in the equivalence of the PMO 3 and PMO 4 screens, you have to take that into consideration. Your Y is going to be flipped um, where 00 is the lower left corner and you work your way up. X is the same, but the Y is a bit different. But that's even different from the Vectrex, as we'll soon find out. Positive. The other interesting thing about the Vectrex is you start at 00, zero it's dead center of the screen unlike on a raster game system where you start the top left corner. In the Vectrex, you're starting right dead center in the middle, and then you tell that electron beam where you want to go. You can go anywhere you want to with that electron beam. You don't have to go left to right scan lines like you do on a TV. But here's where it gets very interesting. Let's just go ahead and start by showing you how to draw, and then I'll show you what happens to the coordinate system as you begin drawing. So we're going to replicate the graphic that we did on the color computer. And the first thing we're going to do Sounds is like set the uh, drawing watch. speed. And so here I've got this variable called my draw speed. And it's basically telling you how quickly to draw the line. What was that, Mark? So how fast does it move that, that like electron beam? Go watch. Here we're setting it to 80. And then I'm calling this function <laughs> called oh, yeah. dot Is here. that an asparagus and, call uh, here, It's a little subroutine uh, that you can get to. Yes. It's in the vectrex. <laughs> so this makes sense system. if zero is the center of the screen, negative is down, positive is right, negative is left, and... Well, they give you the Coles Notes version. Basically, once you've, you've drawn the vector to a new spot, that is now zero, zero. And now that is zero. And so the edge of the screen is who knows. Yeah. So basically what you're doing there is you're giving it offsets. You're not giving it coordinates on the screen in a fixed grid. You're telling it go right 20. Though there's not really pixels either. So that, you know, it's it's uh, like almost like a time delay. But basically you're going relative. I'm going right 20 up five or something like that. You're not. No uh, we, we know why there aren't that many Vitrix games now. And, well, and it gets even worse, too, because the deflection of the beams causes drift over time. So you have to reset the the magnets and put the beam back in the center and then restart your drawing. But yes, the it's like a cursor where basically it's relative coordinates everywhere you're at. Oh, now, <laughs> when you plot Vectrex games, you can plot it using an absolute coordinate system. And there is support in the executive ROM for doing display lists that work with that uh, more global coordinate system pretty pretty straightforward. So if you're drawing on the fly, then yes, you have to keep in mind where you've drawn to, and you have to occasionally reset to the center with the beam off, reset the deflection, or else you just start getting drift and it gets more and more horrible the longer you let it go. Or you uh, use the executive calls like you're supposed to, and it takes care of some of that for you. How do you hold the fly still? Really? You basically just poke a value into a register, and then it stops. It was a joke. <laughs> I know, but it was an electric fly, and so I'm that the works. fly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drawing on a fly. <laughs> yep. Poke it in the register. Yeah. But for those of you who may be interested in programming with Vectrix, because it does share the same CPU as the Coco, um, I will mention that OS9 level two does have relative drawing commands, uh, as well as absolute drawing commands. You have all relative line, 
regular line, et cetera. So you can actually tell it wherever you're currently at, go up 20 and, and write five, draw a line. So you can actually translate. If you wrote a program in base 9 or C or assembly on the Cocoa 3 using that coordinate system and using the relative draw commands, you could actually translate that just about directly to the Vectrix or vice versa. So it would actually make porting some of those things easier back at port. So, And oh, to get even more easy, CMOC supports Vectrex output. LWASM will support, of course, the 6809 piece and is callable from CMOC. And the documentation available for the Vectrex executive and Mindstorm routines that are built in is really good. Every call is detailed, and there is a lot of information that you can use, even at the assembly language level, fairly easily. So it's kind of like OS 9, where you basically just set up and then make your call, then set up and make your next call. And so getting your first Vectrex program up and running is not that particularly difficult if you understand 6809 hardware at all. All right, here's a good question. um, We have a VDG chip. What do they have? Math and a vector beam. Lots of math. Yeah. No chip. Curtis had mentioned relative versus absolute drawing. That uh, risk game that I did a while back, well, many years back, but we recently talked about, was an example of that. I would set an absolute spot, but it was much more efficient to say 12 left, 18 right, than to say this absolute, you know, bite wide position. And Yeah, we have to do the math to figure out like, okay, I'm currently at 100 comma 10. If I'm going right 20, it's 100 plus 20. So you have to do math. Well, and it's, on the relative, it's, it's, it's longer in the source. It, it's it's shorter in the code to say, okay, 12 left and 8 right. These are all very small numbers. And, and not- literally, that's how the draw command works by default. You go right 20, up 5. You don't, you can give it, you know, absolute coordinates with M for move, but it's actually shorter and easier and easier to scale, et cetera, if you want to, like, increase the size or something by using relative, because I can go times 2. Well, now I've doubled the size of the shape I'm drawing. So all, all the fonts are drawn the same way? Yes. Yes. There's actually a built-in font ROM that is draw commands effectively on the Vectrex. But if you catch me on the Discord, Ron, I can tell you about the difference between the rasterization and the vector drawing. Because what the VDG chip is getting for you is drawing in line with how a television scans and picking up the font data and drawing it for you. None of that really exists on the Vectrex, nor does it need to. It leaves all the drawing in your hands. But wait a uh, minute. Couldn't you put a VDG in there? You could, you but it's not where to display because the, the monitor itself is different. It doesn't have the same scanning and flyback circuitry. So, and yeah, the vector display is thing, totally different to a, a raster as far as... The whole, the whole point of this thing is not to raster scan. You can do a lot of things on a Vectrex you just can't do. Yeah, and a lot of people have used oscilloscopes to reproduce the display from the Vectrex. Because, yeah, that's a... Same idea. (laughs) So you're not spreading the beam out. You're just using the point. You're you're directing the beam in any direction you want, not just horizontal scans across like a TV does or a regular CRT Yeah, basically you are just directing the point and the phosphor glows for a little while so that you can move the point around, light those pixels up as you're going. Though they're not really pixels. You light those phosphors up as you're going. They glow for a little while while you move on and draw somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You have to remember to come back and redraw 
And that's where that reset the beam to the center while it's off and then start drawing your display list again. That's where it comes in is you're effectively having to decide what you want to refresh as well. Okay, so I got a question this, for you. This is why it's screaming fast because you aren't drawing anything you aren't drawing. You don't do every pixel on the screen. You go from where you want to where you want to where you want. So you you couldn't do a duck hunt type game on this machine? No. Or could you? You you can get kind of close, yeah, but not exactly. And for the light gun part, it does have a light pin, but it works differently in the way it's coded. Okay. Yeah, and, and, as as Rick mentioned, and and I think Alan mentioned, and James Jones in the chat is mentioning too, you have to go and redraw stuff because the phosphor will fade. So if you're drawing a complex scene, the more complex it gets, and the more time it takes to draw everything you're drawing. If you when you go to redraw it, it'll have faded more, so it'll get lighter and lighter, or sorry, darker and darker. Um, eventually, so you start fading to getting black. to the point where it's better to use a raster and just draw the whole screen anyway, sixty times per second. Yeah, just and, redraw and it. Where some games, it's better to just draw what you need to draw. This drawing that's on the screen right now, you could do that a million times. <laughs> well, picture it like this, Ron. Wasn't in in real life. Of things wrong. You have a sparkler. And you're swinging the sparkler around, and that delay in your eye and your brain, you can spell out stuff in the air with a sparkler. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's all you're doing is moving the pen around on the screen. Well, actually, doesn't our TVs? Even I want to though see how many lines I could do in the next truck. So back grid. and forth. You know, it, it does it faster. Well, but the thing is, you're using all the processing time to cover every possible dot. Where the Vetrex only covers the dots that it's right. You tell it's a draw. So you can you can skip all the black spaces and just draw the rocks. Yeah, because on a raster one, basically you've got a chunk of memory that it knows how to map to drawing rasters, and it scans that entire memory block and redraws it fifty or sixty times a second, depending whether you're on PAL or NTSC. So it's drawing two hundred scan lines. Continuously, 60 times it's per second. It's drawing the blacks, it's drawing the whites, it's drawing everything. And this is skipping all that. It's only drawing the parts you see in white. It's like you've got a pen and you're draw drawing directly on the screen. Like so, you're, you're, you're drawing the outline. Rather so than waiting for it to scan from the top to the bottom, you say, go here, now go here, now go here. On the Coco, it scans from the top to the bottom over and over again. And when it gets to a particular piece of memory, it knows, okay, that piece of memory gets drawn at this particular place on the screen. So you, you're, on the Vectrex, you just skip that loop and you're just saying, take the pen right here and draw right now. You don't but, have to. But, but you, you as a programmer don't have to concern yourself about all that. That's what the video chip does. That's what the video chip is, is handling. Hey, but it's so slow. Because it has to go. Oh, yeah, but I mean, your CPU, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to write code to do that. Mm -hmm. The video chip is doing that. But the Vetrix looks so cool because it can just bang yeah. things around. Well, one big advantage of the of vector-based systems, too, is you get perfectly formed diagonal lines. Because on a raster, you can see that stair step, especially if you're on lower res, like we saw that earlier demo, Ron, where you could see the yeah. little dots to connect it. You notice here the angles are just dead straight. 
Yeah, it's like infinite that, resolution just about it's basically it'll, phosphor it'll, size. It scales up and down perfectly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you ever see a Temptus game? Well, I use Corel Draw, and that's vector based. Exactly. And AutoCAD or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But even, even those, <clears throat> we've got really high res monitors like 4K and 8K displays. It's still not perfect vector. If you go up really close to the screen, you'll still be able to see small pixels. And here it's basically it's, it's just a straight line. Now, what we need is an emulator on the Coco 3 to emulate the Vectrex. I think you could, as long as it wasn't too complex of a shape. You could you could do it with a really fast line draw. But trying yeah. to duplicate the uh, the the tint, not to tint, the tint, uh, the darkness, the brightness of the line, <clears throat> we have to take into consideration, like, how long has it been since I last redrew this asteroid? Right. And that'll make it, you know, darker gray or lighter gray or white or whatever that that would be the tough part to duplicate. Good point. Thanks for fading out here. Intentionally, they're using that effect in the code. Like here, the squid in the middle is getting redrawn probably twice as often as the asteroids to get that brighter color because it doesn't yeah. have time to and fade the fading the out of the little ones is just kind of, we didn't draw it so fast, which is something you're going to have to just fake. And, and you don't think that they uh, tilted the lettering backwards. It's just timing, right? Sorry, what? Yeah, those the letters, lettering looks backwards slightly. Yeah, the letters are actually tiny. drawn from the font, but they are actual individual vectors right. that are handled for you in code. So it's actually drawing a little piece of a line at a time and then turning it off and turning it back on. But yeah. I'll, like I said, catch me on the Discord and I can I can run you through the difference between vector and rasterization. Or Ron, if you can make it to uh, Boatfest, uh, Aaron actually has a Vectrix, which Frank of Retro Rewind actually fixed for him, and it's running. He might bring it again, and you can actually try one in person. Yeah, you can't well, see what it looks like by looking at it on YouTube because that's a rasterization of the vector. You have to see it in the live. <laughs> that, literally, that's true. You will not get the full effect of it unless you actually see it on the actual. Well, have, have you ever taken a, mo a monitor or a TV and put it in the service um, screen? Where uh, it just has a dot. It's that, yeah. It's, it's that, yeah. It's that, yeah. right. There's a whole or, bunch of stuff going in the chat. I'm not going to go through everything on that too, but there's a, there's a lot of discussion on on how some of this stuff works here. So a lot of people actually know quite a bit more about vector graphics than I do. I, I know a, a rudimentary amount of it, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating because it's a completely different way of displaying a screen using phosphor than than a raster. Speaking of James Diffendaffer, here's his blog. And uh, he did a quick port of a running cat animation. Um, and this is based on a G-Wiz basic, <laughs> a GW basic for the PC. Um, it's only 37 seconds, so I might as well just play the whole thing. Uh, you guys are still seeing that when I zoom it up? Because sometimes that breaks. Yep. Okay. Whole bunch of data statements. Whole bunch of puts. So the data statements, I think, are basically building the cat at different animation frames as you're seeing it's drawing here. For the audio listeners, of course, you can't see that. but This is just like taking a tablet and drawing a picture at the bottom and flipping the pages. Kind of. Yeah. It's the same principle. Yeah. But then you can see the little cat getting animated running across the screen. So that was cool that he actually took an IBM PC-based uh, basic program to do that. But we'll revisit this subject a little cats. bit later in the news. Yeah, it's got cats, too, which we're rather famous for in our show. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, Mark, any, any barf reports to uh, let us uh, know? About? No, not today. 
Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that cat go. <laughs> uh, next up, this is a channel I've not seen before. It's called This Got Made. And it's, um, I guess, basically talking about stuff that people are a bit surprised actually got made back in the day. So season four, episode nine is covering the Tier City Whiz Kids. That we have covered before. Um, Retro Hack Shack has covered it before as well. And this was a cross-promotion thing between Radio Shack and DC Comics. And they would publish these uh, comic books that you know featured their major superheroes and supervillains. And uh, they would somehow have to be helped to defeat the villain by using a Tier City computer of some sort. And the Whiz Kids were these two teenagers in high school, or maybe it's even elementary school, I'm not sure. Uh, would you know, write a program to help Superman solve something or whatever to to defeat the bad guy. So they're covering one of them here. And this particular one is covering one of the ones that featured the Coco as opposed to a Model 1 or a Model 3. And he has an interesting presentation style, which I'll, I'll, I'll let you see here. It's a three and a half minute video. I don't know if I'll play the whole thing, but I'll play at least a little bit at the beginning here. the 1980s when Lex Luthor <laughs> hatches a scheme so nefarious even the combined power of Superman and Wonder Woman can't stand against it who do they turn to the Flash the Teen Titans Aquaman <laughs> oh oh I'm sorry I, I can't even read that one with a straight face no the world's mightiest heroes seek aid from the only real dynamic duo who can save the day Shanna and Alec, two upstanding elementary school students equipped with the most powerful computer available at the time, the TRS-80 color computer. Those of you <laughs> whose birth year doesn't start with a 19, prepare for a harrowing nightmare of a tale, where home computers <laughs> that boasted a smoking 16K of internal RAM and a five-and-a-quarter diskette drive were considered the hot rods of the computing realm. I know your cell phone can outperform such a machine these days, but computing society had to learn to crawl before it could walk. These were the dark ages, and Shanna and Alec were pioneers in those times. Put some respect on their names, homies. When Wonder Woman shows up to personally escort the digital duo's class to the World's Fair, nobody had a clue that Lex Luthor planned to destroy the Expo. Fortunately, the business mastermind and technological genius hadn't counted on pitting his experience and skill against two kids who had just mastered Tandy's Network 3 controller that allowed 16 <laughs> color computers to network together. I mean, the writing was on the wall there, Luthor. You see, children, back in the day, there were these things called shopping oh, malls. Oh, look at them all. And they had things. Actually, you know what? I think I'm just going to play the whole thing. I normally yeah, let it keep going. But this this is this is gold. This is comedy gold. So we got to do it. <laughs> but go, definitely go view this person's thing so he gets the uh, the views. So he definitely deserves it. Things called radio shacks in them, and amid all the transistors, citizens band receiver transmitters, and ham radio equipment, and and you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> well, anyhow. They sold a device called the Color Computer, nicknamed the Coco or the Trash 80 by the Philistines who didn't own uh, one. Don't do that. Most likely got no, his wife-swapping <laughs> atheists who own Commodore 64s or TI-99-4As. 
plug this machine into your television, switch the UHF to three or four, and 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 nothing, huh? Speaking a foreign language, right? Like Fortran or Pascal. I guess I could go back to programming in basic. <laughs> no? Nothing? <sighs> I weep for the future. Anyhow, this book got made. You can probably still hit up any former Radio Shack employee for a copy or three, but no doubt they'll force you to sit through a tale of their glory days when geeks owned them all and electronic gadgetry reigned supreme. I'm Carlton Tetley. Good day and good reading. I'm also going to acquire your name and address. Yeah, see <laughs> yeah. oh, so what did you guys think wow. of that? I thought it was great. Wow. <laughs> he made no attempt to make his lips follow the words. <laughs> Zero. I wonder if he's in the witness protection program. Is this <laughs> is this really Samuel Gimes? Yeah, maybe. 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 Holy Could cow. Be. I quite like that. I've never seen the show before. It it popped up because when I did a search for Coco, it, it showed up. Um, I'm kind of interested in seeing what other episodes covered in the same type of style because it looks funny. But yeah, the part when they were showing like the the bloodless heathens and you know that they were using the other computers and stuff, and they sold some ogre thingy. And was, I, I literally laughed out loud the first time he I saw that. He had to stay trash eighty. Well, he said that was the heathens that didn't were jealous because they didn't own one. That's why yeah, they called it just, that. So. Just say it, it gets me. Well, that was a character from a movie. Which one? Do you know? Uh, uh, science. Weird science. Uh, weird science. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a while. Anyway, yeah, the comments of the chat seem to be that they they rather like it too. Uh, Rocky Hill said this is hilarious. Can can make it. Lol. 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 Um, <laughs> Wild World Retro. Awesome. Uh, I mentioned the Questro series of C sixty four from Marvel characters. I do remember those too. And then Ken uh, says Simon Gimes wishes he was that funny, and I think Ron would agree. Yeah, you know we have uh, whiz kids right here in our group. Where they're just—I yeah, like, don't see anybody. I don't see where, elementary where? kids here. They, I think they're a little older. bit older. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, David Lad. Anyway, if you guys like the video, go. The link will be in the show notes. Actually, they're already posted in the in the Discord. Uh, go watch it. You know, through your own account, so he gets the views because he definitely deserves it for that. That was a great video. You Next up, and I think he is uh, the person in question here, Lacoco Strangietto. I love the fact that it's a play on the Rush song. Um, but basically, he, he, we mentioned him once before. He, he was showing off his Coco 3P, with portable one, with a built-in floppy drive and stuff. And this is kind of him going through some of his older projects, including how, how he made that and some of the things he did. Now, it's 10 minutes, and if it had been a shorter show today, I probably would play almost the whole thing here because there's a lot of Ooh. cool stuff. So I'll just have Ooh. to like skip little bits. That looks Ooh. like uh, it's joystick. From the monitor is the uh, the Commodore monitor that yep, we 1084, have. Yeah, 1084, the analog RGB. Yeah, so look, look, look at the joystick that's on the top of the Coco. Yep, it is all in one. Yeah. Yep. Oh, we showed that last time, David. Were you sleeping during that time, or were you? Here? <laughs> well, hello, retro computing enthusiasts, and a big shout out to all my fellow coconuts. Welcome to my new channel, La Coco Strangiato. While there are many color computer channels out there showing the latest Coco software and hardware, 
My goal with this channel is to highlight my cocoa journey throughout the years, including how and why I got started modifying my cocoa, and how did those modifications work out. First up, my cocoa 3P in depth. P for pal. Nope, P for portable. Ah, oh, of course. Frank noticed that his uh, version of the SDC was in this video. <laughs> in my last video, I gave you all a quick preview of my Cocoa 3 Portable. And in this video, I'm going to take a more in-depth look nice. at some of the details. But first, let's talk oh, about why. This one. Why modify? Well, it all started out when I left my original Cocoa 1 on overnight by accident and kind of worried about how hot it was in the morning. Those Radio Shack managers had really taught me the dangers of heat to computers. Sorry, son, we need to let the computer cool off for a while. By repeatedly running me out of the store. Sorry, young man, we need to let this computer cool off. It's getting too hot. After just a few hours of banging away at the Cocoa keyboard. You shoot your eye out, kid. At some point, I saw an article in one of the color computers. 60s want the Radio Shack back. I think it was Hot Cocoa about adding a power LED for pretty much this exact reason. Oh, look at the joystick. <laughs> yep. The Once first my warranty was expired, I decided I had nothing to lose, so away I went. Besides the LED, I realized that heat buildup was still the real problem, so I added a fan using what parts I had available. I used this inductive fan wired directly to the Coco One's power switch. The other cool idea I had was a power LED for my disk drive, but I didn't want to drill a hole for a second LED. So my solution there was to add an inverter chip to drive a bipolar LED so the drive light was green when the power was on, but turned red during disk access. It's entirely too easy to leave these systems burning up overnight. As you can see here, my Coco One also has my first internal joystick mounting using the guts of an original Black Beauty Coco joystick, aluminum handle and all. So in my first video, I showed you this massive hole in the top of my case that was also for a built-in joystick. Apparently the first one worked so well that I decided to do it again, and here it is. We have two two videos featuring Polaris today. Yeah. Right? Too bad. <laughs> Ron, let me tell you why you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> this was one of well, the coolest cartridges you could show. So it turns out it's actually not from yeah, it was actually. 64 joystick, as I had originally stated, but from a PC game controller, and it has trim adjustments for proper calibration, which is nice. As you can see, this mechanism is a bit corroded from storage, but incredibly, it still works full range, and it works really great for Polaris. Well, there you go, and that just fell. <laughs> it just fell off. <laughs> Next, let's go over the power supply conversion. The Coco 3 is easy yeah. to convert oh, to the Things yeah. you'll need in order right to do this because of those old 12 uh, chips. volt, 1 amp power brick, I was going to fast forward a bit here to show the uh, the floppy drive because I know David Ladd will kill me if I don't show that part. Wire. 
But it kind of worked. <laughs> but all the sockets in the board were up a little too high, and it just wasn't a clean install. Interesting. So to to make the now opening he's, for it, it's got different memory the inside of the now. case where the floppy was touching it. Drilled some holes and then got busy filing the opening smooth. I later found this FD334 drive, which is nearly identical, except it's about a quarter inch shorter and lower power consumption, which is ideal for this application. I had to add some uh, calibrated spacers to raise it up, <laughs> cut out, which still money between the drive and the motherboard. This drive also has a 26-pin connector instead of 34, which is common with laptop floppies, and no separate power connector. It's nice. But the pinouts are available online and easy to adapt. The final There's touch adapters. for this drive was a side select switch, as BASIC only makes use of one side of the drive. This allows me to put two floppy disk images on one 3.5-inch diskette. So for those two disk games, you just flip a switch to get to the second <coughs> side. Unfortunately, the belt on this drive was liquefied, and it took me... Anyways, he's done a lot of really cool hardware hacks. He goes at the end of the video talking a little bit about some stuff he did in his Coco 1, which he's planning to do a video follow-up on that as well. And he was in the chat earlier. I don't know if he still is. So I'm looking forward to his other videos. But yeah, he's he's got a nice uh, you know bit of comedy in his uh, stuff, too, as I know that you guys were laughing at some things, too, and like when the joystick fell in. Um, you, <clears throat> so... What, one of the things I noticed that he did, um, I know some people have taken the newer, like the USB floppy drives <clears throat> that use the the newest uh, three and a half inch PC laptop floppy drives, the really thin ones, and those use a ribbon uh, uh, Mylar cable, and those are really low power, and... Um, that would probably be even a better, better mod for for this because then that would be just just crazy small. <laughs> right. And for you hardware guys out there, the Davids, the Ricks, the, the Mark Bosleys, etc., how many of you have you have personally used uh, popsicle sticks as spacers for your hardware projects? Pretty good. Uh, yeah, yep, yeah. they not they're non-conductive. And they're yeah, fungible. You can smash it, and it gets. And they're, they're inexpensive. so soft. You can put a part in, and it's too thick. You just kind of push it down until it fits. I use cardboard. And, they're calibratable. Well, here's something that some people are just going to look at me kind of crazy. Um, oh, we do so, that anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks a lot. So I've taken balloons and um, used them in between the sides of the floppy drive. Well, actually, those could work, too, but I didn't want to mention those. Um, oh, yeah. but, it's a, but the balloons you could put on each side of the floppy drive for vibration reducers. So that way your equipment doesn't make that rattle so as much. The, then later on, they liquefy because they get old. They're inexpensive to replace. Yeah, it's I, what, I, what was 50 cents at, at a, a hobby store. See, well, you guys, uh, you hardware gurus are so much into the hardware, you're missing the, the biggest point of, of using these spacers as he used, and you guys have admitted to doing it yourselves. You get to eat two popsicles first. That's oh, the best. You have to make the spacers. Yeah. 
I mean, I would purposely cut the thing way short so I had to space it several times so I could have like a half a dozen popsicles before I installed it. <laughs> Oops, ruined another one. Quick, where's the freezer? <laughs> oh, this this calls for a rebel stick. I think that's a different thickness, you know. Anyway, or a, a really cool video. <laughs> I, I I can't remember if you guys. Oh, he's actually just mentioned the chat here too. Uh, it's another quarter inch shorter than the last one. Um, is he a member of our Discord yet? I haven't had a chance to be in Discord too much this week. I've been busy with work, so I don't know if he'd be using the same name or if he'd be under a different name. But if it, if he's in there, I would love to have him on the show I, I to talk about is. some of this stuff. So if you're in there, uh, Lococo Strangiato, then please uh, send send me a message or even just in the general public one uh, that you'd like to be on the show because you'd like to promote your channel and, and maybe go through some of your projects uh, on our show as well. So get a hold of us. Okay, next up, Matt Perkins. Uh, for those who want to do experience retro at the same time you're doing modern, he posted on the Coco group on Facebook. His custom settings for a cool retro term on his Mac also will work on Linux or BSD Unix. Uh, aside from fitting more text on the screen, it should look familiar. So he's got all these settings here for colors and chroma and blah, blah, blah. And basically, he's managed to make his terminal look exactly like this. You know, it's a Coco with a higher res screen with more text. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and CRT boundaries around it, so nice. Yeah, I don't. That, I'm guessing that's an emulation thing on it, but yeah, uh, that's the whole point of this program is to look like some old computer on a CRT. And this, but he actually like measured the chroma and luminance of the green to make sure it's the exact right green type thing. I just thought that was like overkill. I mean, that was fascinating. So it's not um, too green. <laughs> <laughs> But remember, as we discovered a few weeks ago, the uh, soaking in the green light is actually healthy and promotes healing. For you, yeah, but too much green might be bad. So, oh, he's coconut Bob in the chat. There we go. I do remember seeing him in the chat. So yeah, get get a hold of me there. We'll we'll see if we can get you on the show here. Um, probably not the next two weeks since we've got some interviews, but maybe the week after that it would be great to have you on. Plus, you'll have a few videos out then we can talk about in in more detail. Uh, next up, and this was posted in the uh, Nitrous 9 group on Facebook. Uh, Brenda Make is uh, working on the Coco X case. Now, I don't know how many of you have been following that project. and I did for a bit earlier, but I think it's kind of like trying to make a Coco 5 because Coco 4 has already been you know taken by a bunch of other things. Um, and basically making a modern system that basically emulates Coco. And that she's actually been 3D designing the case. And she's got some pictures like from the original Coco case that they're trying to duplicate and then, you know, how it turns out when she's designing it here in, in the software. And then actually 3D printing stuff here to see what it looks like, including the air holes and stuff. Looks extra wide, like maybe it'll take a modern keyboard. Well, this is cool because it, it's a volumetric thing, so you can make it bigger or narrower or deeper. It's, it's a very adjustable Coco-like case that she's making. Now, Alan, you're saying the Coco X would be a Coco 10, way more than five. You probably remember more of the hardware details than I do then, because I honestly can't remember. No, I'm just look. saying that X is 10 in Roman numerals, not five. Oh, I see what you mean. But do you know much about the project itself? Because I know it got, we, we discussed it when they first talked about it probably a month, two months ago. And I, unfortunately, I don't remember the details. Yeah, not other than what's been covered here. Since okay. I'm not on Facebook. So. Yeah, they can make that case wider because it's all vector. Exactly. Let's see if they got any in the comments here, maybe. I guess more just talking about the uh, 
the the case model she's doing more than uh, the project behind it. So I'll, I'll have to go dig that back up again, but I think it was like, was it a pie or a <laughs> nano or something? So Rick, system? if, if uh, this person made a wide case, you could make a keyboard with a um, number pad on the side, right? Oh, right, right. I think her whole point here was that this is not just a fixed size case. It's a case that can be adjusted. So it's not cast in stone. So if you come up with a new cocoa that's a little wider, well, you just stretch your sliders around and there's your case. <laughs> well, with a number pad, that would look like Sockmaster's Cocoa 4. Yeah. It would look like an HX. Or the CCN where they hacked a Model 3 keyboard in the Cocoa. Collector News uh, article. But Coco Strangiato, we just talked about, says, can they duplicate the TDP 100 case? Me want. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the one thing I could see that uh, um, would be the cartridge port, because if you made it wider, that would kind of screw up the uh, being able to put cartridges or the MPI on it. You're going to need another slider, a, isn't she? Just put a bridge across. Just put some popsicle sticks in there, you're golden, man. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you just keep sliding them around. We're going to have so much stuff to talk about this Coco Fest, I tell you. Right, right. We have the multi pack stuck in there. Yeah. Yeah, let's just slip it in. Yep. <laughs> we can call it the MacGyver. It'll be a toaster. A four four slice toaster. That's the original uh, cocoa and multi pack one. Still twelve volts. Anyway, on to the next one here. So now we're into MC10 news. There's a couple bits here. So the first one here is from Jim Gary, and if you remember that cat animation that James Diffendapper did earlier in the news, uh, this is the MC10 low res semi graphics version of the animation, also ported from the original GWiz Basic, and it's just a quick little animation. So let him run it. Now, of course, with low res, you didn't have time to actually have the cat running across screen, but it's animated running in place. That's very cool. I actually like it running in place. Yeah, it kind of looks better, doesn't it? It's on a treadmill. I mean, I think if the other one, if if the uh, the number of spaces of pixels going across that it was jumping might be lowered, it might look a bit more fluid, but I don't know if it might lose the speed or the, the pause might not line up with the ground. So I think you're kind of restricted somewhat. And of course, they're trying to duplicate the original GWIS basic version, which uh, they're both cool. Yeah, they're both cool. Yeah, that's that's the right way to, to view it. Next up, he also ported a simple draw program um, for the MC10. And this is actually based on one that was originally released for the ZX81. So it's a fairly simple one. He draws a little bit of uh, black text, basically. And of course, the X81 was just a black and white machine, so it's kind of duplicating that, I'm presuming, as well. I, I didn't see any color in his demo here besides the background green and the black drawing. The nuclear green etch-a-sketch. <laughs> and the nice thing is, too, because all the semi-graphics characters are basically black mixed with a single color, means you get the full 64 by 32 res without worrying about adjacent pixels changing color because normally if you're trying to you know draw with an actual color you can't draw say a magenta next to a yellow if it's within the same byte within the same four pixels of this character string so this way you actually get the full resolution but just with two colors black and whatever one you pick
Sorry, a quick little uh, conversion from the Zedek City one there from Jim Gary. And wow, I don't know what that's there for. Okay, next up, um, Jamie's Hack Shack uh, did a video about using MP3 files on the cassette port of the MC10 because he'd actually done a previous video uh, showing him using WAV files, which of course you can set to be lossless. And MP3 is a lossy one. So he was wondering, well, let's try it. Let's see if an MP3 will load. Answer is yes, it will. And he started to play with the different sampling rates to see how low you could go before it started having problems. And I'll play a little bit of the beginning here, so you can, or uh, probably the, more in the middle here, I guess. Um, just to kind of give you an idea what he's trying. How low of bit rate of an MP3 would work. I wanted to use the same example breakout WAV file from my original video for consistency's sake. So I grabbed that. Then I was faced with converting this to various bitrate MP3s for comparison. I realize now, in January of 2023, with all the various streaming services, it had been quite a while since I'd actually created an MP3. I used to do it all the time, but it had been a while. I pondered it for a bit, and I was reunited with a command line tool called Lane. I used Lane to create MP3 versions of the breakout file in various increasing bitrate levels. I connected things up, and as a baseline, I loaded in the uncompressed wave to ensure that all still work as before. First, I tried the 8K MP3. This failed almost instantly. Then, the 16K MP3. Like the 8K, failed right away. Same for the 32K, no dice. Now, watch the 64K attempt it appears like it's going to work, then fails right near the end of the file plane. Okay, here goes the 128K attempt. So far, so good. Hey, it worked. So 128K worked. That answers the general question of MP3s working. But I was nagged because of the jump between 64K and 128K. I wondered if any of the steps between those would work. I went back and created an 80, 96, and 112K version of the file and loaded them up on the SANSA. Here is the 80K attempt. And it worked. So for this file, the way I encoded it, it looks like 80K MP3s are the minimum needed to work via the tape port of this computer. So, have you, any of you guys experimented with using MP3s versus WAVs? Uh, Sounds really? great on my CD player this, in the car. This is my normal <laughs> method of recording for anything. Is my Zoom MP3 player or recorder? That's 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 what I do. It's my jam. It's so you you don't use you? It's higher than 80k, I would guess, though. Well, no, I use the lowest setting available. It's probably about like that. It's, it's oh, okay. It's the one that, yeah, you get like 20 minutes out of three minutes of. <laughs> it, it's incredible that MP3s just, they, the outline, the hollowing out that the MP3 does apparently doesn't affect the Cocos waveform at all. So as long as the timing is good, which it always is on an MP3 player, the signal's good. And the quality doesn't really matter. It's, it's just, not that complicated. 
Okay. Well, Coco Strangiana on the chat is saying 64 kilobits was the lowest that he could get to work. He's sticking hmm. with 128K for simplicity. And I know <laughs> here it 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 kind of worked, but not fully. It actually aired out when he tried. So he got down to 64. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I I would be interested to see how well the MP3, what kilobit you'd need to stay with those turbo cassette loaders, like the one that I was using. Yeah, well, you're running a 6,000 baud or something like that, yeah. Right. Frank, Franklin Harris uh, of Retro Rewind says, I know that the best you can do in a Commodore 64 that ends up being reliable all the time is 96K. And I'm, I'm guessing uh, this was a pretty short program, so this might not have been you know, a, a full bore test. If you wrote a little 16K game or something on an MC10, I imagine your chances of hitting something bad might happen more often, so... That's probably a safe thing to do here. I mean, ADK in his particular case here worked, but that was a really short program. So. Anyway, I mean, if you want to fit a, a lot more than a WAV, because an uncompressed WAV is a pretty large file, so this would definitely fit more onto a, a player. <laughs> Next up, we have uh, Simon Jonasson, and this is 2.7K. So it fits on a 4K MC10. It's a two-voice square wave uh, of a rather popular song that I'm sure people recognize. I'm just going to play a little bit of it. I think it's still under copyright, so I don't want to get nailed. Yep, popcorn. Yeah. Right? From Hot Butter. No room yeah, so he's got almost game, a though. minute of the of song here in two voice, um, fitting in, in 2.7k. So that means you could actually fit like a, a decent soundtrack on a, you know the splash page of a game or something like that. Um, obviously, compared to a six bit DAC, it sounds a little bit rough, uh, comparatively speaking, because it's one bit sound. That's the, the main thing versus the six bit we have. But uh, it does it sounds pretty good, and to fit it in that small amount of memory, that's that's pretty cool. Switching over to dragon news now, we got uh, four stories, or sorry, three stories related to the dragon. First one here, John Whitworth, the head of um, Dragon Plus Electronics, as we've mentioned numerous times before, is currently getting treated for cancer in the hospital. And he's got a picture of some little circuits boards here for an RGB project. Um, and he says, oh, the T's, the T's. Many prototype PCBs arrived home today. The new RGB board being one of them. I think all the components are there too. Just not me, because he's still at the hospital and he can't actually use all the stuff. So Can he's getting sneak him in. He's getting pictures from his wife, basically, of all the cool stuff that showed up in his doorstep that he can't touch right now. So, so we uh, hope he gets well soon. I, I know the treatment has been going well. He did an update last week where it sounds like everything's going pretty good. So hopefully this is just a, a little bit longer and he'll be home and working on a ton of stuff. Tony Jewell. Um, and I'll just read it verbatim, his little quote here. <clears throat> so, hi, gang. If you follow me on Twitter at HereBeDragons3, uh, you've probably spotted that I've committed to doing a dragon-related post every day for a year, gulp. I've started talking about dragons that didn't happen, and I'm trying to unpick the stories that were doing the rounds in the first few issues of Dragon User Magazine. Now, we know of some of the ones that never got released, like the Dragon Alpha, the Dragon Beta, um, but this sounds like these are not the same machines they're talking about. So these little clippings all suggest that there was a plan for a 400-pound BBC micro-level machine with better graphics, etc. But it can't be the beta, even though it does mention twin 6809s, which the beta to have, as there's no way they could have priced that at 400 pounds. The beta was going to be like double or triple that. 
And I don't think it's the Alpha Professional either, given it still has Dragon graphics. And he said, so is this just wishful thinking on behalf of Dragon user Dragon Data? And now I know some of the other machine or uh, magazines used to pretty well make up stories of whatever they wanted to appear. And others actually, you know, did some research first and, and actually had some insiders to give them stuff. And he asked if Duncan Smee could push that in light. And unfortunately, as of my last check, Duncan had not answered. Um, how, do you, how, how the hell do you pick up a 400-pound machine? With two no, hands. that's the price. <laughs> we're, we're here in America, you know. Call it, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So the, this machine was going to be 400 pounds, quite a bit cheaper than the Alpha or the Beta, and dual CPUs and OS 9, because it was meant more for business and educational markets. That wasn't the one I found the most fascinating, though, to be published as these rumors in, in Dragon User in 1983. That is reserved for this one. This this is another one. Retailing it under 2,000 pounds, so this is a much more expensive one, was another dual CPU with a unique bus structure, oh, giving a high level of software portability. It will have a 68,000 and an 8086 uh, base software, either individually or both together. So it's a dual CPU with a 16-bit 68,000 and a 16-bit 8086 mm. combined in the same machine and able to run code for both CPUs, either in cooperation or both together at the same time. Or, sorry, individually or at the same time. I've never heard of this one at all. And it doesn't sound like anything that Dragon got off, off the ground. So I'm really curious if one of the people at Dragon actually does respond to this and, and just mention like was this even considered at some point and they just dropped it because it's too complicated too expensive or whatever because that that's basically a model 16 with a an 8086 which is actually another 16-bit cpu with a 16-bit box so dos and xenix or unix or something all in one box or os9 osk right this would be like a pt684 but with the 86 you know built on the motherboard rather than a separate card which they had the option for so I'd be really curious. I don't know if they're going to be able to find any specific details. Because this is like early 1983 they were talking about this. And that, that would have been a hell of a machine. It would have been hell expensive. But Frank got it right in the chat. That's an Amiga with a bridge board. <laughs> <laughs> but a couple of years before cool. the Amiga. All right, maybe. <laughs> okay. And then Julian Brown here, uh, rounding out this one. Um, as a further update, is Dragon 32 motherboard duplication project. And of course, Kieran60 in the chat and on our Discord has been working on the Dragon 64 one. And they both made tremendous progress now. They've basically got the machines up and running. <clears throat> so Julian posted here some pictures. He says, I'm rather happy and relieved to present the next revision of my replica board. I'm tentatively going to say that this is the finished design, but it needs more testing than I can give it right now. Rather than let it languish while I delve headlong into a couple years of projects, I offer it as is. I will be handy, are happy to make changes if anything needs it. I'm going to order a fresh batch of boards in the next few days. So he thinks he's got it basically all up and running working. I know him and Karen swap parts back and forth, and actually both of their machines were up and running and basically running ROM coded stuff. So it looks like there's the option like Pedro Pena's done in the Cocoa community of, of duplicating the original motherboards. So as long as you can get the chips and the parts for it now, at least you know, there's a, a way to get the motherboards done. You can, you know, take the files from them and order your own, you know, from the various uh, motherboard manufacturers like PCBWay, et cetera. So that, that's pretty cool that now we've got the Dragon 32, the Dragon 64, and various Cocos 
if we can just get some of these custom chips, like uh, Pedro's already replaced the uh, salt with that pepper pepper board. And, uh, you know, it's not just got the gimme X to replace the gimme type thing. So we're, we're slowly getting to the point where we will be able to duplicate all these machines with modern stuff or, you know, easier to get chips and not, you know, worrying about the ones that were customized for Tandy or for Dragon Data, et cetera. So awesome. Hats off to both Kieran and to Julian for getting these done. And that's it for the news. And Rocky Hill, because those repro boards are also awesome. Yeah, it's, that's yes. Pedro. Yeah. I probably pronounced his brain name wrong again. I got in trouble for that last week. I should, was supposed to just call him Rocky Hill because then I wouldn't get it wrong. Oops. Okay. I always oh, wondered, uh, do any of you guys know that, um, can't they just make a chip, you know, that you can put on a board and then have all the I.O. ports and stuff? And you mean like an FPGA? That would do everything. Like an FPGA. I, I don't know. Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. that's what the Coco 3 FPGA basically is, is doing. Okay, because that sounds like a, more like a pie. So, which well, I mean, at one point you abandon the Coco completely and just run an emulator, but we're all trying to play around with the original silicon in some way. Okay. Yeah, and the thing is, Ron, too, is that uh, with the Coco FPGA, there's a lot of stuff that is still being fixed because there's a lot of internals in the gimme. And, you know, we haven't. Yeah, that we don't right. know the function of. <laughs> so, like anything, look, geez, look at how Western design and uh, the 6551 has gone through several revisions and they fix one bug and break others. So it's like, and that's an actual chip. So, you know. So anyway, before we cut out, there was a whole lot of, there was a little bit of the Sculptor things going on. And I wanted to just show, this is Sculptor for Gimmicks and Coco from Frank Hogg and uh, KD Consulting. Okay. And this is the one with SQL? No, this is the one, this is the old Sculptor. Okay. And then this is Sculptor, slightly different form, from MPD for a 68K and Coco. So there are two of them. We'll have to figure out which one we've got. Do we have any of them available? Because they're really cool. I wrote a couple of programs in these things, and it, it's a it's a rocking database for the time. But anyway, just for the comment sake, there were two, and so whichever one you have isn't the only one. <laughs> yeah, I remember like Frank used to take out full page ads for Sculptor because that was like a real oh, database. Was, like this, the Coco version. 500 bucks but it, yeah. it comes it goes in this nice box so you know it's it's, it's very sophisticated but then this one i think costs more i got what it. year are, what year are those that when they were uh, this one out? is copyright 87 from mpd for coco um this one's copyright i think 83 but this is all rock and stuff the gimmicks was what 10k out the door, yeah. no accessories. And this was a program you would have bought for it, and you would have thrown out that 800 bucks happy because it was a great database, and it would run on your gimmicks with eight people working on it at the same time. Yep. And that runs on the Cocoa. It's just it, 
The I same, remember because the very systems they showed sculpted running on the Coco 3 with 512K required was the lowest end system that Sculptor would run on. Everything else is like PCs right? with 2 mega RAM and 6 to 8,000, this and that. And... But lowest end meant eight people could log in from terminals under your Coco if you had eight serial ports. We did it work. It wouldn't explode, <laughs> you know. It might take a little while to update the screen, but it wouldn't explode. And oh, Eddie, you could just rock away. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was pretty impressive for the time. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because there was does it have a sequel? Does it not have a sequel? Well, it depends. Which version you have. <laughs> and I, I have to ask Rob Inman here because I noticed he's been playing Wordle because he's been bored watching the rest of the news here. And I just wondering, did you win any games? I did. Yeah, I got to do something during what we're on hour seven. What was going on? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's not pink outside yet, so it's still dark. We're good. <laughs> this one's a tough one that I'm on, but I'll keep you posted. <laughs> but we do need to um, call it a day because I need to skedaddle. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm. My as you notice, my my voice has been going again. So I'm. I'm. I'm done for now too. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this great and wonderful show. Thank you for we have spending your day with us. So we do have a new outro. Excellent. Let's roll. Let me share screens. Roll that beautiful footage. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Awesome. <laughs> and you did notice, of course, that I was trying to solder some of the cocoa, and the cocoa chased me off. Yep. Self-defense. <laughs> That's be. what that is. <laughs> I think the very last screenshot needs to be the cocoa with a memory failure. Yep. <laughs> the, the checkerboard. Yep. Coming soon. Okay. Um, yeah. Push the button. Yeah. yeah. Now, Hi, see you all next week. We should have, hopefully, week. that interview set up with uh, Joe, and uh, that should be very interesting. So we'll see you more interviews. Bye. 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 Bye.